Talking Heads, Wild Wildlife from 1986. That was from a movie called True Stories that was from the same year that most people did not see. And it actually starred John Goodman before he was known for his exploits on Roseanne. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show. I am Todd Dandruff Wittellis, your host. I am here just about every week. Well, actually not usually, but uh, not recently. Usually, but not recently. But I am here this week. And usually the show is on Thursdays at 7.30 Pacific Time. However, it got delayed once again by a day, and this is a Friday Night Live version of the show. And we're just going to go till whenever it's over. Not sure if we're going to pick up a co-host tonight. 
We may or we may not. Even Brandon might show up if he is available. I let him know that uh, we're doing the radio tonight, and he can come if he wants to. We've been texting tonight. So we will see. If you're listening live, welcome. And if you couldn't make it and you had to catch it in the archives, I understand. If you are listening live, there's a few things you can do that the archive users can't. First of all, you can text me during the show, and I will read your texts on the air unless you ask me not to. That phone number is 775-372-8355. You can also call the show. That phone number is the same one, 775-FRAUD55, which is known as 775-372-8355. There's, of course, always the Mount Charleston line. That is an old 70s rotary telephone which sits on top of Mount Charleston, which is a mountain near Las Vegas. It forwards to wherever I am. You cannot text it. You can only call it. Phone number there is 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. That's the Mount Charleston line. Remember, if you don't catch the show live, you can catch it in several ways in the archives. You can download the MP3s directly from Poker Fraud Alert. You can look up the RSS feed. It'll do it for you. You can do it through iTunes. You can do it through Stitcher. Or you can do it through TuneIn. These are three different apps you will find on your smartphone. iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. All of them just search for Poker Fraud Alert, all one word. And you can listen to the archived shows up there. So a lot of options to listen. Live, uh, I was just informed that the listen live function for Android phones does not work. So if you're trying to listen live on an Android phone, you're probably out of luck. But you can listen live on an iPhone or other Apple device, and you can listen live, of course, on a desktop or laptop computer at any time. If you want to chat during the live broadcast, there's the chat room. You need a Flash-enabled device and a Poker Fraud Alert forum account to get in there. That's the chat room. It's the chat button near the top of the screen on PokerFraudAlert.com. And remember... If you have an iPhone or iPad, you cannot get in there because you need Flash. That's for the chat room. And remember, if you're in the chat room, I probably will not respond much to you because I'm doing the show. I can't really sit there and chat. So if you want to reach me during the show, it's better to call or text. We have a free roll tonight, and it's a large one. Usually I try to keep the free rolls not as large on the off days, on the days that are not our usual broadcast days, because the crowd for the free roll is smaller, but... Pooh, who is a regular listener of the show and regular forum poster, and that's Pooh, P-O-O-H, like Winnie the Pooh, not (laughs) P-O-O. But uh, today is a special day for him, and for that reason, he is giving us $100 extra for the free roll. Why? Info bells! No, not info bells. There we go. It's his birthday. Happy birthday to Pooh, who's turning 41 today. This young lad is two and a half years younger than me, so I'm a bit jealous of that, but he is providing us $100 extra to what was once our $60 free roll. Dear one, I wouldn't call him that. I should have vetted this song before playing it on here. All right, I've heard enough. I, I don't want to call him Dear One again. I'll get the wrong idea. So yeah, Pooh gave 100 bucks for his own birthday. So that brings our free roll up to the 
total of $160. Now, who else did the $60 come from? $5 of that free roll came from SMI Florida, who donates a lot. I appreciate that from him. And Short Bus Poker gave $5, but that still leaves 50 50 bucks unaccounted for. Who gave that final $50? That final $50 was provided by Dan Druff? What? What? Yes, I donated $50 to my own free roll. There you you get it. I, I always say I won't do this. I always give the excuses as to why I am too cheap to donate to my own free roll. I make all of you do it. I don't make you guys do it. You guys generously do it out of the goodness of your hearts, goodness that I apparently don't have because I, I feel like I do enough. I feel like I pay for the site. It takes a loss. I don't run really ads on here. Uh, I put all the effort into this. I go, you know, I, I don't want to donate on top of that. I, I've done my part. But I don't know. The, the intense guilt was setting in, especially because the schedule's been so erratic, especially because I've missed some weeks, especially because, you know, I get messages from people, like, I, I'm not going to name who this is, and, you know, I just appreciate the message. I got a message from someone saying that they've been having a hard time recently in life, nothing related to the forums or poker or any stuff like that, but they've just had a hard time in their personal life lately, and that they listen to this show and feel a bit better. This is like their escape from a lot of the stress they've had recently. And this, they actually listened twice last week, which I, I can't imagine doing. But uh, apparently someone wanted to hear me and uh, Team MLK going on for five and a half hours. But that person, they, they said they were really appreciative of the show. And I like messages like that because it makes me feel good that I'm providing this show and providing entertainment for people and making them smile for a few hours a week. And I felt bad. I'm like, you know what? I get messages like that, and I'm too cheap to donate. So I donated. $50. So I thought it was going to be 60 bucks this week. Actually, had I known that Pooh was going to have a birthday and give $100, I wouldn't have given a damn thing. But, uh, <laughs> you know, he donated that at the last minute. He probably wanted to see what came in first and then uh, threw that money in after. So the free roll is really big. And I, I wasn't going to hold over his money for another week because it's his birthday. Like, I'm not going to have him do a birthday donation and then hold over his birthday donation. That's just weird. Uh, somebody else donated that might shock you a bit, but we're not using his donation this week. That would be Bad Guy 23. <laughs> yes, Bad Guy he gave $75 to the free roll. Can you believe that? $75. So as much of a bad rap as he gets here from some people, he actually gave to us 75 bucks. We'll use that probably next week. Free roll does start in 10 minutes. It's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. If you want the rules for qualifying for all this lovely free money, you have to go to pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll. This is all lowercase, pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll, F-R-E-E-R-O-L-L. And you will read all about the rules and the necessary qualifications you have to have to win the free money. If you do not go there and then don't qualify, tough luck. You only have yourself to blame because I warned you. Not very tough to qualify for it, by the way, but you have to read there and understand. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. So it starts at 10, 8, 10 p.m. There will be 25 minutes of late registration. So you can join in 
as late as 8.35 Pacific time. If you don't like that it starts so late, tough luck. This is a West Coast show. It has a West Coast bias. But I do appreciate all the listeners, including the West Coast, the East Coast, the central part of the country, and all of our lovely Eurotards and Aussie Tards and everybody else from around the world who listen. We even have a South African listener that contacted me this week. So, here is the agenda for this week. At least the things that we will definitely talk about. You never know what else will come up on this show. I was alerted this week to a very disturbing report about Bovada, where I played a whole lot over the past year. The scathing report supposedly included an analysis where it was determined with almost complete certainty, like 1 in 100 trillion chance that it could be wrong, according to those doing this research, that Bovada is not providing a fair game. But is it credible? Who did this study? And can we believe them? We will talk about that tonight. Dwight Pilgrim has been around in the poker tournament scene for some years. Very colorful character, kind of loud, kind of... I don't want to sound racist here or anything, but uh, he's the stereotypical kind of like loud, obnoxious black guy. And I'm not saying black people are loud and obnoxious. There's loud and obnoxious white people and every other race. But uh, you think of the stereotypical like loud and obnoxious black guy, and that's Dwight Pilgrim. So I'd seen him around. I've played with him a few times. Uh, didn't really have much interaction with him other than typical table talk. I did wonder with him, as I do with many other tournament pros who kind of just appear out of nowhere and play a lot of tournaments, if they're really winning. Because those buy-ins add up. You can cash a few big ones and still be losing. So Dwight Pilgrim, apparently, according to Aaron Massey and Brian Hastings, is not a winning player anymore and has scammed them. Yes, I said Brian Hastings accused someone else of cheating and scamming. (laughs) Not cheating at the poker table, but cheating him. So that's some karma, and we'll talk about that. I'll also tell you a little anecdote that I had with uh, Aaron Massey. Had kind of an unpleasant experience with him at the World Series. Hastings I've never dealt with directly, by the way. I just don't like him. We will talk more about the Daily Fantasy Sports Fiasco this week. DraftKings hired a law firm to try to clear their name. The Department of Justice is now investigating Daily Fantasy Sports. That's bad news for them. There's a commercial which I will play you from DraftKings, which I think is pretty shameless and in bad taste at this point, given what's been happening. The NCAA is not going to allow advertisement from... Daily fantasy sports sites as a result of the recent scandals and Stars Draft. Poker Stars' attempt at doing daily fantasy sports for the U.S. has pretty much come to a halt. We'll talk about all these things. Christian Lusardi, the guy, the brilliant criminal who introduced counterfeit tournament chips over a million dollars worth, or a million tournament dollars worth, to a major Borgata tournament. And then got caught because 
he flushed the excess chips he didn't need anymore down the toilet in his Harris room, and it clogged the plumbing, and they found the chips and they put it all together. He was sentenced, and we'll talk about what sentence he got and whether it was fair. At Horseshoe Baltimore, which is a Caesars property, pretty disturbing video that got released. You'll find it on the Poker Fraud Alert YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com, enter Poker Fraud Alert. One of our videos up there has uh, over 235,000 hits, which, of course, I haven't monetized. I probably should, but I haven't attempted to monetize in any way. But uh, a new video is up on the Poker Fraud Alert channel of a security guard getting knocked out by an unruly customer. I'll talk about what happened there and talk about the strange result of the whole thing. Once again, we have Las Vegas Hotel News. I have a new item to talk about this week, which would be unfortunate for tourists to Las Vegas if it comes true. It's a rumor right now. General topics for tonight. A listener who was a former car dealer, or car salesman, shall I say, sent me some text messages that he didn't agree with my advice from last week. So either he can call in if he's listening or I will read his texts about uh, why he disagrees with me. I want to give equal time to those alternate viewpoints. Speaking of alternate viewpoints, I'm getting text trolled. Uh, There's some guy who's making all these different phony text message accounts. You can get those through apps or online. You can send text messages uh, without giving out your phone number, which... By me telling you guys that, probably just going to encourage more prank texts. But uh, I was getting text trolled on the Poker Fraud Alert radio number, which, by the way, you can text me anytime, anytime, 24 hours a day, not just during the show. But there's been a guy who's been uh, text trolling me during the show and after the show. And uh, he... Uh, he was going back and forth with me. I, I probably shouldn't respond to these trolls, but I something that uh, kind of bugs me is when people write these really, really nasty and downright insulting texts to me and then don't want to say who they are. And the reason that bothers me is because I say who I am. I stand behind my own words. Whether you agree with them or disagree with them, I stand behind them. You know who I am. You know where to find me. And the trolls who send me text messages anonymously obviously are trying to do so without the reverse happening. So I'll talk about uh, that and uh, go into further detail about why I think that's a cowardly thing to do and why it's not just free speech or giving your opinion. Uh, by the way, don't people are trying to send me text messages through the little uh, Facebook-like messaging thing on the forum. Don't do, do that during the radio show. It doesn't work very well during the radio show. In fact, it's, it's supposed to turn off on its own during the radio, but it, it doesn't do it for whatever reason. I don't know why. But if you text me through that during the show, I probably won't get it. Someone asked me to do a blackjack card counting lesson on here, and I said, well, I, I can't do that during the main show because people will be bored. But I said, you know, during the end of the show, if I have time, I will give you some basics on blackjack card counting and point to where to learn, and some tools you can use. And I'll tell you, by the way, it's easier than you think. It's not like learning how to become a good poker player. Learning to become a good poker player takes a long time and a hell of a lot of practice, and a lot of people still can't do it. A lot of, still pe- a lot of people still can't be good at poker. 
They just don't have it in them. Uh, blackjack card counting requires much less skill than being a good poker player. That's a, a myth that you have to be some sort of a Rain Man-like savant to card counts, ca- count cards in blackjack. It's not true. So I'll give a bit of uh, info on how to learn how to count cards in blackjack and maybe become a winning blackjack player. The Dodgers, this is probably the last you'll hear me talk about them for a while. They're out of the playoffs, and they have fired manager Don Mattingly. I will tell you where I want to see the team go in 2016. And when I say where, I don't, obviously I mean the World Series, but where I mean by moves that they make and don't make because I think they made some mistakes in 2015. And not just in hindsight. So I will talk about what I would like to see the Dodgers do in the offseason. That is our list of topics tonight. 775-FRAUD55. 775-372-8355. I, I got a direct message on Twitter right now saying, this direct message is to serve two purposes. One is to troll you incessantly. And second, I'm on a new computer. Do you have my password and username, please? No, I don't. Uh, I can't even look up passwords to the No Fraud Online Poker Room. I don't even have that ability anymore. Uh, I don't know if Belly Buster does, but I can't. So just make a new account. I don't care. If you want to play in the free rolling, forgot your password, just make a new account. You know, if the, Let's say your name is uh, uh, Aces Master. Just call yourself Aces Master 1. I don't care. I don't care if you multi-account there. Just don't multi-account in the same tournament. Here's a suggestion from Matos. And by the way, the free roll just started. He said, Druff, you can listen live from Android. I've done it before. Download the VLC player and open it to listen. Open with it to listen. So that's useful. Thank you, Matos. Um, I was actually inviting uh, people with Androids to say, if you really want to, you can call in and just mute it and listen. <laughs> Some people want to listen on their Android and they can't and they're frustrated. So that's a good tip. Uh, so try downloading the VLC player. And listen with that, according to Matos, if you have an Android device. If you have an iPhone, it's very easy. Just click on the link that says, listen here if you have a smartphone, and it'll just play. Very easy. I have an iPhone. I prefer an iPhone. So, let's see what other texts we got before I give you the agenda and before we get started. The, the troll is saying that there's no chance I put my own money into the free roll. So, it's not true. I did. I put my own money into the free roll. Uh, I don't don't know why people are doubting this so much, because I run the site at a loss every month. I mean, that's for sure. If you think I make much money from that Amazon banner at the bottom, uh, you've got to be kidding me. I I can prove that if anyone thinks that I'm making big money from the Amazon banner. The Amazon banner makes like a few bucks a month. I'm not even kidding. That's like all it does. I just leave it there because it's at the very bottom and it's better than nothing. But other than that, no money comes in. So if I, if I wanted to monetize the site, if I wanted to make this site about money, there's many ways I could have done it, but I don't. So one, one thing nobody can accuse me of is being uh, money-grubbing with this site. This is from Handicap Me. Happy birthday, Pooh Love. Handicap Me. Can you explain how Garrett is world-class in daily fantasy sports, but his biggest cash at NFL is $7? That's from Handicap Me. Uh... Let's see what else we got. 
Uh, when will there be a show again? <laughs> That's from earlier. The answer, right now. By the way, I'm impressed that this, uh, the Twitter troll who's like tweeting me right now, I'm, I'm impressed that he just follows the show wherever it is. Like, he doesn't just listen. He listens live wherever it is. If it's on live on, on Friday, he goes to Friday. If it's on Thursday, he goes to Thursday. Like, this guy is dedicated. And I said that to him. I said, I finally said, you know what? If you, if you want to text me garbage every week, go ahead. If you want to text me dumb shit every week, go ahead. At least you're listening. It's, it's actually better than someone who just is apathetic and doesn't want to listen. At least you're listening. Howard Stern used to say that, and I'm not going to say I'm, I'm Howard Stern or like Howard Stern or have any of the radio talent that Howard Stern does, but Howard Stern, a lot of people hated Howard Stern, and he said, that's great. Half my listeners hate me, and that's, that's good. That makes them want to listen. So I, I know how it feels now. I have some listeners that hate me, or at least dislike me. So uh, here's the... Uh, Actually, I've gone through the agenda. I'm all confused. We already did the agenda. So we can start. We can just get going. Let's talk about Bovada. Let's talk about Bovada and uh, the accusations that are being levied against them by a report. And uh, then I will discuss whether they're true or not, because I think it's pretty clear from reading this. There's a report on medium.com slash at datamine poker that is entitled this, Report Bovada 2015 Online Poker in Danger. And people knowing that I play on there were tweeting that to me like crazy because they wanted my take on it. Because it's basically saying we've analyzed Bovada and... It's not fair. It's not a fair shuffle. People know what hands seem to be coming, like when a big hand is coming. The the report said they don't think there's a super user on there. They don't think there's someone seeing whole cards, but they they seem to have uncovered evidence that there's things going on there that shouldn't be and that the game isn't fair. And this wasn't just someone making a short blog post about it. This is a long, detailed thing which takes – Quite some time to read, especially if you want to digest it all. It's not light reading because it has a lot of uh, complex statistical and uh, programming-type discussion in it. So if you don't even have that type of background, some of it will probably go over your head in there. But it's not a light and easy thing to read. But when you get through it, uh, you will have seen a lot of information being thrown at you. That's basically saying Bovada's not a fair site, and if you're playing on there, you're not playing a fair game. So I was very interested in that from both the standpoint of someone running a site like Poker Fraud Alert and from the standpoint of someone who plays on Bovada a lot. I haven't played as much recently, but I played a whole lot over the past year. So... When I read this at first, I have to admit, I, I was giving it the benefit of the doubt that it could be credible. Something that always bugged me about Bovada, and I finally just put it out of my mind, but it's, it's always been kind of there in the background, is that Bovada has what's known as anonymous games. Anonymous games mean that you cannot see who you're playing against. You just see player one, player two, worse cheating than colluding, like super using going on, where people can see whole cards and have an insane win rate that's not possible. 
again, there's no way to figure this out because there's no way to analyze each player's results. And that was the way that the cheaters on UB and AP were caught. Ones like Grey Cat and Neo Neo, they had insane win rates that were proven through this data mining. And without the ability to data mine, we cannot catch ones like that. So someone could be just cleaning up on Bovada by cheating, and we'd have no way to know. And th- these are all truths. I mean, this stuff I knew before reading any report, and this is why I stayed away from Bovada after they went to that model. I stayed away from them for a few years because I just didn't like the situation. Finally, I, because there was really not much else as far as options, if you want to play Limit Hold'em in the United States at decent limits, it's either Bovada or nothing. So I said, all right, I'll give it a shot. And I played a good deal on there. But believe me, these concerns were still in the back of my mind. So here's a report that is playing upon these fears. And it's either trying to create hysteria, knowing that everyone has these fears of the anonymous tables, or maybe it's the truth. Bovada is not regulated. Bovada can basically do what it wants. Bovada is the rebranded Bodog. So it's been around a very long time. But who knows? You never know for sure. I said that seven years ago on 60 Minutes. You never know for sure unless it's regulated. You just don't. So... I read this report, and here is the description as to uh, the reason for the report. You have to wonder, like, who did this report and why? This is what it says. This report was started as part of a private contract placed for a private bid by a group of businesses. The group placed the bid in order to find advanced technical details on the current status of online poker. These advanced technical details include the security, legality, and fairness of the companies behind the largest online poker rooms available for players in the United States. It is believed that the group is attempting to take a legal stance within the U.S. to start new online poker rooms accessible nationwide. Based upon the schedule of the report, these businesses are looking to open up these operations near the beginning of 2006, quarter two. So, supposedly they did this major analysis of the fairness of Bovada because some group of businesses wants to start or purchase online poker rooms that are U.S. friendly in the year 2016. That right there already made no sense. On the surface, you go, okay, yeah, that kind of makes sense. But no, no, it doesn't. If a group of businesses want to purchase or start a U.S.-friendly online poker room, they would do research. They would do research as to the traffic. They would do research as to the difficulty of payment processing and the legal risks that they will be taking. They would be doing research into the costs of running such a room. They would be doing research into the chance of money seizures by the United States government trying to clamp down on them. These would all be things they would research. They might even research how to attract players, how to attract recreational players, what type of deposit bonuses and promotions work and which ones don't work. These are all great things to research if you want to start an online poker site. But you know what you don't research if you want to start an online poker site? Whether an existing successful site is fair. You don't research that. You don't spend a lot of money researching that. Because 
that has nothing to do with you purchasing or starting a new online poker site. Unless you're looking to purchase Bovada, but that's not what it's saying here. In fact, this seems to be more leaning towards the group of businesses is going to be starting a new room. So it doesn't make any sense. Now you can stretch it and say, well, maybe they're trying to prove Bovada is dirty and then sully their name so their room works well. But that that would only really be effective once their room gets going. If that really was the plan of these investors who are starting their new room or buying some online poker room to compete with Bovada, the correct strategy would be to start their room and then release these findings that have been found. Not to release these findings that Bovada is dishonest or incompetent and then start your poker room six months later. That doesn't make any sense. So already it sounds like they're trying to throw a flimsy reason for how all this very extensive research was being funded and why it was done, which sounds good on the surface but fails scrutiny when you think about it. So that, that already was strange to me when I started reading this, and that already made me wonder if this is a legitimate report. Now, who was involved in the research? That was who funded the research. Who actually did the research? Well, it says, this initial report is written from the standpoint of a professional software engineer, a data scientist, and a poker player. So that's who got involved in doing this whole thing. A professional software engineer, a data scientist, and a poker player. So, so basically, they've got all three things you need. Someone who knows software, someone who knows how to crunch numbers and statistics, and someone who just knows poker. And you put them together, and you've got someone who could really, a team who could really analyze this pretty well. And I agree with that. If that's what they really have and they're doing honest research, yeah, that's what I'd put together too. So that's what was supposedly done. Also, you heard me say it's an initial report. Well, there's going to be a second report, supposedly. It says, following this initial public circulation report, a secondary full-length report will be released on a case-by-case basis for private use. The secondary report will include full software sources, data access, and image and video evidence collected through the testing phases. Now, okay, that's, that's another problem. So they're basically saying here, here's all of our conclusions, but we're not giving you any of the data that we use to come to these conclusions. We're just going to talk about what we found, but not provide you with any of the proof that we used or any of the data that we used to come to these conclusions. That'll be in the second report, which is not going to be public. We're going to send it to select individuals on a case-by-case basis. That doesn't make any sense. First of all, why not publicize the secondary report that we can see everything? And, And number two, if you really want to hold it back, why not contact some respected poker journalists who they know are going to treat it fairly and give it to them? For example, Haley Hintz. Go to Haley Hintz and say, here, here's the data we have on the Bovada games not being fair. We don't want the whole public to see it, but we want to show it to you. Go take a look at it. Or send it to me. Send it to one of many other people who who have positioned themselves as defenders of fairness in online poker and have a good reputation for that over the years. 
but they're just making reference to a secondary report will be available on a case-by-case basis that they will decide. Again, suspicious. They said, please feel free to contact our team at datamindpoker at hmamail.com. Well, hmamail.com is called Hide My Ass Mail, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's an anonymous email service. So for some reason, these people are hiding in the shadows. They don't say who they are, and in fact, they're so concerned about their identities that they're using a disposable and anonymous email service called datamindpoker at hmamail.com. They're using that email service, Hide My Ass Mail. They don't even want to use Gmail or Yahoo. That's how scared they are of being found, which is really odd. If their data speaks for itself, they shouldn't be afraid to publicize it and to publicize who they are. If you think back to the UB and AP situation, uh, the people who did the statistical analysis of Absolute Poker and of Ultimate Bet uh, did you see them hiding in the shadows? Was was Nat Aram afraid to say who he was? No. So that's also really, really suspicious and weird that there's such secrecy with this. Usually when there's such secrecy, it's because uh, something isn't quite right. So already, it's very suspicious. But I still had an open mind. I thought, okay, well, what if they're just paranoid that Bovada is going to find them and kill them for this? Or uh, what if they have positions in the poker industry that they're afraid will be threatened by releasing something like this? So I said, okay, I'm willing to give this the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they're just not that brave, but they want to get the message out. They want to get the truth out. So, Okay. I read this with an open mind. And uh, let me tell you the conclusions I came to. First of all, before I tell you the conclusions I came to, I'll tell you the conclusions they came to. Uh, Basically, they claim they were – that they collected over 20 million hands and – that through the analysis of this data of the 20 million hands, even though they cannot see each person – of who is who, that uh, they were trying to look for trends as to uh, you know who's a good player, who's a bad player at each table, and even try to match them up and group them. So like they'd try to look with their data, who's the fish at each table, who's the loose aggressive guy, who's the tight aggressive guy, and then put them into groups, and then see how each person plays, and how they do, and how the hands tend to be distributed for them. So so may, they're looking for things like maybe the tight aggressive players uh, are dealt worse hands than the fish. Like they're trying to look for things like that, which is yeah, it's a noble undertaking. I, I don't mind them doing that. I think that's a, a good thing to do. Uh, basically, the conclusion they came to was that there were far more big hands than should be expected over 20 million hands. They claim that's a big enough sample to where this is very significant. What they mean by big hands are ones where a ton of action gets in, and I'm sure they're mainly referring to no limit, but it happens in limit too, but in no limit, of course, when when two people with big or medium stacks go all in, that's a big hand. If more than two people go all in, that's an especially big hand. So uh, like a big hand, a very simple example would be aces against kings. 
So you get aces against kings. You get a lot of raising, re-raising. Maybe they go all in before the flop. Maybe they don't. Then the flop comes low, and they go all in. Or maybe the flop comes king high, they go all in. So they noticed, according to their research, that there were far more big hands than there should be statistically. That was already one of their first concerns, that maybe there's something wrong with the random number generator, or maybe this is being done intentionally by Bovada to induce action. Second thing they were concerned about, and this is the bigger concern, that it seemed that certain players knew when big hands were coming. And the way they came to that conclusion was that these players would change their play style shortly before getting involved in a big hand. Almost like knowing that uh, they're going to be dealt something that's going to induce a lot of action. So a tight player would suddenly become loose about 15 hands or so before being dealt a huge hand over a slightly worse hand. And that they're getting loose before that to try to demonstrate to everyone else that they're loose and to call them down. So a tight player suddenly becomes loose. Some hands pass by and then like 15 hands later they get dealt a monster hand and win a monster pot. And they seem to notice that the, the play styles of some of these players change right be, before being dealt these big hands. And their conclusions of that were either uh, someone has cracked the random number generator or cracked something else in Bovada to know this is coming, or that maybe Bovada's doing this on purpose. Maybe Bovada is giving these hands to anyone who starts to go on tilt. Maybe a a tight player who starts to play a whole lot of hands and play recklessly, maybe the system tries to save them by giving them a big hand. Maybe they said maybe that's what they found. But that either way, this is way off the chart statistically and that this is not right. Uh, So that was another thing that they claimed was going on at Bovada. Again, these are things they are claiming, but they are not providing any data to back this up. This is just them saying, we analyzed the data, and, and this is what we've seen. But they don't provide any proof of that. I will say they used, it was a very, very detailed report, without actually giving data, but I mean very, very detailed in the way they describe it. Whoever wrote this does know a lot about statistics and does know a lot about programming. This was not written by posers. So I actually believe that the people who wrote this report really do have the backgrounds they claim. But that doesn't mean it's a legitimate report. That just means they have those backgrounds. So they also claim that uh, the security of Bovada is not very good. Uh they claim they were able to pretty much uh, take apart the JavaScript library for Bovada and kind of recreate the mobile web application that Bovada has. They were pretty much able to uh, reverse engineer it and create their own version, which they used to data mine, which they said is disturbing because uh, it shows that they're not paying very much attention to security issues in general. They're not saying that this can be used to cheat or see hole cards, but they're saying that uh, this is a bad sign that uh, there's so many, there's so much open data that anyone who reverse engineers it can get. And they showed a few screenshots of the system messages returned from the Bovada server. I don't know if these screenshots are legitimate. They very well might be. This might be something they really did, but that doesn't mean again, that everything they found is true. 
Maybe some of this is true. Maybe a little is true. Maybe none is true. We don't know because they won't provide anything. So that's basically the points they were trying to make. At the end of the report, something a little bit strange that uh, I thought, well, there's two other things I want to mention. They also claim that collusion is very easy on Bovada. And to prove this, they didn't analyze data. No, that wasn't what they did. To prove that collusion is easy and lucrative on Bovada, these trusted researchers colluded on Bovada. That's what they did. That was the way they did it. They, they proved you can collude by colluding. <laughs> they, they won $12,000, they claim, colluding. <laughs> so they say, yeah, we, we just proved you can collude because we did it. We cheated here. We won 12K, so yeah, uh, you can collude here easily, which is a little bit strange. I've never seen research being done quite like that. At the end, they talked about uh, America's Card Room, which is a competitor for Bovada, their main competitor, in fact. And they basically gave a ringing endorsement to America's Card Room. They wrote, In light of this, it does appear that new larger poker rooms are making a run at the USA poker market. One poker room that our team tested at is considered to be one of the most secure poker rooms online is America's Card Room. Below are some of the placements on their landing website that show that they place security far above all other features of their poker room. And then they actually have a link to Cards Chat, which is a big, big affiliate operation where you could sign up for America's Card Room. So you don't have to be a genius to think, hmm, this looks like an ad for America's Card Room. (laughs) This looks like the whole thing was commissioned by America's Card Room or someone who would stand to gain from those signing up to America's Card Room, especially ones who would sign up through Cards Chat. And of course, Cards Chat itself was immediately suspected of being behind this. But that's not necessarily what happened, but uh, that's a reasonable thing to suspect or wonder. So, despite all of the very technical terminology and apparent knowledge that the authors have of statistical analysis and computer science and poker, here are my problems with this report. First of all, as I already said, the justification is very poor. Uh, Supposedly, some group was looking to purchase a poker site or start one. But how did this morph into an expensive, exhaustive, and detailed analysis of Bovada security? So unless this company was trying to specifically purchase Bovada, which this report seems to not be implying, this would be a complete waste of the investor's money. So this looks like a flimsy justification in the first place to feign neutrality. That's already a bad sign. It's not clear who's behind this study, and it's not clear who funded it. When I say not clear, I mean they don't tell you at all and hide. The hiding, of course, includes the HMAMail.com, the anonymous email service. That doesn't exactly instill a lot of confidence in the report or the people behind it. I have no idea why they are so secretive. They provide no data to back up their harmful claims against Bovada. They just say, we found such and such, we proved such and such, but they don't give any kind of data or evidence. And that's very suspicious. 
the secondary report, which will supposedly provide the actual data to back up their claims, will not be available publicly and will only be provided privately with select individuals that they will not name. Hmm. The general premise of what they found, the main thing they found, essentially that certain players seem to know when a cooler hand is coming, like aces over kings, is weak. If someone was really cheating in some way, either from the inside or had cracked the random number generator, a smart cheater would occur not by playing a lot more big hands, but by folding a lot more big hands. So, for example, if you know you're going to be on the wrong end of set over set or two pair versus set or flush over set, flush over flush, etc., etc., if you could look into the future somehow through some form of cheating and see that, what would be the smart thing to do? Not play the hand. Fold. Now, if you've got kings, you can't fold without looking suspicious. But you can make a good fold post-flop. You can, if you've got kings and uh, you get a lot of action post-flop, then you get out cheaply. You try to make it look like you're, you're probing with a, a smaller bet, and then you get raised big, and you're like, okay, never mind, and you fold. And no one will suspect that. It'll, you'll just look like a, a smart player who makes a good laydown. If you've got a marginal hand that would have lost, like a pocket threes that would have flopped a set and lost to a flush, you can just fold the threes pre-flop. Especially if someone raised in front of you, it won't look strange. The bottom line is a smart player who can see that big hands are coming would probably be more likely to play fewer big hands, not more big hands, if they want to cheat in an intelligent manner. Now, that's not to say all cheating would be done intelligently. On UB and AP, the cheating was not done intelligently. That's why it was detected and caught. But I I reject that more cooler pots would be occurring if the game's not fair. If someone sees they're coming, it just doesn't make any sense. Now, what would make sense if someone's a dumb cheater is playing a lot of trash hands that they know are going to hit. So if you've got six-deuce offsuit and someone's got aces, you go all in pre-flop of your six-deuce if you know that on the flop it's going to be six-deuce, blah, 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 and and the aces uh, would lose. That's what you would do if you're a super user and don't really care about uh, the chance of being caught or don't think you'll be caught. Then you'd play more hands. But this report does not say that was happening. This report is not saying that people seem to be knowing the whole cards and playing in a really odd style. They're just saying that people seem to have an idea in some way that big hands are coming. Or when they start playing badly, suddenly good hands are dealt to them where they're on the positive end of things. Now, the second might be a little more credible that maybe Bovada is trying to protect its worst players. But it doesn't seem to be saying in this report that they're protecting the bad players. It seems to be more saying that a good player who just starts playing badly temporarily will be kind of rescued and be in a big hand shortly after that. That makes less sense because you would think they'd want the good players to lose. They wouldn't want to rescue a good player who's winning, who's typically winning and finally going off and playing poorly. That's great for Bovada. They love to see when a normally good player who's taken a lot of money off the site is now chunking it back off. That's exactly what they want. So it wouldn't make sense to give them a big hand that they win when they start to get looser and seem to play worse. None of this just makes much sense. 
Then, of course, there's the weird collusion resource, research. It wouldn't be very hard to do collusion research by just analyzing 20 million hands. Even if you cannot see who's playing at each table, at each individual table you can just look, hey, like is player two and player four colluding together? And you could analyze that and figure it out. Now, very mild collusion is hard to prove, like if you have two people on the phone just giving each other the whole cards or, or telling each other you know, when to fold because, uh, you know, in a marginal spot. But any kind of real uh, massive collusion would be easy to detect through data analysis. Why would they resort to playing and cheating themselves? and winning $12,000 doing so. That's not very credible. That's not very credible to say, we figured out there was cheating because we cheated ourselves and we didn't get caught. That's not even even good science. It's like saying, I'm going to prove that the police in my city are incompetent. And I'm going to prove this by going down to my local 7-Eleven with my gun, holding up the guy behind the counter, demanding the money from the register, and speeding home. And if I can do this and not get arrested and get away with it, that proves our police are incompetent. Well, that doesn't prove that. That just means I was lucky and got away with it. It's not scientific at all to just uh, collude for some time and then say, oh, well, we got away with it. They must not be catching anyone. Now, Mind you, I have suspected that Bovada security is not very good with catching bots and colluders and all that. That I do suspect. But when you have access to 20 million hands, you don't need to cheat yourself for $12,000 worth of collusion to prove that. And it just makes the people writing this report look like dishonest jerks. Like, what about the people they stole this 12 million from? Not 12,000 through collusion. Are they going to give it back? Are they going to donate it to charity? No, they're, they're just keeping it. So these are not exactly trustworthy people. You don't cheat and steal in order to prove that cheating and stealing can be done and then keep the money. The only way that's okay is if you return the money to those you stole it from, which of course is impossible. And... Finally, of course, there's the strange plug for America's card room near the end, essentially making the point that America's card room is safe and secure and Bovada isn't. Well, that's very, very suspicious. And, of course, the link to the Cards Chat affiliate site to sign up for America's card room is very suspicious. Now, it's possible that's in there to throw you on the wrong trail. So if you are going to accuse anyone of it, that you accuse Cards Chat rather than some other interest that doesn't want you looking at them. Because if they, if they didn't put something in there like that, it's possible that uh, they're afraid that you will connect some dots and figure out who wrote this. Obviously, someone with a problem with Bovada. But uh, maybe they threw that in the end as a red herring. I don't know. Cards Chat has officially denied having anything to do with this report. So even though the people who put this together have a fair amount of knowledge of programming and statistical analysis and poker, it does not mean that any of this is accurate. It just means they have this background and they're using their technical expertise to baffle critics and lend credence to their findings. I don't buy it, and I cannot accept something like this unless it comes from a credible source, or at least with data 
that can be independently verified. So the bottom line is ignore it. Until they come up with something that we can believe, that we can verify, or appear to come from credible people, ignore it. It's probably just a hit piece on Bovada from someone who hates them or someone who represents the competition. I will tell you, not Bovada, but Bodog, the predecessor to Bovada, there were bots on there. I proved it. Not through uh, data mining, but uh, there were some accounts that seemed very bot-like in their play. And in Limit Hold'em, you can start to detect that if you know how bots typically play Limit Hold'em. So um, Bodog at the time had a bug, which was called the button bug. And that is when you would sit heads up with a player, uh, sometimes it would give the second person sitting the button, which it never should do. Like it, it, the button should usually go to the, or should always go to the person who's sitting and starting the game. That's the fair way to do it. Or, yeah, I guess you could draw for it like they do in live card rooms. But online, for various reasons, it's really more fair to give the button to the person who is sitting and starting the game. So having the button heads up is a big advantage. You only post the small blind, the other guy posts the big blind, and you're in position. On on Bodog, there was a bug where if you get the button, your head's up, and then you sit out immediately when the hand's done, and you sit back in, you get the button back. So, if you did this to any human, they would know you're trying to cheat them here. Basically take the button over and over and over again. So, like, no human would let you sit out every time you're done and get the button back ten times in a row. Even the biggest clueless idiot would would figure this out. Well, maybe someone completely new to poker wouldn't, but anyone even, like, who semi-knows what they're doing would know what you're pulling. And definitely there's no winning player alive in poker that would tolerate that for ten hands in a row. Well, one of the bots, I was able to get the button against him 57 times in a row. (laughs) Yes, I was able to sit out every time we played a hand and get the button back 57 times in a row before he finally sat out and said, F you, to me. Well, that to me was proof positive it was a bot because this is a a good player, a winning player, who played 57 straight hands against me with me being the button, which gives me a huge edge. And then sat out and said, F you. So you can't even say, oh, well, maybe he just wants to play this way for some dumb reason. No, no. He he sat out and said, F you, like like he figured out what I was doing. Uh, Just in case you think, well, maybe the guy was drunk or high and didn't realize it at first. I did this to him several other times. I didn't get as many as 57 out, but I got like 14, 21. I kept doing it to this guy. Uh, eventually, he complained because, you know, of course, there is a human behind each bot. The bot is not playing to make its own money. It's playing to make money for a human who wrote the bot. So what would happen is the human would find that I'm doing this and then sit out. You know, He'd walk by the screen and see this and say, oh, my God, <laughs> look what's happening here, and he'd sit out. 
So uh, he actually complained to Bovada, or Bodog at the time, who called me and told me that I can't do this and that they're, you know, they're going to close my account if I continue doing this. And I said, you know, you don't understand. I'm not doing this to cheat. I'm doing this to prove there's a bot. And this is proof positive there's a bot. Like there's no – like look at this guy's stats. You guys can see how much money this guy's won. How can you explain why all these times he played the button like 57 times straight, 21 times straight, 14 times straight, and then sit out as soon as he would uh, uh, notice what I'm pulling? I said I, I did this to prove a point. And yeah, you know, I don't mind getting an edge on a bot because they're breaking the terms of service in the first place. Like I, I don't mind cheating a cheater. So they basically said, look – um, it's between us and them if it's a bot. We don't believe it's a bot. We think your evidence is circumstantial. Tough luck. That's basically what they told me. And I spoke to the Toronto office. I spoke to someone fairly high up there, not just some slug in the Philippines. So there were definitely bots there. And I proved it. So not only were these long-suspected bots by many people who suspected it long before I ever said a word about thinking they were bots, but uh, then I tried that, and, and it worked on him, where any competent player would never let that happen. So I believe there's still bots. I think there are. I think there's bots. I think there might be some collusion. There is. I mean, these things are probably happening, but uh, I don't believe this report. If you want your report to be believed, if it's real, then... Put some data out, put your names behind it, something. This is not sufficient. Got some texts here from the 586 area code. Where are you going out as on Halloween? Well, I am not dressing up on Halloween. I am going out on Halloween to take Benjamin. I don't know. It just feels strange as an adult to dress up when I'm taking my kid. I know some adults do it. But for me, it just uh, it just seems kind of strange. It just seems kind of something I wouldn't want to do. Now, Benjamin, if you recognize this, you know what he wants to be. Benjamin wants to actually be Pac-Man for Halloween. You may remember this song from uh, 1982 called Pac-Man Fever by Buckner and Garcia. Benjamin actually saw me playing Pac-Man on the MAME emulator on my computer. And even though this this, uh, game predates him by almost 30 years, he was very fascinated by it. So the problem is it's not easy to find a Pac-Man costume out there. And I'm not good at making costumes or any stuff like that. So uh, I found a Pac-Man costume and ordered it, but uh, he just decided he wants to be Pac-Man. So it's not clear if that will make it over here in time. But we're trying. We'll see if it's a race to see if the costume makes it over here before Halloween. Otherwise, he'll have to wear a uh, backup costume. So... Benjamin really likes Pac-Man, which I really love Pac-Man. I saw Pac-Man for the first time at my ninth birthday party in 1981. 
the very first time I saw it, we were at a uh, pizza place, and I saw this game, and I'm like, what is this? This looks so cool. It's got a maze, it's got these dots, and this thing that eats them, and these ghost-looking things that chase you, and I put a quarter in, and I thought this was so cool, and I, I became obsessed with Pac-Man in the, in the coming years. I pretty much got immediately obsessed with Pac-Man, as did most kids my age, you know, 9, 10 years old. Uh, then, you know, I had an Atari 2600, and I heard it was going to come out for Atari. And I was really excited about that until I got it and played it, and then it wasn't so exciting. So, uh, this is kind of what it, what it sounded like. So this sounded and looked really nothing like Pac-Man. That, that's that's Pac-Man on the Atari 2600. Now I'm going to play you Pac-Man. You probably know it anyway, but the way Pac-Man actually sounds, um, this is what Pac-Man actually sounds like. So that's... Uh, That's an example of, of Pac-Man. That's Pac-Man eating the ghosts. So, it's very different sounding and looking. Of course, you can't see the way it looks on the radio. This is when he's trying to eat the ghosts. I mean, it's like nothing like it. And even the scoring was different, which annoyed me, because the, the Pac-Man on Atari, it was, like, cut by a factor of 10, which I didn't understand that at all. Like, what, why change that? Like, how do you get licensed to release Pac-Man and then make the scoring different? I understand if there were limitations on what the Atari could do versus the uh, more advanced arcade machine could do. But why, why make the dots one point in the Atari Pac-Man, and 10 points in the arcade Pac-Man. Like, why do that? Why make it even more different? So everything was, like, cut by a factor of 10. So they get, you got 100 points in Atari Pac-Man. It's really, like, 1,000 in regular Pac-Man. And the dots weren't really dots. They were actually dashes. <laughs> and the ghosts, uh, they were kind of this weird transparent color instead of the... Uh, famed ghosts on the arcade Pac-Man. The arcade Pac-Man had four different ghosts with four different personalities and four different colors. And that, that's what people really liked about Pac-Man was that uh, your opponents had personality. You know, there's Blinky, who was the red one, which is the toughest one. He, he followed you all the time, and he was just really good at tracking you down. Uh, there was Pinky, who was the fastest one, and he was also the second best at tracking you down. There was Inky, who was, who was blue, light blue. And he was kind of okay. He was kind of like the average ghost. Like sometimes he'd be competent, sometimes he wouldn't be. Like Inky would sometimes screw up where he would have you cornered with another ghost and he'd turn the wrong way and you'd get, you'd get by him. But other times he'd be pretty good and get at you. And then there was Clyde, the orange one. And Clyde, uh, he just kind of moved randomly around there. He, was, uh, he wasn't very focused. Clyde, you didn't have to worry that much if he was by you. But if, if Blinky came by you, then you, you were really scared. So uh, the Atari Pac-Man did not have that. The Atari Pac-Man, it was just these white kind of flashing ghosts. And, and then the whole maze was, was also turned upside down too. Like the maze, 
the doors on the maze were on the top and bottom instead of the left and right. It, it was just the whole thing was a fail. And uh, according to the story about Pac-Man on the Atari, they wanted to ship it for the holiday season in 1982. And it was not ready. So they released a prototype. And this was the prototype. And the designer, whose name was also Todd, his name was Todd Fry, he, uh, he was very upset because he knew he was the designer and that uh, he wasn't proud of his product. This was just a prototype. He wanted to make it a lot better. And they wouldn't let him. They forced him to release it the way it was. And it was a big failure. And uh, this, along with a game called E.T., based on the movie, were uh, catalysts to the what's known as the video game crash of 1983 when... Uh, the home video game systems like Atari 2600 just went in the complete toilet and lost a lot of money and uh, really just didn't revive until uh, Nintendo came out. It's a little uh, tangent we went on here. Yeah. You know, sometimes in the chat room there's somebody who goes in, in and out over and over and over and it just creates messages on there. This person entered, this person left. And sometimes I think it's someone trolling, but this time the guy doing it, I know for sure that guy would not be doing that on purpose. This is someone I know in person. So I'm pretty convinced this is something that just happens. There's some bug. So unfortunately you have to get banned when that occurs. My only solution to it is to ban you from the chat room, but it only lasts 24 hours. So that means next week you can come back. But uh, Painless One, who was doing it this week, I assume not on purpose. Uh, you're welcome back next week in the chat room. <laughs> I apologize. Apologies to those of you in the chat room who uh, saw this happening. But he's not doing it on purpose. And I don't know why it's happening. All right, so let's get over to the uh, the next topic. Let's talk about Brian Hastings and Aaron Massey calling out Dwight Pilgrim for scamming. It's an interesting story. Uh, Dwight Pilgrim is a tournament player, as I said before, and again, not to be racist, he's like the the loud, obnoxious black guy. And to be clear, I'm not saying that black guys are loud and obnoxious, but uh, you know the stereotype. In fact, they like to play it up on TV in the movies where you have the black guy going, oh, damn! Things that, You know what I'm talking about here. And uh, he's one of those guys. He's the like, stereotypical, loud, obnoxious black guy. So Dwight Pilgrim, he was a, a World Poker Tour regular some years ago. He won a World Poker Tour title. Um, I have a call. Should I? Yeah, let's take the call. Caller, you are on the air. Huh? Go ahead. Am I on the air? Yeah, nice. Uh, um, nice fake voice. Go ahead. You're speaking of uh, you're speaking of scammers. Where's Brandon Drexler Gerson? Um, Brandon Drexler Gerson is not he's a scammer. Called out on Twitter for being a scammer. Well, he's not a scammer. Well, he got called out on Twitter, didn't he? <laughs> he got called out by somebody who. Uh, has a personal issue with him. But I know all about the situation. He's not a scammer. And uh, if this is the guy who is uh, behind this, uh, you shouldn't be calling in and uh, and doing this here. 
as we've been uh, – I, I thought this was settled. So if you want to call back, uh, use your real voice. And uh, I mean, I, I don't want to get into this much, but uh, I, over a tiny amount of money – and when I say mean tiny, I really mean tiny. <laughs> uh, a longtime friend of Brandon's had a um, – like a personal issue back and forth with him. And uh, so I, I finally said, all right, I'll volunteer to just kind of be the middleman and just solve this, and then you guys can just go your separate ways. And, and both of them agreed. And uh, and when I say a tiny amount of money, I mean tiny. When I say like a like $1,000 is not tiny to me. When I say tiny, I really mean tiny. And there was no scamming involved. Like I... I I learned the whole story. I was kind of thrust into it. <laughs> so so uh, it, it was a, a stupid situation, and it was getting very close to being solved. And uh, if, if the other side there is, is calling into the show and doing this, that's in very bad taste because uh, I put my time into solving this, what is completely a personal matter between two people and not about scamming or anything like that. So anyway, uh, and by the way, if you want to make a call like that, use your real voice. I, I don't care if you want to call up the show and make a funny prank call with a voice like that, but don't, don't accuse Brandon of being a scammer with a funny voice like that, with a voice changer, you know, be yourself. So, uh, believe me, if, uh, if Brandon was actually scamming people and I was made aware of it, I, I wouldn't cover that up. I don't care who it is. So, yeah, someone, uh, tried to bring me into it. Uh, I looked at both sides of the matter. When I found out the amount of money involved, I couldn't believe <laughs> the amount of money involved. And uh, and then I figured out it has nothing to do with, with scamming or anything like that. It was just a personal thing back and forth. Which was about to be solved today. Uh, so, let's move on with, with Dwight Pilgrim. Uh, Dwight Pilgrim, as I said, is a World Poker Tour regular from back in the day. Well, Brian Hastings called him out. Brian Hastings tweeted the following. I put Dwight Pilgrim in a few tournaments in August and September 2015. He chopped the Parks Casino $1,000 buy-in and claimed he had to wait for the payout. And then Hastings posted a bunch of text messages back and forth of uh, Pilgrim basically stalling him regarding paying him and making up a bunch of excuses of why he can't give him the money. At one point saying, I swear on my life it's nothing shady, just the process of waiting for the ID. 
And, uh, you know, as always goes with these situations where someone is uh, stiffing you on the tournament stake, they, they'll make excuses, 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 and then they kind of just uh, disappear on you. So uh, Hastings did want to clarify he owes me a fairly small amount, but his story is BS. Don't let him scam you. Then, just in case you wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt that maybe there's something weird going on with his ID or whatever that's holding up the payment, uh, Aaron Massey, who's known as uh, Never Miss Massey on Twitter, said, uh, Dwight Pilgrim stole money from me and my friends. I'm going public about the situation because he refuses to pay me back. So a second person spoke up, and he said, and uh, Aaron went on to say, Dwight Pilgrim stole a large amount of money from me in 2013. He also stole money from two other friends of mine. I've tried for nearly three years to collect, and he refuses to pay his debt. I even helped him out several times after he scammed me uh, because I I wanted to, and it's kind of cut off there. Screen capture I'm seeing. Uh, He recently threatened my life. Uh, because he didn't like the way I was talking to him when I was asking for my money back. I've considered taking legal action, but haven't. I'll soon write up the Phil's full story and launch the article publicly since it's clear I won't be paid. So this is common. When when someone is called out publicly for scamming or for uh, stiffing people on payments, you get others to come out of the woodwork and say, oh, yeah, well, this person got me too. A lot of times people are quiet when someone owes them money because they're afraid – Once they blow the person up, they've lost their only leverage. They are afraid once you call the person out publicly and ruin their rep, now they're really going to be pissed and not pay you. The funny thing is that's not actually true. When you call someone out publicly for not paying you, they are more likely to pay you because they want to make it look like they're making it right and it was all misunderstanding. Whereas if you keep quiet, they feel they can stiff other people. There's no pressure on them. Or if you put pressure individually, they're willing to take the pressure. They just don't want the whole public coming down on them. They don't want the whole public knowing, and they're not loaning them money in the future. So it's actually publicizing these things actually helps you. That's why if people owe you money, I suggest you do it. Now, if it's a really close friend who you don't want to lose the friendship with, they happen to be falling on hard times, even if they were irresponsible about it or didn't uh, treat you the way they should, if you still want to keep the friendship, then yeah, you probably shouldn't call them that publicly. But uh, otherwise, you should. Otherwise, you shouldn't protect these people unless they're making a sincere effort to pay you. If they're, you know, they're paying you installments every month, even small installments, fine. But uh, if, if it's clear they're not paying you and making excuses, you might as well call them out. So Aaron Massey was inspired to do this by uh, Brian Hastings calling him out. And I, I think that's uh, a legitimate uh, action on the part of Aaron Massey, of course. And this is often what happens. It's like a snowball effect. I mean, this is what happened to Eric Lindgren. There have been whispers for years, whispers for years, that uh, Eric Lindgren owed people money. But no one really said it publicly until finally it started coming out on 2 Plus 2 in a, in a thread about uh, fantasy football. And then a waterfall of people <laughs> came over the side, over the ledge, with Eric Lindgren owing the money stories. But let's look at the two people who we know of so far that are victims of Dwight Pilgrim. We have Brian Hastings. Now, do you feel sorry for Brian Hastings? Do you feel sorry for Brian Hastings? You shouldn't. This is karma. 
Brian Hastings has done a lot of unethical things in poker over the years. Uh, first, he was involved in uh, some shady behavior against Isildur on full tilt at Nosebleed Stakes Poker, where, where basically uh, he and others were pooling data that they had on Isildur and studying the data together and then playing together on one account. So it's, it's kind of reverse multi-accounting. Multi-accounting is where uh, one person uses multiple accounts. This was really more like uh, multi-people on one account, all playing together and, and cooperating together on analyzing data on this one particular opponent. Now, some people said, hey, that's not cheating. Everybody has a right to data mine and analyze. But uh, a lot of people thought, hey, that's kind of shady. You know, when, when Isildur was playing people, he thought he's playing one person, not a group of people who are putting their heads together to beat him. And if he knew that, he probably wouldn't have played them. But it got much worse with Brian Hastings. Uh, this year, Brian Hastings was traditionally multi-accounting. He purchased an account on PokerStars of a known fish, a known high-stakes fish, and then played people who were excited to play this fish, and in reality they were playing the very good Brian Hastings who clobbered them. Because, number one, people who were used to the style of this fish were calling down a lot more and, and just playing completely differently against him than they would Hastings. And second, a lot of these people would not have played this person in the first place if they knew they were playing Hastings. So this was bad in two ways. This was worse than just coming up with a completely new account to hide under. That's bad, too, to get action, to make a new account and hide under it and get action that way. But to play under a known fish's account is much worse because people are actually making an attempt to play that guy and are playing that guy with a different belief of the skill level and the play style. And you get a lot more action on hands from people who, if they believe that you're that fish. And it took a while for people to realize that. So a lot of money was lost. And this was, uh, this was proven. This definitely happened. This is not a rumor. This happened earlier this year. Uh, another shady thing Hastings did, not quite as bad as the multi-accounting, but a little related to it, is he told people that he had not been playing the games that he had actually been playing. He claimed that uh, he was very rusty at mixed games and he hadn't played them in a very long time and uh, really wasn't very good at them, when in reality he was crushing the mixed games under that fish's account on PokerStars. So had people been able to observe Hastings playing as himself or look up his stats, they wouldn't have made these bracelet event- these bracelet bets with him, perhaps. Uh, but they made it with the belief when he told them that he hasn't been playing when he really had been, and then, lo and behold, he won the bracelet. And he won a lot of money in those bracelet bets. The worst thing about Hastings was that he was not apologetic about this. He was very arrogant. He was very defiant. It was almost like he was proud of what he did. He mocked people on Twitter. He insulted those who called him out. He also sent private messages before this all blew up and basically was using a really, really obnoxious line of logic of why none of this should be publicized. He was saying, don't publicize this because it will hurt poker as a game. Poker already has a bad enough reputation. So if you care about poker, you're not going to publicize this about me. Can you believe that? It's, a, it's almost like a, a comedy. A, you'd see this like in a sitcom on TV. Like, hey, I, I thought you liked poker, so uh, you, you don't want poker to look bad, do you? You better keep quiet. <laughs> Come on. So I don't feel a bit sorry for Hastings. 
I believe Pilgrim probably did rip him off. Unfortunately, not for very much money. I wish that the it was reversed. I wish that Aaron Massey was ripped off for the small amount of money, and that uh, Hastings got hit for the big amount of money. I mean, I'd rather nobody get rips off. But uh, but Hastings, like I have zero 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 sympathy for Hastings. I have absolutely zero sympathy for Hastings. Zero point zero. Zero point zero sympathy for Hastings. This guy is a cheater. He's arrogant and defiant about it. He gets caught and doesn't apologize. He bashes people who call him out for what he's actually done. He... I mean... uh, (laughs) He he tells people not to call him out for what he did because it'll hurt poker. That his shadiness should be kept secret so, so poker can not have a bad reputation. I mean, this is just such a unlikable guy when you see what he's done. So Hastings, I don't feel a bit bad for. Now, Aaron Massey, as far as I know, Aaron Massey has uh, never done this before in any way. When I say this, I mean, he's never scammed anyone or ripped off anyone in any way. If he has, I don't know about it. So as far as I know, Aaron Massey is an honest guy. And if an honest guy gets scammed, that's bad. So unlike uh, Hastings, where I kind of laugh when the scammer gets scammed, when the cheater gets cheated, uh, with, with Massey, he didn't deserve it. Hastings deserved it. Massey did not. And Massey, unfortunately, was a bigger victim. However... I do want to tell you, I don't feel that bad for Massey just because he was a jerk to me. <laughs> I'll just be honest with that. Like, I'm not saying he deserves to be scammed because he was a jerk to me, because he doesn't. But also, uh, if you don't like someone, you don't feel terrible for them when something bad happens to them. Like, I, I wouldn't want something awful to happen to him. I don't want Aaron Massey to, to get injured or, or seriously ill or die. I, I don't want that stuff to happen to him. I don't, I don't want him to... Uh, you know, go broke and lose all his money. But, but uh, you know, the guy was kind of a jerk to me at the World Series. So just as I wouldn't expect anyone to have sympathy for me when I hit upon hard times, uh, if they don't like me personally, uh, I don't have that much sympathy for Massey. But at the same time, I feel he should not have been scammed and he didn't deserve to be scammed because he's never scammed anyone himself, as far as I know. So uh, in that way, he really got screwed. Uh, now, why don't I like Massey? Well, I didn't have an opinion of the guy. I didn't even know him. I knew who he was, but I didn't know him until this year's event number 55. It was actually the one where I ran the deepest in this year. I ran, I got to 40th place out of like 1,100-something people. That was the one where I was rivered all-in for a huge pot, right? Ace-King suited, all-in pre-flop against King-Queen suited, both flopped a king and a queen hit the river. So I busted that. I was crippled down to almost nothing, busted the next hand, and went out in 40th place in the uh, what was known as the DraftKings 50-50 event, which, which by the way, won't be the DraftKings 50-50 event next year if it comes back for obvious reasons. But uh, that was the one where 50% of the people get paid, and uh, I finished 40th place, so I didn't even need that 50% of the field payout. It actually hurt me. But Aaron Massey was at one of my early tables, and uh, he, he was on the other side of the table. We weren't talking at all. 
just because we were on the other side of the table and we didn't really know each other. But this is what happened. Uh, he limped in early position, which I was surprised about because I don't see like good, young, aggressive players doing that. So I was surprised to see Aaron Massey limping in early position. So he limped, then like two or three others limped, and I was either on the button or, or in the cutoff, but somewhere very late position. And I looked down and saw some of hand like Jack 8 offsuit, which really doesn't play very well in that spot. Like, you know, you, yeah, you want to go in there like with a 6-7 suited or yeah, queen jack, 9-10. I mean, these are all hands that uh, can play well in that type of spot where it's limp, 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 limp. But jack-8 jack offsuit really isn't. That just gets dominated. Uh, you know, it, there's a lot of ways that jack-8 offsuit can really cost you a lot of money and not make you very much. So I just don't like that hand in that spot. So, yeah, I mean, I, I could have limped in and maybe fluked into some sort of hand and won a lot of chips, but it, it seemed much more likely the other way they would just get me into trouble. So he went limp, then the other few people limped, and then I look at it, and I, so I sit out loud. Hmm. Oh, this is kind of weird. Okay, I'm confused. I don't know what to do, and I threw it away. I said something like that. I did not say something like, oh, Massey, you must have aces, or, oh, wow, you never do that. I, I, I made no comment about him personally. I just said, this is kind of weird. I'm confused. I don't know what to do and threw it away. That could mean a lot of things. I mean, yeah, an observant player would know I'm talking about Massey's open limp, but an observant player uh, wouldn't need me to say that to recognize the same thing that I am. So I'm not giving anything away. Like, I understand why Massey would be bothered if I said this to alert the fish at the table. Like, huh, he wouldn't do that unless he has aces. Well, I'm throwing this away. I could totally understand why he'd be pissed about that, but that's not what I said. I said... This is kind of weird. I'm confused. I don't know what to do. I'm folding. So he went off on me. He was so pissed. He tells me, I didn't have what you thought I had. Shut up and be a professional, he says to me. And I responded to him. I I, I tried not to escalate this into like a pissing match. I, I said, Look, you know, I just said it was weird. I wasn't trying to uh, give away anything or, or uh, comment on your hand. He, he, and so he started going off more about uh, how you know, I should know better. I should know I should never comment in a hand I'm not in. And I was in the hand. That's why I commented before I folded. I wasn't commenting while the hand was going on after I was gone. Just kind of like a playful comment. Like, huh, this is weird. All right, throw like, I'll make comments occasionally before I fold. Never, I'll never make a comment like, I think you have this when there's other players in the hand. If it's just me and them, I'll say something. But, you know, I'll never say this. I'll never give away something like that. But I may say, oh, whoa. Or, oh, boy, this is weird. And like, I'll say that occasionally. But there's nothing wrong with saying that. And as I said, what I said gives away nothing. Anyone who knows what I'm talking about when I say that already understands the situation without me saying a word. So I didn't want to be in a whole debate with him about this. I just I let him go off on me, you know, after I responded once and he continued going off. I just let him say his piece and I just didn't say anything. And it wasn't because I was scared of him or anything. I just uh, I just didn't want to create a confrontation over this. I was just like, okay, whatever. You know, like, okay, you know, he's mad about this. I'll just let him uh let him make a statement and that's it. And if he drops it, I'll drop it after that. And so he he didn't talk about it again after that. He just didn't say another word to me the whole time. But I felt the way 
you know, he acted towards me there was really over the top and inappropriate. And it's not like I was doing that the whole tournament. If I if I'd been doing that the whole time, every time we're in a hand making commentary, I understand him saying something there. I that was the only time that I had done that in any hand that uh, not only he was in, but anyone was in. Because like if a fish limps, I'm not going to say anything like that. Because a, a fish limping could be a lot of things, and a, I'm definitely never going to call attention to a fish. Like I'm never going to make anything, any comment that a fish could ever realize that their play is uh, is different. I don't want to teach the fish anything. But I know I'm not teaching Aaron Massey anything. So anyway, uh, whether you think I was wrong or right with making the comment I did, uh, it's it didn't deserve the uh, the nasty response I got. It was way over the top. So that's why I don't really like Aaron Massey very much personally. I, I felt he was a jerk to me, but I, I don't wish bad things on it. But, you know, when, when when I hear he got scammed, I go, oh, he's such a nice guy. Oh, I wish this didn't happen to Aaron. No, I don't think that because I, when I hear his name, I think of how he was a jerk to me at the World Series without good reason. But, you know, I don't wish bad things for him, but at the same time, it's a little hard to feel sympathy. So when I said that at first on the forum, some people got mad at me and said that, uh, hey, this is poker fraud alert. How, can you, how dare you say that about someone who has never scammed anyone, like how can you say that uh, you don't have sympathy for them? And I said, well, let me clarify. I, like, I, I don't think he should have been scammed. I don't wish he was scammed. I don't think he deserves it. Uh, it's it just, it's hard to feel personal sympathy for someone who I just don't care for that much. So that's the story. And that's really what happened. And like, I don't see him as an enemy of mine or anything. I just didn't appreciate the way I was treated there. And just to let you guys know, I don't, I don't go off on people at the table. I don't. Like, even if they do something that, that irritates me, unless it's repeated, I don't say anything about it. Or if I say something, I'm polite about it. I'll never say something like, shut up and play like a professional. Now, if someone's being malicious and being you know, really nasty to me, then yeah, they'll respond back. But I'm not, I don't ever berate people unless they really, really deserve it. Uh, so it doesn't surprise me that Dwight Pilgrim turned out to be this way uh, did I know he was a scammer? no, did I suspect it? no but uh, at the same time It doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me when any of these tournament guys who kind of appear out of nowhere, hit some big scores, and then hang around for years, it doesn't surprise me to find out they're broke because it, it happens. The problem with tournaments is that it requires big scores to stay in action. So if you don't hit the big scores, then you lose. I felt this this year at the World Series, that I ran deep in two events very deep in one of the events, the one I just described. And I lost this year at the World Series. Partially because the bigger buy-in events, the 10K limit and the main event I didn't cash. And partially because it's so bottom-heavy. Or sorry, not bottom-heavy, I mean, so top-heavy to where even if you run fairly deep, if you don't make the final table, you just don't get very much money. So really a few hands can dictate the difference between you making a ton of money in a tournament and making very little money. I think about, hey, if that queen didn't fall, 
in that all-in. I could, I could have been the winner in that tournament. I could have taken home $208,000, whatever the hell it paid. Uh, instead, I took home 4200 Huge difference. Now, I'm not saying if I won the hand that I would have won the tournament, but I, I would have had above-average chips with 40 left. Anything could have happened. The guy who won it had a somewhat similar style to mine. So you never know. Now, I got lucky er- earlier in that day where I should have been out twice and, and uh, got some big hits in all-in situations. So I can't complain about my luck in that in that tournament, but I'm just saying that in tournaments, you need to have luck to stay alive unless you're one of the really, really elite tournament players. There are really, really elite tournament players who are so good that uh, they can overcome the variance. But there's very few. And most of the other tournament players you see that seem to be living high on the hog and winning a lot, that it's short-lived. And they go in the toilet and you don't hear anything about them for years. And you kind of forget because you don't read the news and see Dwight Pilgrim lost again. Dwight Pilgrim entered a big tournament and didn't cash. Dwight Pilgrim just entered a 10K tournament and bricked. Like, you don't see that. You just see who won. So you kind of forget that Dwight Pilgrim really exists. You don't have in your mind, oh, I wonder how Dwight Pilgrim's doing until you hear his name and go, huh, how come I heard about him so much a few years ago and I don't hear about him anymore? Is he not playing? And then you look up and he has been playing. (laughs) You're like, wow. Well, that's... uh, not looking very good for him. And then sure enough, he's broke. And sure enough, he's been backed by people. And sure enough, he's been stiffing the backers. So, someone asked in chat, do two wrongs make a right? And I've, I've talked about this before. Is it okay to scam a scammer? And we're, of course, we're talking about Hastings. And I'm not saying that Pilgrim ripped off Hastings because he knew Hastings was dishonest himself. That's not why he did it. Pilgrim did it for the same reason he did it to Massey, who seems to be an honest guy, in that he just did it because he could. But is it okay if you know someone is cheating to cheat them? Well, if it's someone who has cheated others, like let's say you're, you're playing against Chino Ream and you find a way to cheat him, now, if you cheat him and then go hand the money back to other people he owes, that is noble. But if you cheat him and keep the money, well, that's questionable if he doesn't already owe you money. If you cheat him to get back money he owes you, that's great. If you cheat him just to keep money yourself and say, yeah, he deserves it, he's a cheater, that's a little different because it's you, it's you inserting yourself for your own personal gain uh, into a situation that doesn't involve you. Uh, but at the same time, uh, if someone is attempting to cheat you and then you cheat them back, and end up ahead of them, then that's fine. Uh, Some of you might have heard about those who troll the Nigerian scammers. This, of course, has nothing to do with poker, but those Nigerian scammers who say, you know, you've... I need you to help me move 100 million out of the country. I just need you to send me these processing fees so we can get this out of here, and then I'll scammers time by pretending to be interested. But some who've actually cheated the scammers by making it appear they're so interested and so willing to send them money that they convince the scammers to send them money first for such and such thing. And, uh, you know, something like, uh, well, I can't access this money until I, I go over to, you know, you know, my, my uncle just died, but I got to go where my uncle lived and, and, uh, and, and, 
receive the inheritance over there, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, you know, send me $400 and I'll buy a plane ticket to visit my uncle. And then when I see my, you know, when I deal with my uncle's attorney, then I'll, I'll get the money and send it to you. Like things like that. And people would actually scam the Nigerian scammers. Is that wrong? Of course not. You're, you're, you're cheating someone who's setting out to cheat you. And that's why I like with those bots where I was taking the button every time, I would never take the button every time against a legitimate player, even if I get away with it. But uh, against bots that are there to cheat the system in the first place, that are, pretending not to be bots, pretending to be regular players like me, but don't suffer from the same uh, fatigue and memory problems and emotion and everything else that plagues a human player, and they have perfect memory and I don't, of course I'll cheat them if I can. And I'll, and I'll be proud of it, and I'll, I'll keep the money, and that's if you try to cheat me, I will cheat you back. And uh, I, I think that's completely fine. That's, that's what happens if, if you try to scam someone and they get you back, then that's uh, some of the risk you take of being a scammer. Caller, you're on the air. Hello. All righty. Nothing. Great calls today. We have the, the voice changer with the false accusations against Brandon, and then we have the, uh, the non-talker. Good calls tonight. 775-FRAUD-55. 775-372-8355. Those are the phone numbers to call. So, let's go on to the next topic. Let's talk about, uh, I think it's DraftKings in the next topic. Well, you know what? I'm going to do lighter topic before we get to DraftKings. I will talk about Christian Lusardi, who... Uh, Hello. Talk about Christian Lusardi. <laughs> I don't know what that was. I think I accidentally called someone. Did they called me or I called them? I don't know what happened here. If you were trying to call in, uh, call back in from the 979 area. I, I either called someone accidentally or they called me. <laughs> if I called you, I apologize. I don't know how that happened. So Christian Lusardi, if you don't recognize the name, is the guy who cheated at the Borgata tournament with the counterfeit chips. And he was caught after smuggling over a million dollars in tournament chips to the Borgata and running up a huge stack with these counterfeit chips. He was caught when he had extra chips that uh, he needed to get rid of that he didn't have to use. And he wanted to get rid of them. And you would think there's a lot of ways to get rid of them. You just drive by a dumpster and put them in a bag and throw it in there or uh, you know, drop it in a trash can at a fast food place. Or even in Atlantic City, go out into the ocean and make the bag really heavy and just drop it in there. But no, uh, Christian Lusardi decided to get rid of those chips by uh, doing this. <laughs> Yes, he flushed them down the toilet. That's what he did. That's what he did. He flushed it down the toilet. A whole lot of poker chips he flushed down the toilet, which then clogged the plumbing at Harrah's, where he was staying in Atlantic City. And then when the plumbing was clogged, they got their plumbers. The plumbers could not figure out why the pipes were all clogged up. They opened up the pipes. All these chips fell out. 
And they go, what the hell is this? And they saw that these were Borgata chips, or at least they said Borgata on them, called the Borgata. What's this about? And they realized that this must have been some form of cheating. And they looked up who was playing in that tournament and whose toilets were on that line where it got clogged. And they figured out Christian Lusardi, the day one chip leader, was right there in the room where those chips came from through the toilet. So it didn't take a genius to put together what happened, and he was arrested. It also really ruined the whole tournament because by the time they realized this, it was deep into the tournament. They had to pause it. It was a whole mess. Uh, It caused a lot of damage. The prize pool in that tournament was over a million dollars, and they they had a really hard time figuring out what to do from that point. Players really got screwed. I'm not going to go into that whole story again. But uh, Christine Lusardi was then arrested, and the prosecution for this took some time. Now, it was 100% he did this. Not only did they find those chips in the toilet, but they also found evidence that uh, he had gone onto a site called Alibaba and purchased these chips and told them what design he wanted. So it it was 100% him. No question about that. He was 100% guilty. Uh, But what happened was that they did not prosecute him for this until recently, even though this happened a while ago, because they wanted to prosecute him first for another counterfeiting case. The Christian Lusardi had been pirating DVDs and not just pirating them like downloading them and watching them, but he was selling them. So he had a DVD sales scheme where he would just copy DVDs and sell them as if he has the rights to sell them. And they caught him for that, and they wanted to prosecute that first before prosecuting this case. Hang on, caller. And they wanted to get a conviction there first, so this way they could treat him as an existing felon. Hang on. Hello. Yeah, hang on. And they could treat him as an existing felon when they prosecuted him for the Borgata chip counterfeiting and cheating. And get him a stiffer sentence. And uh, it was fine because he was actually doing this with the DVD stuff before he was doing the Borgata thing. So it was an existing crime that was taking place before the Borgata thing. So it was fine to try them in that order. Uh, Caller, you're on the air. Yes. How are you? Is this Delaware? Yes. I just uh, was listening to... uh to what you said that you would cheat somebody if they cheated you. You wouldn't do that. Yes, I would. I, I, I would do it because if you're trying no, to set out to... No, you wouldn't. It's not your style. Well, you may say that, but look, I, I'm someone who believes that you're only deserving of uh, proper treatment from me if you treat me well. And so I've never positioned myself as a saint who would never do anything outside the lines. I, I try to treat everyone fairly. So I, I'm never going to cheat anyone in poker if I'm, or in anything else. If I'm playing them, I'm never going to cheat them. But if you're trying to cheat me, if you're trying to do something to me to stiff me in some way, then of course I'm going to stiff you back because uh, that, that's what you get for trying to cheat me. And I have no sympathy. Just like you I wouldn't I, get up from the table and just leave no, no. That's why with those bots, I found it satisfying that those bots were getting away with cheating people for all this time. And those bots are cheating by, you know, masquerading as human players and, and beating them in that fashion. And uh, I, I felt satisfying to get some of my money back from these bots that had been beating me by uh, by taking the button against them every time by exploiting a weakness that they had when because bots should not have been there in the first place. I would never take advantage of this 
like, like let's say there was a, a good player who was just really drunk one night and just would let me get away with this. I would never do that to him because that's cheating and that's wrong. And no matter how drunk or high somebody is, they would not deserve for me to cheat them like that. But if they're trying to break the rules to basically steal money from me or cheat money, cheat me out of money. And in the process of them doing it, I can make it backfire and get money out of them. Yeah, I'll do it because I feel that that's deserved. And if you want to be treated honestly like by me, then don't try to cheat me. If you cheat me, then you're risking it's going to backfire. And that's I think is fair. And I, I don't take the high road. I've never taken the high road. If someone tries to do something to me, I will do it back to them. And I don't. Uh, and I don't. I've never felt bad about that, as long as I'm really certain that they. Ten years, over ten years. Uh, you've never done anything to anybody or talked about it. Well, I haven't because, I, I, as I said, I don't cheat people. That's why you haven't heard of any scandals involving me because I don't cheat people never. in poker. I, I don't, I don't stiff them out of money. But, but, but this is different. I was, I was taking the button over and over against oh, bots. Bots, yeah, I understand about bots. Well, there you go. That's what I'm saying. That a bot is a cheater and someone who's trying to cheat me in some other way. Uh, I, I, well, I've, it's, uh, somebody put that bot in there. Yeah, that's the point. That, that, right. Someone put the bot in there, and that and they're trying to cheat me through the use of a bot. So if I can play that bot heads up and, and cheat it back, then tough luck on them. They shouldn't be trying to cheat me with bots. Similarly, we, we had an issue on, on the previous site that I used to be part of, that Donk Down site. People say I won't say it by name, but Donk Down, which is really like a non-site now. But we had an issue there where a web designer that we had hired uh, tried to cheat us. And uh, what had happened was they weren't doing good work, and we made a very fair and generous offer to them that we were going to pay them most of what we had promised anyway, even though they didn't really come through with what they promised. Just just because they, right. they put effort in, they just couldn't get it done and for whatever reason. They kind of misrepresented how good they were. So we said, all right, fine. We're, we're going to pay you most of what we uh, offered to pay. So you give them a courtesy. Right. And, and, and so they were willing to accept that. They said, fine, and we thought everything was good, and we paid them. And and then they said uh, – we said, wait a minute. Um, it, it turned out that uh, one of the other partners on Donk Down, not me, did something stupid. And it wasn't Mike on, by the way. But one of the other partners paid them in advance for some search engine optimization work, which we which they hadn't started yet. So they hadn't done a bit of that work. They were just paid in advance stupidly by one of the other partners in Donk Down. So – we demanded that money back in full because we said, hey, we already paid you that, but you didn't even start the work yet. And obviously, since we're ending the whole job, we're not even starting the SEO job. So please give us that money back. Well, the guy had the nerve to say, I'm sorry, there's a cancellation fee for that of 50%. And we couldn't believe it. We were never told about this cancellation fee. We never agreed to it. The guy never did a stitch of work for the SEO. He was just trying to be a jerk and keep this extra money after we already were nice and paid him for most of the job that we couldn't use. So I was furious about this, and we, we you know, tried to reason with him. The guy was just a complete ass about it and just said, no, a, a kill fee, he called it. It's very standard in the industry, tough luck. So um, we realized that it was paid with an American Express card, and we realized American Express actually has a very uh, uh, – Long time that they give you to do chargebacks. Most other credit cards make you charge back within 60 days. Uh, this American Express gives a much longer time. Uh, so we charged the whole thing back, not just the part that we paid for the uh, uh, for the SEO work, which we were definitely entitled to, but uh, but the part we had agreed to pay, we charged that back too. We charged everything back to where if we were successful, they'd get zero. Well, we got the message back. 
from uh, American Express. Yes, you've been approved. The chargeback is valid. We have taken all their money back and given it back to you. So the guy got nothing for the whole job. And he was furious, and he, he, you know, he messaged us saying, what the hell, guys, you cheated us. You, know, you, you promised you were going to give us uh, you know, whatever you were going to give us, you know, three-quarters, whatever we agreed to give for the job that was being done. You took that back, yeah, too. I so a, so, so, so he said you, you did question, that. He, he said you, you agreed to this. Now you took it back from us. It was what? a very simple question. Yeah. It was the HUDs and these information centers that they have. I, I yeah. told a manager, whatever they are. That will actually give your information to other people. Everybody sitting at that table, you can know about yes. those people yeah. and how they're playing, how they're doing, and things like that. Do you? Would you? Do you? You don't think that is? Do you think that is correct? Or no, incorrect? I don't like them. I wish they were. I wish they didn't exist. I think they should all be disallowed. I don't like that. In other them. words, if you can't remember it in your own mind, yeah. you're not supposed to have No, no, because it's, it's computer assistance. For, right, it's computer assistance. It's not part of the poker game. You can somebody if you've got that kind of That's what I'm saying. I, I, don't, I don't like those. And it's, it's unfortunate that those have kind of invaded poker. And uh, I hope that uh, – and it seems to be going this direction. I hope that all the poker sites eventually make these against the terms of service to the point where if you're caught using one, they just shut down your account and take your money and refund it to your opponents. That's what they should do because I, I don't like these. I, I think these are uh, giving certain people an unfair advantage. And uh, it's not as bad as using a bot, but it's still, it's still giving you kind of superhuman powers of memory and data analysis yeah. that, that you yeah. don't have. And I don't think that's part of the game. It, should, it shouldn't be whoever has I, the best. I mean, would I want to use it? Would I want to have it if I could understand how to do it? Hell yeah, well, I'd that's, want it. Yeah, that's the problem is that you feel that if you don't use it, then uh, and if everybody else at the table is, then you're at a disadvantage. So that's why I think they should just do away with the whole thing where nobody's allowed I'm just to use old it. Old and I can't remember <laughs> know how to do different stuff like that. But yeah, I can I can read what that says. I know how good you are. If I can read how good you are, yeah. I don't, see, I don't like yeah, I don't like those things. So I, I I've never been a fan of those type of things. I think they should just be completely. But removed. I'm 68 years old. <laughs> if I'm 78 years old. There'll never be the day that I'd believe that she would intentionally do anything that was, you've never one time in 10 years uh, uh, promoted a site. Never. Well, yeah, that's that's what I've I said. I mean, you want to play there, play there. I can't. I'm not telling you too much about. Well, you know, I'll say this I, about I promoting. If if a site came around that wanted to sponsor Poker Fraud Alert, and I didn't see any evidence of any wrongdoing that they had. Uh, then yes, I, I would allow them to advertise here uh, because you know it's, it'd be nice to have the site sponsored, make some money. But how do get through you? I mean, uh, I mean, they'd have to prove that what they are is what they are. Well, I, I'd have to have if some. If they ain't done it in ten years, you're not going to do it easily. Yeah, well, I've got, I have gotten a lot of offers from shady casinos of, uh, you know, run this ad and we'll give you this much money. And I, I know nothing about the casino, and it looks like it's probably shady. And I say absolutely not. And then, or I'll say to them, well, I, I know that a, a site that you endorsed, that's the site I want to go to. Well, I appreciate that because nobody has to know nothing about you except the fact you was a world champion, and you've got no cheat in you. Yeah, well, thank I mean, you. I that, that, that site is clean. Well, thank if you. If you okay it. 
Yeah, thank you. I mean, that's a, uh, I, I've I always mean, thought I that he should. I, I felt that I should be. I think you're worth a fortune. Well, okay. Thank you. I I would like. I'd actually like to be like a poker room manager on one of these upcoming legalized sites, and I think that would, for people who are aware of who I am in the poker community, even those who don't like me that much, uh, would admit that I'd you probably be good. Wants to play with you. They, you're they, no gift. But no, I'm not saying play. I'd say I'd be like a manager of the, the poker room manager. I would like to have one of those oh, jobs yeah. because because I would. I, I would be open and honest with the players. I would always have a door open policy to where if anyone has a major problem, they could bring it to me and I could solve it and that uh, I wouldn't BS people and I wouldn't continue working for a site that was not treating the players right. And, and I think people would know that and I think they'd get the, the best service possible and, and uh, sensible answers from me that they don't normally get from a customer service model. And uh, so, right. uh, so I, I – and not only that, I have some various ideas that I think would really uh, – work well at poker rooms that haven't been tried before yet, so I have that to bring to the table, too. And I also have a software background, so I have a lot to bring to it. I just, for some reason, uh, those yeah, jobs aren't, amazing. they're not that it's easy to come amazing. by, so so whatever. But, I would want to. I yeah. mean, I'm not stupid. I would want to. Yeah, I, saw, I, I really would think that there would be a number of people that just, knowing my, my history in poker, if I were to be involved with a room like that, they'd say, hey, I want to play there. I would think that would be some value. Yeah, I would, I would, I would see the traffic jump. Okay. Well. Okay. Well. Thank uh, you. Now you got to spend a couple of dollars and get those card players and those books and let them know who in the hell is here. And he's he's uh he says this site is a good site. Yeah. They're coming. The people are going to come to you. Okay. Well. You, you might not know them, but not many people don't know you. Okay. Well, thank you, Delaware. We're going to move on with the show here, but I, th- I appreciate your call. Okay, and uh, you, uh, you, uh, good luck to you, and uh, keep up the good work. Okay. Thank you for your call. That's Delaware, a, a legend from these forums, going back to Neverwin Poker. Sixty-eight years old. At one point, we thought he died. We really did. Uh, we really thought that Delaware had passed on because he just vanished. We even made an attempt to find him, and it it just seemed like he was gone, and then he just reappeared. And at first when he reappeared, we thought maybe it was a fake, that someone was pretending to be him. But uh, no, it was really him. Still alive, still well. So he says some nice things about me there. I appreciate that. And Slow Roll saying in chat that American Express is amazing with chargebacks. They allowed me to charge back UB deposits when I sent them evidence of the cheating scandal. Wow, that's pretty good. <laughs> I wish I deposited with American Express to UB. Jeez. I didn't, though. All right, so going back to Christian Lusardi, he got uh, he got sentenced. He just got sentenced for uh, the second trial, the one where he was trialed for the cheating with the counterfeit chips. And he got five years, five years plus restitution. This actually made the news all over the country. This made Yahoo News. This made uh, AP This made uh, various news broadcasts around the country that had nothing to do with where he was from or Atlantic City. Uh, But uh, Lusardi, who's the same age as me, 43, he's from North Carolina. He pled guilty to trademark counterfeiting and criminal mischief. 
and uh, he he got uh, five years plus four hundred sixty three thousand dollars in restitution plus another ninety four hundred dollars <laughs> to fix the toilet. <laughs> I guess uh, he had to pay for the toilet fixing as well. Nine thousand for that, Christian. <laughs> yep, that was the clogged toilet there that Christian has to pay ninety four hundred dollars to fix. Uh, so he has to pay a total of uh, four hundred seventy three thousand. Let's face it, he's not going to pay that. <laughs> I mean, what's he going to do? Pirate more DVDs to get that money? This guy really has no way to make money other than scamming. So good luck collecting that from him. Uh. He has been sentenced to five years in prison. How much of that time will he actually serve? I don't know. Probably two and a half years is my guess, maybe two years. He's not a violent offender, and provided he behaves well in prison, which I imagine he would, he'll probably get out in less than half the time. Maybe the fact that he has a prior reduces his ability to be released as early, but probably not. I don't know exactly how that works. With federal prison But uh, Yeah some people are saying Well this is too harsh you know, Five years in prison that's too harsh For someone who just cheats in a poker tournament I don't agree This is a, a seven figure problem he caused This is not like The guy next to you looks away And you grab some of the chips out of his stack And put it in yours and they catch you Should you get in trouble for that? Yes Should you get banned from the tournament? Yes should you pay a fine and go to prison for that? Yes. Should you go for five years? No. That's not a five-year offense. Not even close to a five-year offense. But this this was a, a thing that he planned out, bought these chips, smuggled them in. Uh, he ruined the whole tournament. He really ruined the whole tournament. They had to cancel the whole tournament midway. It was a mess. It was a mess. People got screwed. People didn't get what they really should have given uh, where they were in the tournament and how far they'd gotten. People got knocked out by him with chips that he shouldn't have had. It was a mess. He ruined a high-stakes tournament with his actions, intentionally, to enrich himself. And he's a career scammer, apparently. Uh, He sells counterfeit DVDs on the side. This is a a career counterfeiter. So yeah, he should get something like five years in prison. You you don't slap him on the wrist for something like this. And if you don't give someone a harsh sentence for something like this, then there's no incentive not to. If, if, If you do something like this, and the worst thing that happens to you is that you get caught and you go to prison for uh, three months or six months, then it's, it's worth taking the shot to do if you don't mind cheating, if you don't mind the ethical violation of cheating. It's worth doing. So you've got to have a harsh enough penalty where if you try to steal this amount of money, which is what he was trying to do, steal a large sum of money by cheating this tournament and ruining the whole tournament, of course there should be some harsh penalty when he gets caught. You have to have some kind of deterrent in the criminal system. So this is uh, appropriate, especially given that uh, this is not just one stupid thing that he came up with doing where he's otherwise a law-abiding citizen. He was making a living before that by pirating DVDs. And like, I don't think it's the worst thing to go download movies that you don't pay for. I mean, that's a different argument for a different time. But that's, a, that's like a petty theft at worst. But to go sell them, to make your money by selling others' intellectual property rather than just not paying for something you watch is a whole different matter. 
So anyone who's selling things that others have produced that they obtain through illegal means and then sell and keep the money themselves, that's stealing as well. It's a different kind of stealing, but uh, he deserves prison for that as well, too. So this is basically a career criminal. Not a violent criminal, but a career criminal. So yeah, it's an appropriate sentence. I wouldn't have supported like 20 years. That would have been too much, but uh, five years is fine. Five years is totally fine. You're going you're gonna to go into a high-stakes tournament with counterfeit chips and try to ruin it like this and steal such a large prize, screw everyone else out of a lot of money? Yeah. You deserve a pretty harsh punishment if caught. FPS Russia is saying, crazy five years of major restitution and Mikon landed probation. Well, I think Mikon got very lucky with the probation. I mean, he was knowingly breaking the law. But Christian Lusardi was much, much worse than Mikon. Mikon was, was breaking laws to offer poker when he shouldn't. And he had an advantage that nobody else had, that he was running poker with very little competition for U.S. residents because he was willing to break the law and nobody else was. But at the same time, he, he wasn't stealing from anyone. He wasn't cheating anyone. So that's a huge difference. So. Obviously, Christian Lusardi deserved much more of a harsh penalty than Mikon. Though I agree, Mikon got really lucky with the probation and the very small fine he paid. In fact, Mikon got away pretty well because he made a lot of money on seals. And he paid a very small fine and he... Yeah, he has a misdemeanor conviction on his record, but <laughs> and he had to run away to Antigua for a while, but I, I think overall it may have been worth it to him, given what he made. I mean, he went through a lot of stress, but it was his own doing. But I, I don't compare him with Christian Lusardi. Christian Lusardi is a cheater, and, uh, and Mike on isn't. Let's talk about uh, the... Horseshoe Baltimore, and what happened over there, then I'll get into the whole DraftKings thing. DraftKings thing is such, like a, such a long situation. I, I just kind of, I don't want to get into it yet until I cover the small topics that are quicker to talk about. Uh, at the Horseshoe Baltimore, which is a Caesars property, relatively new one, there was an incident. There was an incident where at the Horseshoe Baltimore security attempted to confront an unruly patron. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure what he was doing. But uh, that's what uh, that's what was going on there. Sorry about that. And it didn't go the way that security was hoping it would go. It did not go very well for security. Price. I'm gonna 
Yep. Someone got knocked out at the Horseshoe Baltimore. It was... Only air horseshoe. That's the audio from it. Someone got knocked out, the security guard at the Horseshoe Baltimore. Here it is again. Now the... That you heard, that was actually the security guard. This kind of wide guy with a big fat stomach wearing the yellow security shirt. He gets popped in the face by the perpetrator and he just goes flying back and falls directly backwards onto the hard floor and slaps against it. Boom! And the weirdest thing was that when he hit the ground, his feet stayed kind of up in the air. Not like way up. But almost like he was just trying to do like an exercise, like trying to move his feet like nine inches in the air. They weren't flat on the floor. Like his feet were like nine inches up while the rest of him was flat on the floor. That's how knocked out he was. That his Somehow he was holding his feet up like nine inches off the floor while he's flat on the ground. And he stayed down there for about 45 seconds while people came over to his aid. Now what about the guy who knocked him out? It was one punch. But it was him and one other guy there that the security was trying to confront. And uh, what happened to the two guys who were involved in this? And recall, it was just one guy who punched him. It wasn't two guys attacking him at once. What happened to them? Well, listen to this video, and I'll try to narrate what was happening. Only air That was one of the two perpetrators. Wow, he got knocked the fuck out. Here it is again. I'm sorry, actually it wasn't the one who he got knocked the fuck out. That was actually another patron who had nothing to do with it. He's telling him to get up and to let him do that to you. I for some reason I thought I I just noticed he was saying that. I thought it was one of the perpetrators. Let's listen again. <laughs> a guy approaches the security guard from the side who was just watching this like, damn, you got knocked the fuck out. Get up. You ain't going to let him do that to you. So the amazing thing is while while this guy, while this bystander is saying you got knocked the fuck out, get up, don't let him do that to you. The two guys who did this, they argue a bit with another employee there who kind of keeps his distance from them. And then they just walk off. They don't run off. They walk off. These two guys, one who did the punch, the other his buddy, they just walk off. So that that was the video, 47 seconds long. And when I posted this, someone commented on the forum, well, there's no way those two guys got away with it. Obviously, they must have been intercepted on the way out. They didn't even try to run. They just walked. They just walked off. No. They actually, as far as I know, got away with it, which is amazing. It shows you the crack security they have at the Horseshoe Baltimore uh, that these people could do this, knock out a security guard uh, and get away with it. But 
here's a here's an article from the Baltimore Sun from four days ago. The article the article says Baltimore police said they are investigating an incident caught on tape that shows a man punching a security worker at the Horseshoe Casino. The video surfaced on social media Sunday, showing the guard be being hit once and dropping to the ground, his legs slowly lowering behind him. The clip was widely shared. Since the casino opened last year, a number of fight videos have been posted online, but the representatives of the casino say such incidents remain a rare occurrence. The casino said the individuals involved have been issued lifetime bans, but it was unclear whether anyone had been arrested. Police said they are aware of the video and detectives were investigating. So what does that mean? The, the, the people got banned, but who are they and why have they not been arrested? Clearly, a crime was committed, so why, were they, why didn't the police just go down and arrest these guys? Well, I'll tell you why, because they don't know who they are. How are they banned from the casino? Easy. The casino has video of them and put their picture up in the security areas and with the notice, these two people are not allowed here. If either enters the property, remove them immediately. That's how they've been banned. They've been banned by face, not by name, because it's not known who they are. The police are investigating this because they are trying to look for them. If these people were caught on the way out, then it would say such and such person got arrested. Here's his name. Here's his picture, blah, blah, blah. No. The police are investigating this, which means these guys got away. That's the only way you can read this is these guys got away. So it's amazing at the Horseshoe Baltimore, again, Caesar's property, a new one that opened last year, a guy can punch out a security guard and he and his buddy can stroll out there. They didn't run. They strolled out. Watch the video. Go on YouTube and type in Horseshoe Baltimore knockout or just go to the Poker Fraud Alert YouTube channel. Just type in Poker Fraud Alert on YouTube, and you can look at our channel. You can see this uh, this video. And you'll see the guys just walking away. And they got away. How does that happen? How did someone not alert security to block the doors and not let these guys out? <laughs> they were walking. I found security of these Caesars properties to be pretty lacking especially the ones not in Vegas. At uh, Harris, New Orleans, I had an incident. Fortunately, it was not with, uh, you know, a, a tough guy who hits people in the face. Fortunately, it was with uh, a woman who was crazy, so I wasn't scared of her physically. But uh, I, I did think that she might do something physically, and I had to be ready for that. But, uh, you know, some woman who was just cursing, the machine next to me and just going nuts and it was very distracting to me and other players and uh finally when i told security you know to get rid of her uh then she came up next to me and they told her you know do not come back here you know you can stay in the casino but go somewhere else do not come to this bank of machines leave these players alone and then she came back anyway sat next to me and chanted lose 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 and then they chased her away again, still didn't ban her. And then she came back another time and sat down next to me and said, well, I hope I don't lose while I'm playing here. So I, I called security again. Well, the amazing thing was it was so hard to get security down there. And like I stood up and said, security, 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 come over here. And I didn't want to like leave the machine because there weren't many of the machines I was playing. And if I left, someone actually could have grabbed the machine. 
and I would have been waiting forever to get it back. So I, I couldn't really leave the machine unless it was like an emergency. So, and I didn't want to leave it with money in it, especially with that woman around. So I had to like just stand up there in place and yell for security. I wasn't yelling at the top of my lungs. But I, was, I was saying like, security, security. Nobody came. I even called over to the blackjack. Play. Hey, can you guys get security? They just ignored me. It took like 15 minutes for security to come. So like, what if something terrible was happening? In Vegas, if you do that, they'll be like right over there. So I was shocked at how bad the security was at uh, Harris New Orleans. And, and lo and behold, then this year, later this year, this happened in, uh, in January of this year, my incident. Uh, there was a major fight at the Harris New Orleans poker room where, again, security just stood by and let it happen. And you can find that also on the Poker Fraud Alert channel on YouTube with uh, 235,000 views. So that doesn't speak very well to Horseshoe Baltimore, which is in a bad neighborhood. It's a lot of bad element. And uh, if you go there, watch out. That's all I can say. If you go to the Horseshoe Baltimore, watch out. There's a lot of people who uh, are not very nice (laughs) and would not hesitate to mug you or punch you or anything like that. So if I were you, I'd keep my head down at the Horseshoe Baltimore. So, let's go on to the next topic here. DraftKings and the daily fantasy fiasco that's continuing to occur. For those of you who need to be caught up, I'm not going to go into a long explanation of what's going on with the daily fantasy sports situation. But uh, this whole thing was kicked off when, on week three of the NFL... A DraftKings employee, DraftKings is one of the two big daily fantasy sports sites, a a mid-level web content manager released the percentage of players owned before it was time to lock the lineups in for that week, which is very bad because it allows people to see if they own players that too many other people own, then they can take the less owned players and give themselves a big advantage. That That was, first of all, a big gaffe on the guy's part. And anyone who saw it had a big edge over anyone who didn't see it. But the bigger problem was realized when it was found that this same guy had won $350,000 in a huge contest of like 27,000 people on the competing major daily fantasy site called FanDuel. And it was theorized, and I believe it to be true, that DraftKings employees were accessing information that they shouldn't have had access to as to what percentage of each player is owned. And then we're crafting their own lineups around that. And basically they crafted their own lineups full of players that were under-owned and gave themselves a huge advantage in daily fantasy sports. And that's why this guy was doing so well. And you should see the, all the winnings this guy has had. Now, he probably entered a whole lot of times. He probably didn't win as much money as it appears. Like, uh, even the one where he won 350000 he may have entered a whole lot of times to win that 350000 but he still has shown a huge profit since the beginning of September. So, or the end of August, I think, is when this started. So, this kicked off a huge scandal for Daily Fantasy Sports that keeps having ripples to this day. As I mentioned last week, Daily Fantasy Sports is legal. It's not like online poker, which is illegal in the U.S., except for the ones that are offered by a few different states, like Delaware, New Jersey, and Nevada. Daily Fantasy Sports is completely legal in most states in the U.S. under what's known as a carve-out or an exception made for fantasy sports 
in 2006. So by law, these fantasy sports contests are considered skill, not gambling, and are illegal in most states. Nevada just recently made it illegal, partially as a result of these scandals, and partially because they realize that they're losing revenue to these things, where the money could otherwise go to their casinos rather than these daily fantasy sports sites, which they're not getting anything out of. So this scandal's still continuing. DraftKings wants to clear their name. And what are they doing? Well, one of the things that they're doing is they, they've hired a well-known law firm called Greenberg Traurig. This is a big law firm that has 1,800-plus lawyers working for them. They have branches all over the world, including L.A., Las Vegas, so many different places. So it's a reputable law firm. It's not some shyster. But they hired Greenberg Traurig to supposedly investigate them and the situation and give a report on them. And lo and behold, DraftKings has reported that Greenberg Traurig investigated them, investigated this guy, this Ethan guy who won 350000 and that there is no impropriety and that everything is fine and good with DraftKings. <laughs> their own lawyer did this. There's their own law firm that they are paying, investigated them, and... Gave them the clear. Said everything was good. Greenberg Traurig said that their content manager, Ethan Haskell, did not use non-public information to his benefit when entering a fantasy football contest on FanDuel, the competing site. So, obviously, we're looking at a big conflict of interest here. Obviously, this isn't as independent as they like to say it is. They claim they hired Greenberg Traurig to conduct an independent investigation, but they hired them. And Greenberg Traurig used data and information that DraftKings gave them. So you have to wonder how accurate this conclusion that Greenberg Traurig came to really is. Whenever your own lawyer declares your own innocence, well, that has to be taken with a grain of salt. I'm not saying that Greenberg Traurig is lying. They wouldn't put their reputation on the line by completely falsifying things. But on the other hand, DraftKings, if they hand them information that makes them look favorable, of course Greenberg Traurig, based on the information they're given, will give them a thumbs up because they're the ones on their payroll. And there's nothing illegal about that or even immoral about that. So this is the uh, methodology that Greenberg Traurig said they used to investigate DraftKings. They said they met and interviewed all senior management concerning the allegation that was reported in the media that Ethan Haskell was in possession of non-public information which could have been used to submit a lineup with FanDuel that won him the 350K. They reviewed all documentation generated by DraftKings' internal inquiry and discussed the findings and analysis. Let's stop right there reviewed all documentation generated by the DraftKings internal inquiry and discussed findings and analysis. (laughs) It's a fancy way of saying, we looked at the information that DraftKings gave us on their own 
to prove their own innocence and said, yeah, they're innocent. <laughs> That's not very independent. DraftKings is handing them the evidence that they want them to see, that they want them to use the judge. It's not like in a court of law where uh, the police get a search warrant, they, they kick down your door, they search your place, they get their evidence, and then in court the evidence is analyzed whether you're guilty or innocent. This is where the ones accused are bringing their own evidence to the table and saying, okay, uh, this is the evidence that we have. Please judge us based upon that. Do you think that they would ever have given Greenbrook Traurig information that would have made them look bad? Obviously not. No chance. No chance. Remember, they hired them. They did this voluntarily. They were not forced to do this. They only would hire Greenberg Traurig if they knew that they could give them something where Greenberg Traurig would give them the seal of approval. Then it says they initiated a comprehensive and totally independent investigation of the allegation. <laughs> Come on. Totally independent? Who's paying you? Number four, prepared an investigative plan to identify relevant individuals, electronic data, and documents, and relevant systems and applicable policies and procedures. Number five, they secured complete access to individuals, documents, and systems at the company and identified sources of information outside the company. Number six, conducted comp- comprehensive interviews of various individuals within the company possessing relevant information, and certain individuals were interviewed multiple times. Number seven, all documents relevant to the investigation were reviewed, authenticated, and considered. This includes email correspondence, post, computer-generated data, electronic entries, etc. So the problem is, with all of this, is that DraftKings knew going in what Greenberg-Traurig was going to have access to and what not to have access to. They controlled the process. They gave them what they needed to use to come to their determination. And DraftKings only would have done this with information they knew would exonerate them. So anything they wanted to cover up beforehand, they could do. Now, I can tell you that it is very easy to manipulate data in computer systems before they are examined with really no evidence of what data was there before. They could have easily changed things around, such as the time that Ethan Haskell accessed that data, etc., etc., They could have changed so many things before giving the evidence to Greenberg-Traurig. This is very tainted evidence that's being given up. What about the interviews with employees? Well, what are these employees going to say? All they have to do is coach the employees and say, hey, you know, you have to understand here, if you say that you had access to this information, you could be charged with a crime. You can go to jail. So when they ask you if you had access to it, uh, probably better off if you say you didn't. Now, I think if uh, there were a thousand people with access to this, then it would be hard for a thousand different people to get their story straight. But if if it wasn't that large uh, a group of people, then I think they could get them all on the same page. In general, I cannot believe a law firm that has hired by DraftKings and guided through the process by DraftKings and given evidence by DraftKings to clear DraftKings. It doesn't make any sense. So this is ridiculous. 
if DraftKings was interested in really solving this, if they really wanted to prove that the suspicions about them were unfounded, they would say, okay, would anyone like to hire an independent law firm that does not work for us to come in and investigate this? We will let them. They would say, okay, we are volunteering that our employees who are accused of this take a polygraph test about the matter. So, so put Ethan Haskell on a polygraph. Have him answer about the way he said his lineups and what information he had before him when he did. Put other suspected employees on a polygraph test. They're not required to do this by law, but if they want to clear their name, this is what you do. If you know you are completely innocent, then you want every bit of information to be known. You don't hire your own lawyers and give them your own data and have your lawyers clear you. That looks, makes you look much more guilty than innocent. If you're innocent, then let the public see everything. You should want to bend over backwards to make it clear that your employees did not have access to this information. Why isn't DraftKings making it clear their exact policy of who does and does not have access to the information of who's in the lineups? Why has that never been released? Why are they not making that clear who did and didn't have access to it? You can't say no one has access. There's always someone who has access, but the question is what kind of controls were in place? How did this mistake occur where Ethan Haskell posted this information before it should have been posted if he couldn't access it? When he shouldn't have. Why are we not getting a clear and concise and comprehensive report on what happened and who had access to that information and when? Why are we just getting these findings from their own lawyers? Let's take a call here from the 979 area code. We tried to call before. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, how's it going, man? Good. So who's this? Uh, my name is George. George. All right. So what's going on? Not much. I was talking about the uh, DraftKings and FanDuel stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've been listening for a while, but uh, and following this uh, case here, and you know, I have my suspicions too. Everybody does, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, I've been playing since the very beginning. Uh, did you play it or ever play this? No, I always felt that I didn't want to play because I just I had a feeling it just wasn't going to be that fair in that I felt that there were people who had access to so much statistical data and could manipulate their lineup so quickly and all these other rumors I'd been hearing of just these these monster players on there who kill everyone. I didn't have those tools and uh, I didn't want to try to compete against players like that. I just felt like I would lose there so I didn't bother. Yeah, well I was hardcore into fantasy sports. I still kind of am, not as much anymore though, but uh, I played since like the very beginning of the fan duel. And uh, back then, I don't know if you knew this, but they used to have a chat room hmm. on the homepage. And actually, it was on all the pages. Oh, it would be on the right side of the screen. Hmm. And you could talk to all the players at the same time, right? Well, uh, I was sitting there in the chat rooms and talking to people. And uh, this one guy was talking trash to me one time, right? Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how, you know, how I suck and blah, blah, blah. And he said, yeah, you lose at $1 baseball tournaments, you know. Well, the, the problem that I had was that, you know, it wasn't that I lost. That wasn't a big deal. 
was that why did he know that I, I lost? Because when you click on someone's profile, you only see the win. That's it. You don't see any losses. Hmm. So then I started calling him out. I said, hey, man, what, what's your deal? like?" Because uh, I clicked on his, and he had thousands of wins, right? And the website had only been open for less than a year. And this guy was basically, I mean, he was raking it up, you know? Well, is it possible that, that he just data mined all the ones he played and just saw that in all the that he played a lot of the same ones as you, and that when he played with you, you didn't win? I guess, but you know, the tournaments I played in were 150,000 player tournaments. I mean, he'd really have to really mine it, you know. Well, that's probably he what he was doing. He was, he was probably mining the whole thing. That's probably what the guy was doing. My guess is my guess. Well, I called it out, you know, and then uh, you know, two weeks later, they didn't have a chat room anymore. <laughs> but uh so that was a little weird but um i get weird i get uh very suspicious about that about their employees doing that and then uh Ed, do you ever think about bots like uh like you talked about for a poker website uh you mean bots in daily fantasy sports yeah i mean that's the thing is i mean like when you say data mining do you think people capture every user that's in a tournament and their roster yeah, well, that or they—they're also uh, there's like scripts that people were using to where if there's some kind of last minute change to lineups or whatever that they could uh, instantly change all their entries and drop that player out and, and put uh, and put a different player in. That, yeah, uh, see, that was what I was scared of, man. I was really scared of even the own company doing that. Yeah, that, that's know? that's the problem. There's just no controls on this, and I was saying that last week. There's just there needs to be regulation of this industry. There's too many ways it can be abused by both. Uh, their own employees and just outsiders writing programs and scripts to give themselves an unfair advantage. And the the average guy this is marketed to, uh, like yourself, to just see it and say, yeah, this looks cool, I want to try it, are at such a disadvantage because of these things. And, and this scandal here is really, really bad. And I, I don't believe the people who are saying, no, there's not enough proof. No, it's uh, you know, this doesn't mean anything. Maybe this Ethan guy was just lucky or just good. You know, we saw we saw the proof that Ethan had access to information he shouldn't have uh, before the lineups were locked. We saw that. He was just dumb enough to post it on their site because uh, I don't know why he made that mistake, but he had access when he shouldn't have. And then he's well, done no, so well. Sorry, uh, well, the only people who don't think it's a big deal are the people who don't really play that much because it's a huge deal, you know. I mean, it, the only way you're hitting the money is with sleepers. Yeah, that's that, the only. Well, that's that, that's funny you mentioned that. So now that you mentioned the sleepers, let me let me play a little commercial for you. And uh, <laughs> I I, f- I found this to be pretty outrageous. I just saw this commercial the other day, and I can't believe that they are still running it on. Uh, on TV after this thing be sleepers for those of you that don't know uh, that's really how you win in daily fantasy sports is that you make picks you you know you put together like your fictitious team of whatever sport you're doing it with you fill your lineup with players that other people have not picked very often so this way if your player does really well then you get a lot of points and all the other people playing the tournament don't get points because they don't have this player you don't want to have a player that most people are, are holding because uh, then you don't gain on those people if your player does well so sleepers are the ones that you get that uh, most people don't have and that are undervalued. So that's the way that Ethan and the rest of them, I believe, were winning so much is by seeing who was owned uh, and who wasn't owned very much and then playing on a competing site, assuming it's probably about the same over there. So listen to this commercial that they just ran for DraftKings. The sleeper pick, the guy only you believe in. 
in one week fantasy football on DraftKings, he can be the difference. So trust your gut. Trust your numbers. Trust your Uncle Vito if you want. Yeah, more like more like uh, trust the internal information you get from your site from working there. But know this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That sleeper is out there. The question is, who's going to play him? Yeah, I know who's going to play him. Draft Kings. Welcome yeah. to the big time. Yeah, I know who's going to play him. It's, it's going to be Ethan Haskell who plays him. $10 million millionaire right. record event week one. You know, it's funny that you play that commercial because when I saw a commercial on TV after all this stuff was being publicized, I thought it was very ironic or weird that they, that they left this commercial on tv you know yeah I, I i really think that's a bad commercial given what happened by the way uh, they're saying that uh, it's actually edward norton doing the voiceover of all people but i that's can't the commercial with the guys in the backyard at the party or picnic y- or something yeah yeah but yeah I, like i understand the point of the commercial if this hadn't happened but they shouldn't be running this here especially at the end saying uh, the question is Who's going to pick them? Well, we know who's going to pick them. <laughs> we found this out. Oh, it's the yeah. people within the company picking them because they, they know who the sleepers are. And that's uh, mm-hmm. that's just uh, this is just kind of rubbing it in. I know that's not why they made the commercial. They probably produced this commercial before the scandal happened. But you pull this off. You don't run this. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe when I saw it. I just sat there with my mouth open when I watched this thing. And I'm like, i got to track this commercial down and play it on the radio. So Yeah, yeah. Well, perfect, perfect commercial. You know what else? Uh, I don't know if you play fantasy basketball, but if they do the same thing in basketball, I know it's football season, but uh, in fantasy basketball, sleepers are even more. I mean, you only have five players for you know on a court at one time for each team. You know. Well, I think this is going to so, stop now. I, I think that now that uh, everyone's onto it, now they're going to stop. But and they've already okay. made rules against playing on other sites. I think this is going to stop. But who knows what other BS is going on? The, the problem is there's just no regulation of these sites, and there needs to be. You can't trust them. They, right. they pro- they've proven you can't trust them. Well, yeah, I mean, I heard you talk about, was it last week, about the guy who lives across the street from the draft screen, Jack King. Yeah, that's kind of weird, too. Some crap like that. Yeah. It's kind of weird, too. The, yeah, one of the biggest winners on there lives across the street from where the headquarters is, according to. Yeah, that's uh, more than weird, man. That, yeah. You know, I don't know if I believe in coincidences that much. Yeah. The, the whole thing's shady. The problem is there's just too many weird things going on. There's no regulation. And, right, when when you see things that just seem to be a coincidence and there's no regulation and no way to disprove the suspicions, of course you suspect that there's cheating because there's so much money involved. And you have to be naive to think that this is just all a coincidence. This isn't, right. this isn't conspiracy well, theory stuff or, or being jealous of winners. There, there's something wrong going on there. No, no of course. I mean, I, I feel the same way. It's a damn shame, too, because I love Daily Fantasy. I mean, it's really fun, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think Daily Fantasy will survive. I think they've just got to – there's got to be some change in this whole thing, and there's going to have to be some regulations. And for those of you that don't like the government being involved, uh, too bad, because if the government's not involved, then this is what happens. It's kind of the lesser of two evils. The government involvement in regulating sites like this, you need it. I, I don't care what you say. You need it. We see, we've seen what happens in poker when sites mm-hmm. are not regulated. Full tilt steals right. all the money. You be – looks at our whole cards and cheats us. If you don't have regulation, that's what happens. So I don't love the government regulating either, but you need regulation and you need criminal penalties for those who break the regulations. Otherwise, Oh, yeah, uh, because otherwise, yeah, they're going to cheat. Yeah, otherwise there's too much money at stake. It's, it's too much worth mm-hmm. it to, to cheat in some way, especially if you can cheat in a way which is not explicitly illegal yet, which is what I think they were doing. I think they believed that if they're looking at their own data and using it to play on a different site – they can use the excuse, well, we can't see the other site's data, 
So just by guessing it's similar to ours, that, that shouldn't be illegal. I think that's the way they were looking right. at it when they were doing it. But it's totally cheating because they, it, it's, it's very likely it is going to be the same or very close to the same. So Right. And then, and then uh, I think it's, it's funny you bring poker up because, uh, you know, didn't you say that some guy that was a poker player became a uh, – Pretty guy high up in draft. Yeah, that was Jonathan Aguiar, who, oddly enough, is kind of like a younger version of me in poker in calling out sites and people who cheat and are shady. So that was really yeah. weird that of all people to get involved in that and be involved in this scandal is Jonathan Aguiar. Now, it's not proven yet that he's done anything wrong, but he is the focus of some investigations, according to the New York Times, that the FBI is investigating uh, him and his role in this. So uh, I – right. I was surprised to I read that. I thought it was kind of weird. I thought it was kind of weird how, like, uh, like you, you know how they have qualifiers where you can win a seat or something like that. Yeah. Um, from fantasy, daily fantasy. I mean, I don't know anything about how poker correlates to daily fantasy at all. Maybe the same guys are into both vices or what, but uh, or. I don't, I don't know, because you can win a poker seat through a fantasy tournament. Is that hmm. right? Yeah, I, it's possible. There's a lot of the same crowd playing both. That doesn't surprise me. Oh, okay. It doesn't surprise you? No. No, it's a lot of the same crowd playing both. It's a, it's kind of like how I, I post a lot on another forum, which is uh, kind of like a more of a gambling-type forum than about poker. And uh, mm-hmm. there's people who read both sites independently. Even, they're not like necessarily there to follow me or anything. They 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 just happen to read both sites because you know if they have interest in poker, they have interest in uh, in like video poker and other forms of gambling. So it's it's just uh, a, okay. they're just associated. That doesn't surprise me. So anyway, thanks for your call. Uh, I'm gonna move on here, but thanks for uh, your insight on this. Oh uh, yeah, appreciate it, man. Okay, Have thank you. Night. Good night. It was uh, George from the nine seven nine area. Appreciate his call. So. Bad news for the Daily Fantasy sports sites. There's someone now investigating them that you really don't want investigating you. Someone who's, when you hear he's investigating you, uh, you get scared because it's someone with a lot of power. That's uh, Preet Bara, And if you recognize the name, he was the one who was responsible for Black Friday that changed the landscape of online poker in 2011. Uh, he is a Democrat that was appointed by President Obama. Uh, he is the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York. This office is a very active office, and they love to prosecute large criminal organizations, especially where a lot of money is involved. In fact, this... Uh, this particular office tends to go after rich criminal organizations and then take their assets and then confiscate them for the government. Uh, in some cases, it's good in that uh, you know, they really are after legitimate criminals and confiscate their assets and it goes to our government, which is a lot better than the criminals keeping those assets. But uh, in other cases, they are uh, you know, really doing it just as a money grab. Anyway, uh, this this office has a lot of power. Uh, they've been after online poker for many years. They've seized a lot of money out of poker payment processors. They have they were the ones who shut down poker stars Full Tilt and UB in 2011 on what was known as Black Friday. Uh, 
Preet Bara is now investigating Daily Fantasy Sports. So Daily Fantasy Sports really has to watch out because Preet Bara is coming for them. Yes. He has a reputation for winning. If he's coming up against you, you're screwed. He's gone after people on Wall Street in bringing insider trading charges. Since 2009, he has an 85-0 and record when prosecuting insider trading cases. He's won every single one of them, 85 of them. No one's beaten him in insider trading cases. He's known as the enforcer of Wall Street. He was the one who went after Silk Road, the secret online trading place for Bitcoin, where a lot of illegal things were bought and sold. He was once called the most dangerous man in Bitcoin. Now he is after DraftKings and FanDuel. He is not impressed by Greenberg Traurig saying that they are innocent. Prepara will be examining everything about these companies and seeing if they violate federal law. They will especially be investigating them as far as it applies to the state of New York because basically the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of New York, even though it's a federal office, they're really assigned to investigate New York matters. So they have to find some kind of association with New York or crime against a New Yorker to really go forward. So the problem for Daily Fantasy Sports is that the law that New York has regarding games like Daily Fantasy Sports is that a contest must must have no material amount of chance. What is a material amount of chance? Well, that basically means that if chance is a large part of whether you win or lose, then it's not legal. But would you say Daily Fantasy Sports has a large amount of chance? I would say you're basically picking players and hoping they do well. I'd say that's a lot of chance. (laughs) Where there isn't that much chance is when you're actually playing something yourself. A bowling contest is not about chance. It's about how you throw the ball. Games like baseball, not really that much chance. Yeah, you have some luck involved. Some luck in, you know, hit the ball and uh, whether it barely goes for a home run or barely goes foul can be a huge difference in the game. And a little of that might be luck of where your bat happens to hit the ball, but it's still you swinging the bat and hitting the ball. Uh, you have control over that. But when you're picking other players and how they perform, a lot of that is chance because you have no control over it. It's the same reason sports betting is considered chance. So even though Preet Bharara will be investigating sites like Yahoo that also have daily fantasy sports contests, which are really the re- this is the reason this was made legal in the first place nine years ago was sites like Yahoo, not not these daily sites which came later. 
but he's mainly going to be focusing on the big ones, DraftKings and FanDuel. And if it is seen that these are gambling operations, then he will come after them. And what's much more likely to happen than anyone seeing jail time is some pretty, pretty, pretty stiff fines, some very stiff fines. And when I see stiff, I mean huge. Where basically the executives of the company will be brought in and told that they're going to be prosecuted and be facing 20 years in prison, blah, blah, blah. But if they pay such and such settlement, then they won't. And then fearing the 20 years in prison, they will typically back down and pay whatever they need to pay to get out of it. So Preet Bara is breathing down their neck. And I, you know, if it wasn't for all this crap, I, I would say this is bad and that this is a money grab by the government, and it's unethical of the government to do this, but I've been very unimpressed with DraftKings and FanDuel and how they've been handling this. They've been very self-preserving. They've been very dismissive. And it seems like they have not had the players' interests in mind. Of course, their own interest should always be first. Any company will act that way, but it really looks like they had no care about players getting screwed or playing at a huge disadvantage, even against their own employees. So when I see companies acting that way and then giving flippant responses to controversy that erupts from it, I don't feel too bad when they get a guy like Preet Bharara on their case, breathing down their neck and trying to get money out of him for the government. Maybe this is what's necessary to bring regulation to the industry, which is needed. So, if they had behaved more responsibly, this wouldn't be happening. This is all happening for sure because of the whole thing that was kicked off by Ethan Haskell's actions. Can you imagine... Being Ethan Haskell. This is a huge story. This is a huge incident. I and mean, this is now being investigated by the best known individual at the Department of Justice in the United States, Preet Bara. Can you imagine one person causing all this? He's not the only one guilty of it, I'm sure, but. It was Ethan Haskell's mistake with posting that stupid lineup, posting the uh, not lineup, the percentage of owned players a few hours before the lot lineups had to be locked. That one little mistake kicked this whole thing off. If he just hadn't done that, so many people would be blissfully unaware of what's been going on at DraftKings and FanDuel. Just one little screw-up. One little screw-up. And the whole thing has come crashing down. It's funny how that happens. Imagine if you're Ethan Haskell and you just know. You just know if you hadn't done this, then your name would not be known everywhere. You wouldn't be seen as a cheater. You'd be happily enjoying all the money you've been winning. There'd be no scrutiny of your company. People at your own company wouldn't hate you for being so stupid. This guy must be going to sleep every night hating life. 
Every night he must ask himself, why did I do it? Why was I so stupid to post those percentage ownerships a few hours before the game started? Why? Why did I do it? How did I make that mistake? How was I so careless? You ever had those moments like, you know, you, you back up your car, you don't look enough, and you back into someone, and you go, oh, crap, why was I so careless? Why, why didn't I just look? Why wasn't I more careful? Now, now look at the trouble I caused myself. Now look at the expense I caused myself. Oh, why wasn't I just more careful? Like Everybody has those moments. This is like the ultimate why wasn't I more careful moment. This is changing the entire daily fantasy sports industry. Someone's asking me privately, what about the NFL and Major League Baseball's involvement in daily fantasy sports? And he says, I don't think it's going to be like Black Friday in any way. Well, they got involved because it's a huge industry, and they they thought it seemed legit, and they thought it kind of had a parallel with what they were trying to accomplish, which was to get people interested in their games. The NFL, they, they want people to be more interested in their games, and if they're you're setting up daily fantasy sports teams, you're a lot more interested in the NFL. If you are playing fantasy baseball, you're a lot more interested in Major League Baseball. So these are very big operations, and of course they, they, they find that they want to get involved because it looked like a legal and legitimate industry. But they, I'm sure they're regretting it right now. So let me uh let me get to the other issues about this DraftKings, then we'll move on. Speaking of a sports organization that does not want anything to do with them anymore. The NCAA has decided that they are not going to allow daily fantasy sports commercials. During their broadcasts. They want nothing to do with it. The NCAA. Sent letters. To DraftKings and FanDuel saying. Do not advertise on our broadcasts. And they actually have a right to say that. You may have wondered, you know, does the NCAA have the right to tell ESPN or whoever broadcasts their games what ads they can run? And the answer is yes. They do have that in their contract that they can refuse ads that they don't want. By the way, the Super Bowl, those ads, uh, the NFL has power over those too. The NFL can reject Super Bowl ads they don't like. So the NCAA... Actually, will be uh, broadcasting. It will be broadcasted on uh, Turner Sports and CBS for the NCAA uh, men's basketball tournament. But uh, the NCAA is not going to let them run those ads. The 
they want no part of it. Now, there's some people who think the NCAA is corrupt. They think this is hypocritical. But hey, if the NCAA is corrupt, then it especially makes sense why they don't want further accusations of corruption that don't even really benefit them. They want less scrutiny on themselves. So the letter was sent to DraftKings CEO Jason Robbins, FanDuel CLO Christian Janetsky, and CFO Matt King. Also, referees and game officials who work for the NCAA are being told that they cannot play daily fantasy sports. And it was told to DraftKings and FanDuel that they need to check if anybody is on their site who is a referee or official in their games and kick them off, which the NCAA doesn't have the right to force them to do, but they're just trying to say, you know, don't do it. We don't want these people doing it. Get them off. There wasn't a meeting scheduled between the Daily Fantasy Sports sites and the NCAA to discuss the impact of those products on college sports, and those have been canceled. The letter said, such a meeting is inappropriate at this time in light of the fact that your enterprises appear to be under investigation by the FBI and Congress. And several states and their attorneys general appear to be looking into your business platform. So it's basically saying, you're shady, stay away from us. So the NCAA wants nothing to do with these daily fantasy sports sites to the point where they can't even advertise during their broadcasts. Finally, Stars Draft, which was the product of Poker Stars, their daily fantasy sports product that they just launched for most states in the U.S. A few states were not included in this where daily fantasy sports is illegal, but uh, it was launched, I think, like four to six, 46 of the 50 states. That is no longer. Except for a few states, Stars Draft has bailed out. Meaning it's going to be a non-factor because almost no one's going to be on there with the very few states that can play on there. So Amaya Gaming, who owns Poker Stars in Full Tilt, has decided that uh, because of the bad press and lawsuits and questionable legality now that uh, it's only going to be available in four states. That would be New Jersey, Massachusetts, Kansas, and Maryland. They read the laws in each of these 50 states and decided that those are the four where daily fantasy sports is explicitly legal. All other 46 states... There's some ambiguity or it's downright illegal and they want nothing to do with it. This is because Amaya is especially concerned that they don't want to do anything wrong because they're trying to get poker stars licensed to offer online poker in the various states that allow online poker at the state level, like New Jersey. So they don't want to screw up. Now, they actually are allowing it in New Jersey because they see it's totally legal there. But uh, they, they don't want to do anything that's going to make them look like they are lawbreakers at this point. They're very, very careful. Careful. They're walking on eggshells. So Stars Draft, 
is no longer in your state unless you live in New Jersey, Massachusetts, Kansas, and Maryland. And this just started. So this is pretty much going to fall flat. I don't think New Jersey, Massachusetts, Kansas, and Maryland are going to keep this propped up. Not a very good acquisition so far by PokerStars. But there's still time. You know, maybe if uh, there is regulation and clearer laws about daily fantasy sports, they'll probably come back into the market. But for the moment, they're, they're kind of suspending the product. And honestly, this is not uh, a major part of their business model at the moment with Amaya. So they're just doing away with it. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is the phone number to reach me. And let's see some texts we got. Uh, From the 979 area. So people make millions off the unpaid student athletes. Referring to the NCAA. Uh, Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of problems they have with the NCAA. Someone saying they're in Prescott Valley, Arizona. They can't hear the broadcast. I don't know what platform they're using, so can't help them there. Someone from 410 saying it's about time that we're doing the show. It's only one day late. It's not that bad. So you want to call in? 775-FRAUD-55, 702-430-1808. Or you can text me, 775-372-8355. You notice I've had no co-host here? Like none? It's just like me talking? Three hours so far? You might be wondering how my mouth feels now. Is it better yet? I complained about it last week. I missed a few shows. Answer is no, it's not completely better, but it's mostly better. I, I still feel it. It's still not all better, which is disappointing after 22 days since I got the tooth taken out and it's been over a month since this problem first started. I'm getting sick of it. I just want my mouth to feel normal. But it's good enough to do this show. All right, let's get to the final poker and gambling topic. Then we'll just go to our general stuff we talk about here. Las Vegas Hotel News. What do we have in the news this week regarding Las Vegas hotels? Well... Glad you asked. This week, we are going to talk about the MGM and the rumor that you will have to pay for parking at any of the properties they own in Las Vegas. Ho, 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 ho. Can you imagine? You go to the Bellagio. You go to the Mirage. You go to the Aria. New York, New York. Excalibur. Monte Carlo, MGM Grand, and you have to pay to park there? When was the last time you paid for parking in Vegas? I mean, yeah, they have the pay lots downtown, but first of all, most people don't really want to go downtown. And second, if you go downtown, you can usually get the parking validated in some way. It's getting a little bit harder to do that, but they still have some form of validation there. But on the Strip, you don't pay for parking. No one charges for parking on the Strip. It's just they don't do it. And 
This was something that was started, I believe, by Circus Circus in the 70s. Because for a while, it was common you pay for parking. Downtown, that was always the way it was. Then Circus Circus, I remember they they advertised in big billboards, free parking, 10,000 car garage, which I thought was crazy. I would see that in the 70s, and I thought, wow, 10,000 cars? (laughs) That's that's an insane number of cars, 10,000. Circus Circus is not quite on the Strip. It's a little bit north of the Strip, but it's kind of between the Strip and downtown. But if you kept going south and uh, you know, eventually what became the Strip and what became really to be known as the center of Vegas since the early 90s, the model was nobody charges for parking. The model was you can park anywhere in any lot for free. And there's no validation process. There's no process on uh, checking who's just using the lot to park and not patronize the business. It was just assumed that everybody gets to park free. And if they use the business, fine. If they don't, they don't. So how could MGM be breaking this model after all this time? But that's the rumor that is going around. I will read you the article about that. Surprise me. Here's what the article said. It's from a site called VegasTripping.com. Sources have told Vegas Tripping that MGM Resorts International is on the verge of announcing a new part of their profit growth plan initiative, charging fees for parking in all MGM Resorts self-park garages in Las Vegas. The new mandatory fees will be charged to all automobiles that enter the garage, whether it's locals, casino players, diners, high rollers, or hotel guests. It is unknown what the price points will be, but they'll probably be similarly tiered based on the property level, meaning the higher-end properties will charge more. Well, I don't completely believe all of that. I think that if you're a high roller, there's no way they're charging you for parking. I think if this is true, this could just all be BS, But if this is true, and Vegas tripping is correct, it might be a tiered parking charge depending upon what player card you have with them. In Atlantic City, they do this, where if you have a Diamond or Seven Stars card with Caesars, you park for free. If you have Platinum, then you pay, but not as much. If you you have Gold, you, you pay even more. And if you have no card, you pay even more. And it's a way to encourage people to get player cards there and to play a lot to earn the parking benefit and to discourage people who are just coming there to walk on the boardwalk in Atlantic City to not just use them for free parking and just go to the boardwalk and not walk into their property. So it's basically saying this is for our customers, and if you want to try to just park here to visit the boardwalk, you're going to pay. That's in Atlantic City. But there's a difference because in Atlantic City, there is a feature, which is the boardwalk, which doesn't have to do with gambling. And so it makes sense that casinos don't want to be shamelessly used for parking for people who have no interest in casinos. So I understand why they charge for parking over there. But Vegas, it makes no sense on the Strip. The Vegas Strip is not known to have a parking problem. It's not known that the parking lots fill up to where there's no spots left. It's very rare that there is not enough parking at any particular property. 
Think of the last time you tried to park in a Vegas Strip property and they said, sorry, parking lot closed, we are full. Very, very rare. So what are they trying to do? Also, I don't think there's very much of an occurrence where people park at a Vegas Strip property and don't actually go to that property. It happens, but I don't think it happens that much because the Strip is so long that walking the entire Strip is a pain in the ass. And with so much free parking everywhere, there's no point to do that. So if you want to go, for example, to the MGM, you don't park next door, you just park at the MGM. If you want to go to Caesars, you park at Caesars. If you want to go to the Bellagio, you park at Bellagio. Now, yeah, maybe you'll walk over to other neighboring properties, but you're usually going to park at the place that you're going to go to which is what they want. They want you only to park there if you're going to go there. That seems like that's what people are doing. So I don't understand if there's not a parking problem and there's not a problem with people parking there and not going into the property, why they are trying to charge for parking, unless it's just a way to try to get more money out of people. Now, keep in mind, this could very easily have a backlash. Backlash number one would be people, people just don't go to MGM properties. They'll say, screw this, we're going to go to a Caesars property instead where the parking is free. Or we'll go to a different property that the parking is free. But not an MGM one if they're the only ones charging for parking. If, if you can go to the Bellagio and have to pay $30 for parking or $20 for parking, or you can go next door to Caesars where it's free parking, well, you might very well go to Caesars. Is this really worth it for them to do? I think this also will start affecting hotel guests. If they're really charging hotel guests for parking, I think people will stop staying at those hotels if they're getting that additional charge. It'll piss them off. But I have a feeling maybe this article's wrong about that too. I have a feeling maybe hotel guests will get free parking, but maybe they're just trying to chase out those who park and don't really use services there. But I just don't think it's worth it. I think it's a dumb idea. I think the only way this could work is if this model takes off and everybody does it. So if every strip property is charging for parking, well, then you're stuck. Then, yeah, maybe it'll keep some people from going to Vegas saying this is just too much. We can't pay for all this. But look, parking fees are common in most other cities. If you go to New York City, you're going to be paying out the ass for parking. I paid 55 bucks to park for one night last time I went to New York City. You go to any big city, you're going to typically pay for parking. So Las Vegas, while not a huge city like New York, is big enough, especially the Strip area, where you could understand a justification to charge you for parking, even if you stay at the hotel. But it would have to be all around. It can't just be some properties and not others, or otherwise you're going to start seeing an exodus from the properties that are charging for parking to the ones that aren't. Now, when I talk about an exodus... I talk about, I'm talking about uh, casual people coming in who just want to walk into the property, like foot traffic. You're not going to have that, people who just want to go visit a property if they know they have to pay 20 bucks, 30 bucks to park there. Uh, we have a person on the line that I'm happy to see has joined us. Brandon Drexel-Gerson, hello. Is, is the program still running? No, I'm, I'm just talking to a friend. What's going on? No, I'm just kidding. No, I, yes, we're going. What's going on, buddy? Yeah, so uh, welcome to the show. Better late than never at 11 o'clock here, Pacific time. And uh, what's going on? 
Not much. It is a Friday night in Vegas. It is. I'm, I'm happy you can join us here on uh, Friday night in Vegas. Where, where's your girlfriend here at 11? I'm surprised you're not with her. Uh, uh, the other room. Hmm. Yeah. It's kind of hard to get away these days. How are you? What's... Uh... I heard there was an assault earlier on my character. There was. Um, it was someone with a really stupid voice changer. It was like one of these things that, like one of these cheap ones that you download for an app for a dollar, and it's like, hello, I want to talk about Brandon Drexel Gersey being a scammer. Like that, you know, one of those stupid, lame voice changers. And so I said, yeah, he's not a scammer. And he, and he said, how come someone's talking about on Twitter how he is a scammer? And I said, well, so I explained briefly to people. Now, obviously, you are in... The, I, I don't. Know, I wouldn't say you're in the middle of this, but you are, have some involvement, mm-hmm. so you can actually, I guess, verify that I basically am involved with a madman, mm-hmm. an absolute fucking wacko. Well, yeah. So this is, you know, I I didn't go into the uh, whole story. I I well, told let's, people. Let's go into the whole story. Oh, if you now. want to, that's fine. I've, I've kept media silence for about two months because of this insane, stupid, petty thing. But now it's time to just bring it to the forefront. Okay, uh, so this this is uh, – yeah, so I, I got contacted, I don't know, a month and a half ago or something, maybe a month ago, someone who, who told me that that Brandon was scamming him and that he's sure I'm going to try to cover it up. So I said – I had no idea what this is about. I, I, and even though Brandon is my friend and he's been, I've been friends with him for some years here, I, I, I thought, okay, well, I, I've got to hear this story. I, I don't care who it is. I, I want to hear uh, – what the situation is and, and try to figure out what's going on. I was, uh, uh, I, I couldn't picture Brandon scamming someone, but I, I wanted to hear nonetheless. Well, so, I, don't, I don't get no favoritism from the scam website. Yeah. So, so, uh, so I let this person, and let's just be honest now, since every, he's been calling me out on Twitter. The person I'm talking about is a scumbag that lives in Las Vegas. I actually considered a friend for a while for a number of years. His name is Bob Loria. Yeah, that's that's I'm not going to hide his name. OK, Basically. so now I, I can tell you, I'm not 100 percent sure that this is him who was calling up is they used a voice changer and, and, and probably a phony phone number. So uh, I, I but but it was the, the timing is a little bit funny here. I have to agree that it's uh, there's, there's a fair chance it had to do with him about calling calling up here. But uh, I can't say for sure it was him because one, I don't know his voice and two, it was a voice changer. And I, I hung this up. It's the most a- insane fucking thing. How do I meet these people? What is wrong with me inside that I become friends with people that are absolute fucking lunatics? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, this happens. You know, it happens it's, to me, too. Like, I, I, I end I, up with uh, some of these feuds that I didn't even bring on that just, just find me. And then and then people just uh, are, are on the attack when I haven't done anything to them. So, so uh, I, I was – I wanted to know the story. And I thought this was going to be some kind of accusation. Like I'm hearing, oh, Brandon is broke. Brandon, you know, lost all his money gambling. So I thought I was going to get some kind of, you know, really some real good scoop. Yeah, some kind of big accusation. Like Brandon owes me thirty thousand dollars and he's not paying me. I, I thought I was going to get something like that, and I was going to be like in a very uncomfortable position trying to figure out what's going on here. And if, and if by some chance it was true, uh, then you know, obviously I, I can't cover this up. And if the person you know, is going to be calling him out, and Brandon really did stiff him then you know then the truth the truth has to come out so i i was then i found out from this individual bob loria who was uh complaining about brandon scamming him that the sum of money that was involved was uh 168 (laughs) dollars 
I, I'm not even $168 that Brandon is too broke to pay him back. And I, I thought, oh my God, the, like Ken Scaler, you guys have heard me talk to Ken Scaler on here before. And as you guys know, Ken Scaler has perpetual money problems and, and he, he never has money. He's always broke. Uh, Ken Scaler could pay back a $168 debt. In fact, he's had much higher debts to me. He currently has a higher debt to me, and, and he pays back. Uh, even if Brandon really did lose all his money gambling, which he didn't, but if he did, he could still pay $168. That's a joke. Obviously, he could pay $168. Uh, so I, I couldn't believe this. I thought, there's no way this could be true anymore. There's, there's, there's got to be more to this. So so uh, this guy sent me some text messages of, of – uh, uh, of Brandon talking shit to him. And, and uh, so Brandon, I, I asked him about this. I go, what's going on? So, so basically this was a open face Chinese poker debt that, uh, you know, the two of them had been playing open face Chinese poker for like three months. Yeah. For like three long. months. So over time for 50 cents a point. So, you know, like low stakes, open face Chinese poker where nobody could win or lose a lot of money. Uh, Brandon had done this guy a lot of favors in the past. Uh, well, I'll get to that. Yeah, and and uh, and then Brandon was down to this guy, one hundred sixty-eight dollars, and Brandon hit fantasy land, which for those of you that don't know, it, it gives you a big advantage on the next hand in setting your hand versus the other guy, where you're likely to win. So the ethical you get, thing you to get do, all thirteen of your cards, or I'm sorry, fourteen of your cards face up. Yes, instead of having to pick. Two, uh, pick your first five and then two out of three at a time. You, yeah. you literally get every card face up and you can distribute it in the, as you see fit. Yeah, it's, it's, it's such a big huge advantage. advantage. It's a huge advantage that if you had Fantasyland every time against the best open-faced Chinese player in the world and you're just an average one, you would destroy the other guy. There'd be no and you can you, the other advantage of being in Fantasyland is you, can, you have a higher chance or a good chance of staying in Fantasyland. There are hands that, that, you know, if the cards are running right, you can stay in Fantasyland for five, six, seven, even ten hands in a row. Yes. I mean, in theory. So, so, uh, so anyway, something unethical to do since Fantasyland Fantasy starts in the next hand. Fantasyland, uh, it's unethical to quit playing when the next hand is a Fantasyland for your opponent. You, at the very least, if you're going to quit, you have to let the Fantasyland thing finish. So uh, that's – it's almost like, I, I guess uh, – if you don't play open face Chinese poker, the best way to describe this is if you're playing Pac-Man, which I talked about earlier, and, and one guy is Pac-Man and the other guy is one of the ghosts. If the ghost decided to quit playing as soon as Pac-Man ate a power pill, like that's, that's the best way to describe it. So, uh, so basically this is what happened is that Bob quit. He just quit playing on Brandon and said, I don't want to play anymore. I'm busy. I'm done playing with you when Brandon was about to enter fantasy land. Again, this is kind of like, playing chess or any other, I guess, game like that where it's not like we both have to play at the same time. You take a shit, you make a move. You're laying in bed, you make a move. You're just you're waiting for a car wash. So you can play at your own leisure. That's funny. That's know, exactly it's not that's, like you have to – I'm sorry? That's exactly when I've been playing. The times I've been yes. playing, it's always either on the toilet, in well, bed, or – you haven't or shit wait. about a week yet because you haven't made a move. Yeah, and I haven't been making moves much. I guess I've been constipated. But uh, Yes. But, yeah, that's – So, look, let, let, let me – I mean, and again, thank you. You know, Todd tried to mediate this because it just was so ridiculous. Uh, but let me, let me just give you a backstory. Uh, I, I'm still even now. I mean, it's almost embarrassing talking about this. It's 168 fucking dollars. Um, but, you know, the listeners want to know. I guess this was brought to social media, although I've never mentioned it. This guy's been tweeting and on this Facebook rage for $168. 
uh, saying that I'm broke. I can't afford $168. So let me just give you a little bit of the backstory. This guy's name is Bob Loria. He's an absolute scumbag. Uh, and, you know, I kind of knew that from just the start of meeting him and people telling me things. But, you know what, I'm going to be honest. I kind of felt bad for him. He doesn't really have a lot of social skills, doesn't have friends. Both his parents died at an early age. I just, I don't know, I befriended him. The way I met him was probably either six or seven years ago. I met him at Barge, of all places, um, and back in, I think, 2008 or 2009. And we, you know, we became friends. Not very, like, close friends, but, you know, we text every maybe once a month. You know, I saw him last year in Connecticut, and we basically hung out for a week together when I was up there for some turf for the Connecticut version of Barge is called Fargo. So I was up there with Steve the Bodyguard and my friend Jeannie, and he was there, and um, anyhow, I've known him for about six years, you know, not very close, like brotherly, but you know, friends, I had a Super Bowl party, uh, in January during the Super Bowl, obviously. And I got a sweet hospitality suite at the Aria and I invite him. He had, you know, he wrote like a tweet or something on Facebook. He had nothing to do. I invite him. Fucking guy met my dad. My dad was there for the Super Bowl party, hung out with my dad and a bunch of my other friends. Um, you know, just. I don't, it, it just, it's mind boggling to me. Um, I staked him probably like in three or four tournaments, uh, mainly like Venetian tournaments, like most recently, like in March or February of this past year, I just gave a guy 560 bucks for like a horse tournament Didn't cash, whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, I know people are going to think this is crazy, uh, but this is the God's honest truth back in like, Right before the World Series, I think it was April or May, uh, I had staked him in basically, <laughs> sounds insane, but basically it was roulette. And uh, something that I was doing, it was at the Bellagio, and I called him, and, you know, we'd been hanging out that week. You know, we hung out a couple times, and I invited him to come down to the Bellagio, and he met me there. And uh, I had done this a couple times prior, and he'd made some money, and he'd helped me, you know, with my comps and points and things I was trying to achieve. Anyhow, it didn't work out well. And he ended up losing $15,000 of my money. And I mean, this is not something he even contests. And I wasn't mad at him. Like, you know, I just, it happened, you know, he didn't owe me anything, but he ended up losing $15,000. He didn't do anything wrong. Just that's the way it turned out. Um, during the world series, we shot swap percentages. I bought pieces in before. Uh, he's never bought anything for me. He's not, you know, it, which is fine. It doesn't matter. I don't, you know, it's not like that, but it just makes it even more puzzling to me how this word turn into what it's become. So anyhow, uh, as Todd mentioned, I wrote a tweet, I don't know, maybe it was like four months ago now, asking if anyone wanted to play open face Chinese. It was like two, three in the morning and I couldn't sleep. And uh, he direct messages me and says, hey, let's play. You know, want to play 25 cents a point, 50 cents. I'm like, okay, play 50 cents. Started playing and... As Todd mentioned, you know, everything was going fine. Like I was losing, but it's it's not. I mean, it was one hundred sixty-eight dollars. It wasn't over three months. You know, maybe even longer. Um, so as Todd mentioned, all of a sudden, you know, just like that, playing, we're in fantasy land, and I'm in fantasy land, and he ends the game. Now, without even getting into more of the story, everyone I've talked to about this because people have asked me, they're like, "What is the deal with you and Bob?" And I've explained it. It's insanely unethical to do it to do what he did. I mean, at least let me finish Fantasyland because I do have the huge edge. But even so, without that even being said, I mean, I'm only going to win at 50 cents a point. Maybe I win $10, $15 if I have a great Fantasyland. It doesn't matter. 
You know, it's not even the money, but it's just in terms of poker, it's just very unethical. So he ends up disconnecting. It's this 13, I think it's called 13 card poker. It's the app on for Android or iPhone ends up disconnecting. And I sent him a text message and I said to him, you know, Hey, what's going on? You know, like, do we get disconnected? He's like, Nope, we just don't have time to play anymore. You know, something, some kind of excuse. And I said, LOL, I saw the text on my phone. You could have at least let me finish and fantasy, finish fantasy land. He didn't, re- he didn't respond. And then uh, next text was like, okay, you know, what do I owe you? And it was like $168. Okay. Wasn't pissed. Wasn't bitter. Like I did think it was unethical, but I never was going to bring it up again. Um, so about three weeks later or two weeks later, I don't know what it was. Uh, he sent me kind of like a rude text, you know, and he said, hey, you know, what's up with that $168 or something along those lines. And I was kind of caught back by it because, you know, I see him probably like once a month, I'd catch up with him somewhere. It's $168. Um, but he, I guess by the tone of his text, he really needed that $168. So I had made plans the next day. I was going to see Jeannie uh, and have dinner with her. And then another, another friend that was in town. And I said, you know what? And he's also, he also knows Jeannie, he's friends with Jeannie. Jeannie's like handled his money and done other things for him. So I said, you know what? I'm going to see Jeannie tomorrow night. I'll give her the money. Okay. You know, and I still wasn't rude or negative. Didn't even say anything about the fantasy land other than what I said in the original text, which was like laugh out loud. Really? You could have let me finish fantasy land. And uh, anyhow, that night there was, and, and I talked to you about this independently, not that it matters. I'm not going to get into everything that's personal in my life, but there is an unfortunate death of somebody that was close to me. And I did not make it to dinner with Jeannie. Uh, I called Jeannie. I said I couldn't make it to dinner. I think I even told you about this, Todd. Yeah, I'm not sure if yeah, okay. you did tell yeah. me. Yeah. So, so you knew. I mean, it, it was something pretty monumental. Someone very close to me. Had, and, and you actually missed the radio show for that as well. Oh, yep. Yeah, okay. So, someone very, very close to me, uh, her, her father died, and uh, I just had to, you know, tend to things that were important. And going to dinner with Jeannie and doing radio was not a priority at that point. Um, so anyhow, I got a text the next day from Bob, and he said to me, hey, did you give Jeannie my money at dinner? And uh, I told him what happened, told him that there was a death. I didn't make it with Jeannie, and he basically said, oh, okay, and then just gave me some sort of rude answer. I'd have to look at my phone, but it was something really, really shitty. And I'm just like, really? Like, I just told you that blank, and he knew who this person was, like father died, and like that's what your response is? Like, I thought we were friends. I've known you for six years. Like, seriously? And then it just started from there. Like, you don't even have the money. You're broke because of roulette. You're broke because of this. And he just started pouring on the insults to me. And then at that point, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to pay you. Fuck you. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and, like, say, you know, that, that, yeah, he pissed me off. He was, like, rude to me. He obviously mocked someone close to me that he had met that died. Then he started getting into other personal attacks about things on Facebook I posted about relationships and girls I was dating and just got really, really ugly. And I just, again, was really caught and, you know, caught just off guard. Like it just, it didn't make sense to me. Like shit, this guy was my friend. He fucking has hung out with my father. A lot of people can't say that. I mean, I don't even know how many poker players, you know, or friends of mine in the poker world have ever met any part of my family. So then for about, I don't know, a month and a half after that, he went on this fucking Twitter war I had like Jeannie and, and another friend of mine to say, you know what, I'll just pay him to shut him up. I'm like, no, it's not the money. Like I even sent him a mocking picture of my PayPal account where I had like $9,000 in it. Yeah, I saw it. See, that's kind of when I was 
brought into this was when like when all this Twitter stuff was going on that that he tweeted to me about uh, Brandon's broke. Brandon's a scammer, but I, I'll, I'm going to cover this up at Poker Fraud Alert. He bets. So I'm like, wait a minute, I haven't heard about this. Tell me. So that's when you know he dumped all these uh, screenshots and stuff on me. And so he said, I'm going to send you screenshots. And when he told me that, I thought for a moment when he said, I'm going to send you screenshots. I'm like, oh boy. I, like I was kind of scared for Brandon that I was going to actually see something that I, that's going to be unpleasant for me to see. That that uh, is going to shock me. And then when I saw it, I couldn't believe it. Like it was, there was nothing incriminating in these text, in these right. shots he's sending me. And in fact, one of the text shots was Brandon showing he has money on his PayPal. And I said, "Wait a minute, you, you're telling me he's broke, but you're including in your own screen captures uh, pictures of Brandon's PayPal where he has money." So this doesn't make sense. And it's not even my bank account. It was just my. It was like eight thousand dollars just in PayPal. So then I just started being a dick. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like I started sending him a penny every day. Okay, one penny on PayPal every day. And then, I mean, it just, he really went insanely too far. Like, it just, like, I mean, I can't even, well, okay, here's here's an exact, I think this was the exact thing that just got me really steaming. When I said that, you know, so-and-so's father died, he made a comment, you know, via text. He's like, well, I hope he rots in hell. Okay, like, that's what he said. I'm like, I'm going to pay you? So, anyhow, I let him go on and on, and, you know, everyone thought he was nuts, and people are texting me, like, really? Like, this guy's insane? Now, to understand Bob, okay, and you know what? And this is the first time I've talked about this. I've, I've No tweeting, no Facebooking, you know, nothing. Yeah, sure. So Brandon just, hasn't responded to any of this, like, on Twitter until now. This is a guy that I originally met from Barge, and what Barge, again, is, is Barge is a community of people that are not professional poker players that are doctors, lawyers, truck drivers, I mean, just everything, every walk of life that just love playing poker recreationally. And Bob actually, because of his behavior uh, and, and berating people and cursing at people, there was a code of conduct and ethics written because of him. Um, because, you know, the whole thing about barge again is, you know, if you take a bad beat, you clap. When, you, when someone gets knocked out of a tournament, no matter what the tournament is, the etiquette is everyone stands up and everyone starts applauding. Um, you put a bad beat on someone, you, you can laugh about it. No one ever gets mad. And again, these are like $80 tournaments. But he had berated a number of people over the years. Uh, and so a, a code of conduct was established because of his behavior. And it, that pissed him off. And he hasn't participated in a barge event in about a year now um, because of that. One of the first times I ever met him, this is actually a, a true story, and, you know, he jokes about it, and it is kind of funny, but it just kind of tells you who he is. We were – this was like 2007, I think, 2008. I don't know. Right when I met him, we were playing at a horse tournament at uh, the Venetian, and Celine Dion's husband was right next to Bob, and I was on the other side of Celine Dion's husband. Like, I guess the husband was, like, in the four seat. I was in the five, and Bob was in the three. And uh, Celine Dion's husband was, was Omar eight or better, and – he, I don't remember what the hand was. I don't do poker hands, but whatever it was, he, you know, he played the hand awful. Somehow he got there, and I don't even know if he scooped it or chopped the pot, but it was a bad play, you know. But it's a $560 tournament, you know, and the guy has fucking, you know, I don't know, what does he have? Probably $200 million, $300 million. He's, you know, on, on death's bed now, and he's had cancer for 15 years. He doesn't care. He just wants to have fun. Anyhow, he puts a beat on Bob, and Bob just starts laying into this guy. 
Like, literally, like, just, you're the worst player. You're god-fucking-awful to the point where a floor man had to come over and, and talk to Bob and, you know, say, if you keep, you know, this up, F-bombs again, we're going to give you a one-round penalty. It's kind of close to the money at that point, so, that, you know, Bob needing the money, I assume, just shut up. But he has an awful temper, and, he, you know, he, he he's, he's – it is what it is. I mean, he's not – you know what? He's not the kind of he, – he's not good for poker in that sense. And I'm not berating him now because – you know, I, I, I'm pissed off about this whole situation over $168. These are all things that people have said about him, you know, mainly behind his back, but in, in some sense to his face as well, about his temper and the fact that, like, recreational players, he scares them off because he gets very, very, very angry, and he's not afraid to, like, just tell somebody how awful they are or try to intimidate them. Like, he'll just berate somebody. Like, uh, you know, you call a raise with pocket fours and, and, you know, he has aces or kings and you flop a four. You know, how could you call there? You know, you just that kind of player. And he gets real, his face gets red. He yells, he screams, he, you know, he's a hothead. So anyhow, you know what? Like I said, I felt bad. The guy doesn't really have social skills. Uh, he lost his parents when he was young. And I, you know, I know he's a lonely guy. He's always on Twitter asking, you know, what's everyone doing? Is there somewhere he can go hang out with? So I befriended him. And uh, never had a problem with him. Like, I watched his behavior with other people, but never went off on me, never had a problem with me. Um, you know, then this happens, and then he made it, like, really personal with the insults and, and saying that somebody should rot in hell and, you know, telling me I'm a scumbag and I'm a thief and I'm a liar and, and he started tweeting, and then he expects me to still pay him $168. So finally, I don't know, it was this three or four days ago, uh, Todd texts me, and, and, and Druff is like, you know, oh, Bob is tweeting again. Uh, you know, I he I blocked him. He blocked me. So I'm not even paying attention to it. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just tired of this. I'm like, you know what? And I think either I asked Druff to mediate or Druff volunteered. However, no, I, like, I volunteered. What? This is okay. recent. This is recent here. So uh, it, it kind of it, I, it didn't get solved at all, but it kind of uh, died down a little bit for a few weeks. And, and just recently it started up again uh, where, where Bob started tweeting uh, about Brandon again. And and I so I said to Brandon, hey, did you see this? And he said, no, I haven't seen it yet. And looked and I'm like and so I said it was my idea. I said, let's just end this whole thing. I know I know, I, I know you you don't like the way you've been treated here, and I understand that, and I understand you're in response to paying him a penny a day just to screw with him because you feel he's been a dick to you. And and uh, but you know at least at least you really do owe this money. So. Uh, you know, it's not like extortion. It's not like Bob saying, "Hey, you, you know, you pay me this money. You you don't owe me, but you know, you pay me off, or I'm not going to yeah, leave." There's you alone. an ethics to everything. Yeah, yeah, it, no, I grossly violated. No, that. there is, there is, and that, I, that's that's what I'm saying here. Is that that that's I why mean, I called I it. I bought a, this guy meals. He lost fifteen grand of my money. That, I that's didn't why I give right. a sour face over it. That's why I call it a personal matter. I said this when, without explaining this earlier, when this person with a funny voice called in, I said. This is a personal matter. This isn't a matter of, of uh, scamming or welching or anything else. This is a personal matter where where Bob, in my opinion, from watching this whole thing, uh, completely went nuts and overstepped his bounds uh, and went crazy over a very small amount of money that Brandon was definitely going to pay him. Like he just got too impatient and, and went off on Brandon and, and to the point where Brandon got bitter enough about it to where like uh, he decided just to give this guy a hard time in return – uh, by by paying a penny a day, uh, like pretty much like, hey, you don't do this to me uh, over such a tiny amount of money, which I was definitely about to pay you. 
you know, don't do this to me, or otherwise, uh, you know, if you want cooperation out of me, this is he's seen me gamble tens of thousands of dollars multiple times. And, and what's... I bought this guy meals. I've staked him in tournaments. Like, it, it, okay, I guess this was a misconception. If I would have known, or if he would have said to me, you know what, I don't have a lot of money. I really need $168. He lives on the east side of town. I live way out in Summerlin. Okay, to me, I'm thinking, you know what, when I see you, I'm just going to give you the money. It wasn't a large sum, and I, I saw him, you know, somewhat regularly. If he would have said to me, I need the money, you know, it's important to me, like I need it to pay my bills, to live on, then you know what, then I would have driven 20 fucking miles, you know, and met him somewhere and given it to him. But, I mean, to me, getting in my car and driving for $168 for a friend, like, it just, I, that was my thinking. I'm not dodging $168. Are you fucking kidding me? And so, and then... Like I said, it just got to put once the name calling and the assaults and, and, you know, the comments about someone close to me's father dying began. I'm like, you know what? Fuck you then. Like, what am I? Like, seriously? Then go ahead. And, of course, everyone, like, already knows what a fucking nut job he is. So everyone's texting me like, just that's Bob for you. It was only, you know, about time before he went off on you like he's done everybody else, which is why he doesn't have any friends. And, I, you know, so anyhow, it got to the point where, you know, Druff's like, you know what? Just end it. And I'm like, you know what? Fine. It doesn't even matter. You know, even... So I just asked for one thing. I'm like, you know what? I'll give you the money, Todd. I'll escrow it to you. You can take care of it. Have him remove all the fucking bullshit. You know, the tweets about, you know, he tweeted about Brandy. He just, awful tweet tweets, just negative shit. I'm like, oh, fine. You want your money? Take all this shit down. And that was it. He had, you know, Todd, you have the money now. You've had it now for two yeah. days or yeah, three Yeah, I have days. it. Brandon sent me the just money. And, fucking... and basi- basically the agreement was that uh, subtract uh, $12.50 for the fantasy land thing, which I felt was fair. And, and so it takes it from 168 to 155.50. And Brandon has sent that to me. I'm holding the money currently. And and Brandon, in return for, and, it's, and he wasn't holding the money hostage. It was more just like you know this this blew up in ways there's never it never should have. And he's like, look, let's just erase this whole thing. You, I'll forget everything you did to me. You forget about the fact that you're pissed that you haven't gotten the money yet. Just just wipe everything off Twitter. Wipe everything off Facebook. And uh, we'll pretend this never happened. We'll ignore each other from now on, and, and, and you'll have your money that, that you'll get through Todd. And so, so I was holding it. I still am holding it. And I told him this. And this way, I was the middleman here. I mean, this is my idea here. But I, I also was the middleman because it, it created less of an emotional situation because I wasn't involved in the situation. So, so it's, it would be easier for him to deal with me uh, where there's less emotion on both sides. Uh, and, and this way... You know, this way it's just he does it, removes it, and you know he satisfies his end, and I send him the money, and there's no question. Also, he knows, or at least I hope he would know, that I'm not going to stiff him or screw with him in any way. So apparently, he thinks now there's a big uh, uh, cover up. Well, I'll get get to that. Yeah. Yeah, So, so, so he removed most of the Twitter stuff. Uh, I still see it. I I don't know how. I don't see it. I, I look today. I, something's weird on your end. Maybe some kind of caching problem. But I I see uh, he removed most of it. There were a few things he missed, which I think were probably. I don't think it was on purpose. I think he just because he didn't do like with at Brandon Gerson. He was just like he'd say things. Some of it was like kind of cryptic or semi cryptic about it. But and then he also missed the thing about Brandy that he wrote uh, at the end of September. So I found the remaining tweets that he forgot to remove. Pointed them out today. Uh, he said one thing that kind of irritated me about the Brandy thing. He's like, well, I don't understand why I should have to remove a Brandy tweet. Uh, that has nothing to do with this, but okay, I'll do it anyway. I'm like, well, come on. You know why you did that. Brandy passed away seven and a half years ago, and there's no way you just randomly thought of bringing up 
you know, bringing her up and saying something nasty about her two days after you were going off on Brandon. There's he no knows way exactly who she is. Yeah, there's there's exactly. no way that's a random choice. It's not like Brandon. It's not like it's not like Brandy died three days ago and, and she's in the news. You're like, you know, I'm going to stand corrected. I do, I'm looking right now, and this is a different laptop. This is a radio laptop. For some reason, on my phone. It, it still is showing, even when I refresh yeah. on my iPhone. Yes. Yeah. So, Looking so, on it now, and I'm not seeing the ones that I saw earlier. So. Yeah, no, I, I checked myself. And so today, uh, as I said, I found a few today that he missed. I believe legitimately he missed those and it wasn't him screwing around. So he removed those. I didn't like the comment he made about the Brandy one, but he removed that too. So I was satisfied at that point with the Twitter. The only thing standing between me sending him the money uh, was the Facebook matter. Now, Facebook, if I tried to look him up on Facebook, I'm not a friend of his on Facebook, and Brandon is not anymore either since this has been going on. Uh, I can see almost nothing. I can see he's there. I can see almost nothing, though, because he's locked down most of his Facebook. So the problem is Facebook is still a semi-public medium in that uh, if – it's one thing if you have a totally different group of friends, but obviously with both living in Vegas, you know, uh, Brandon and and Bob, and both having – knowing a lot of the same people – Anything that Bob has said about Brandon on his Facebook in, in public status messages – I'm not talking about private messages he's sent to people. I mean public status messages that any of his friends can see. Uh, that That's almost the same as Twitter because it's still up there. Anyone browsing through uh, his Facebook wall will see this in the future. So, so really the agreement – the spirit of the agreement was – we just end this whole thing. And again, I have to say, we're talking about one hundred sixty-eight dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't Brandon like not Spent having the money. Forty dollars on dinner tonight. I it, mean, it was okay. It was all just about like a personal issue back and forth, where Brandon was just uh, uh, being stubborn about it because the guy had been a, a complete dick to him. So, so, I, so this was an attempt to end it, and and she's like, remove everything from social media bashing Brandon, and and we'll just end this. You'll get the money. You just won't ever talk to each other again. Brandon won't talk shit about you, which he hadn't done publicly at all, by the way, uh, and and you won't talk shit about him. Just remove everything so he did the twitter but the facebook uh he was acting really weird about so i said to him today this is all privately by the way i said to him can you friend me on facebook let me just take a quick look and then you can unfriend me if you want no he didn't want to go for that he thought it was weird i said okay uh fine you know i'm not i'm not trying to stalk you or spy on you or anything but if, if you're concerned about that uh I was told by a third party who is your friend that they saw stuff about Brandon up there. So I will have that person go take a look because he, he kept insisting there's nothing on Facebook about Brandon. And I said, I'll have that person take a look again. They told me there was. But, but and I had a third party that, that, you, that is very trusting that is friends with him and told me there was. Yeah, so, no so, reason to not believe this person. So, so I said, I'll have that person look again. Christ. And, and uh, you know, if you don't want to friend me because you're afraid of what I'm going to see, I'll let that person who's already friends of yours. Uh, go go through there and see if they see anything, and if they do, I'll point out what to delete. So for some reason, that was unacceptable to him. I don't see how he's going to stop it because I didn't tell him who it was, and, and that person could do it any time. But he kept saying, this is ridiculous. I feel like there's, I'm being stalked here. I feel like I'm being set up. You know, like He was going nuts about the Facebook thing, and I kept saying, look, it's, do you have anything on Facebook or not about Brandon? He said, no. I said, okay, if you don't have anything, then there's no problem. If I have my friend look and there's nothing there, then great. Or or if they say there is something there, I'm going to have them send me proof so I know nobody's lying to me, which I know that person wouldn't do anyway. But but like I said, look, I'm not going to take any action unless this person looks and sees the information and sends me proof. And if there's nothing to see, then there's nothing to say. Then I'm just going to send you your money. So he was going off about it. He just – for some reason, the Facebook thing was really bothering him. 
and, and he was thinking this is some kind of conspiracy and that people are lying about him to me on Facebook and he's got to figure out you know, which friends are betraying him. And I'm like, look, you don't understand. This person doesn't mean any harm. We, I asked this person to look at something I cannot see, and that is if you've talked any shit about Brandon, and they told me they saw that. And if they were mistaken or if you've, you know, or whatever, then fine. I'm going to ask them to look again and send me what they see. And if they don't see anything, then I'm going to send you the money. I just want – all I want is what I told them. is very simple. Just everything you've talked shit about Brandon, about this situation on Facebook, just remove it. Just like you did on Twitter. Remove that. Remove the, you know, you're, you've already removed the Twitter, and it's done. And if there's nothing on there, there's nothing to remove, and it's done. So, like, let's say, let's say someone gave me the term that they'll only do something if I remove the stuff I talk, shit I've talked about Brandon on Facebook. Well, I'd say, okay, fine. You know, look at my Facebook. There's nothing I've said about Brandon that's bad ever. Like, it's very simple. I, I wouldn't worry about that being seen because I haven't done it. So I wasn't understanding why he was so concerned about Facebook if he actually hasn't done it. And if I'm not even demanding that he add me, I told someone who's already on his Facebook is just going to check again and, and, you know, and make sure that there's nothing there. So it was really weird, and that's where we've been stopped. And then, I, then it was time for the radio show. So I was not going to talk about this tonight, and that's why I, I sounded a little uncomfortable when I got this funny voice phone call. And again, it's possible that the person who made this call and I'm sure they're very proud of themselves this is the case, could have just been someone who happened to see this tweet on Twitter and, and wanted to call up and start shit. Uh, but, but, the, but the reason I, I was thinking like, okay, is, is Brandon making a mistake here? If the guy's cooperating, what if someone, what if a third party's doing this and, and now he's just you know, escalated the whole thing? But I thought to myself, look, this is the problem with calling someone out publicly like this over $168 is that p- third parties will see it and then – Brandon has to answer this in some way because now the, the thousand listeners to this show, and the this, this show really does have a thousand listeners between live and the archives, uh, are, are going to think that something weird and shady was going on with Brandon. So now that a, a, either it, it, that caller, whoever it was, brought out something that it, it's either Bob himself or someone that knows about it because Bob brought it up publicly, and now the situation has to be addressed publicly. So, I, and, and also, this could have been over already if, if he wasn't acting so odd about the Facebook. And I, I must have sent like 30 messages to the guy today trying to explain over and over that I'm not looking to invade his Facebook. All I want is for someone who's already on his Facebook that can already see everything that he's already accepted as a friend. I, I was friends with him on Facebook for a number of years up until this started. And basically on Facebook, he just posts I – don't, I don't know. I mean a lot of people do this. I don't. But you know how you can link Twitter so when you tweet, it's on Facebook or vice versa. So a lot of it is, is verbatim to Twitter. And then there would be a couple other things you'd write on Facebook that are different. But it's not like you're going to see pictures of you know little kitty cats and you know him is Aunt you know, May making him an apple pie. I mean there's nothing personal <laughs> on there. Yeah, so yeah. And, and, and in sense. fact, maybe, maybe he's confused here. Maybe, now, this is not an excuse for him, but maybe he's confused. Maybe he, the auto-post between the Twitter and Facebook is what made your friend see the, uh, the stuff on Facebook as well until he removed the tweets too. So maybe that's what it was, and if that's the case, then, then it should be blank. But the weird thing was he was acting so evasive when I was saying, look, I'm just going to have the person check again, and, and I'll have them. He's like, well, they're going to lie to you. I'm like, no, I'm not going to let anyone lie to me. If they tell me there's stuff there, I'm going to ask for that person to send me screen captures, and if they can't can't, I'll believe you. I told him this, and but well, it there, wasn't... there was there was a couple threads I was told of that were independent of tweets where people were like Bob. They were mutual friends, I guess, saying Bob, stop. You're acting like like a child. This is ridiculous. And then he's defending his behavior. And I don't know. It was like 68 comments. So it's not just Twitter. It wasn't just the verbatim of of what was being tweeted. There was independent things on Facebook, and you know what? It just I, I don't. 
I said this to you in, in private, and this is what I still believe. I don't even think he cares now about the money. He just wants to fight. It, I mean, you know it, what I mean? Whole, did, you know, just take the shit down, take his money, go a separate way, get his hundred fucking and change, and be done with yeah, it. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's like it's like part of me thinks that you know he thinks this is some kind of terrible principle that got violated. Now he has to fight for it. But the other the other thing is it's what? just like he, he's he, he's too on edge about this. He's he made something that's so simple into something very complicated and controversial, which never had to be. And and even now, when I was trying to do the thing with the Facebook, like, I just just say, okay, if there's nothing on my Facebook, have your friend check. Like, that's all he's got to say. Like and, and, like, I even told him I won't believe anything anyone tells me unless I see screenshots. That should be the end of it. If there's nothing there, then there's no screenshots to send me. Like, like what's so hard about that? So, I, now, I still think, it, you know, at this point, you know, I, I think it, it would still be good, even though we've, you've come out of here and said this on the radio, uh, it would still be good if this whole thing could be everybody could put it behind, and now you know we don't start a whole new round of uh, of fighting again. Uh, unfortunately, this whole thing had to be explained because of the. No, I'm done. Fight. I mean, I'm, I, I obviously, and you concur with me. I had to address it now, but I'm not going to start tweeting about 168 dollars. And no, I, I think it needs to be over. It. Talking about it, yeah. You know, I think it needs to be over, and unfortunately, this had to be addressed now because. Someone, whether it was him or or some just independent third party who saw his tweets about Brandon, brings this up on here, and now Brandon has to answer it. Otherwise, it looks like I'm covering up that Brandon scammed someone. So, one hundred sixty-eight dollars. Yeah. That's what was so. Rid- I, I'm telling you, I couldn't believe it when I when I saw that it was about one hundred sixty-eight dollars. I, I like fell out of my chair. I could not believe that someone could be talking about you being broke and scamming them for one hundred sixty-eight dollars. It was insane. I, I I was shocked when that was the amount of money that was involved. I really was shocked. Uh, I I really. Th- uh, like I didn't know what to think. It, at the worst moment was when I was told like that Brandon's broke. You know he gambled it all away playing roulette, and that uh, he can't this pay. Is, he can't pay his debt. Apparently, this is what he thought when we were out back. I don't know the beginning, early middle of this year, whenever it was, and uh, you know I lost like thirty k with him, something like that, and he lost half of it, and he I guess was under the assumption that was. Every penny I had to my name, that which was on me, that's because that's what he said to me in text. And I, I, you know, tried common sense on my Bob. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I, I would, you know, I am fine. I mean, it, it was a very bad evening, but you've been with me. You've seen me win, <clears throat> excuse me, tens of thousands of dollars. Like, so that so that was his logic. He saw me lose thirty thousand. He did at the Bellagio. He did, and he thought that was it. And he thought that was why I couldn't pay him one hundred sixty-eight dollars. And I mean that's at least what he's saying in text, whether he believes it, I don't fucking know. But uh, th- you know that that was it. But again, even more so than that, I mean, Christ, I, I've given him probably like four or five hundred dollars <throat> just in staking him in various things. I've given him, you know, well into thousands of dollars in poker terms and staking. Like, who would bust someone's balls to this degree? Over one hundred sixty-eight dollars. I bought a meals. Like it just doesn't make yeah, sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. And he should. I'm not saying he should have walked away and just not, you know, asked for the one. Well, he had to do was say, "Hey, I need the money." Yeah, we, we drive twenty miles and meet me. Like I wasn't dodging him. I just didn't think I need to get in a fucking car and drive twenty fucking miles for someone I've known for six years for one hundred sixty-eight dollars. Fucking, uh, you know, within days after he disconnected our match when I was in Fantasyland. Yeah, like it, I just, I. It was weird. Yeah. It was weird, and. Uh, and, you know, there are people that owe me money. You know, a lot of people that owe me money. And it, you know, most of it's chump change. And you know what? I see them. They give me the money, and that's it. Like it's not. You know, I don't. I'm not gonna ever hound somebody. And so, you know, for, for I mean, it just it's a friend. Like it just doesn't make any sense. I, 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 I don't know. 
I'm at a loss for words. Yeah, and and uh, yeah, there's a difference between nuts. between scamming and like you know Brandon was being intentionally difficult because Bob had been so difficult with him uh, for so long, and, and Brandon got tired of it. It wasn't anything about scamming or trying to welch on anything, and uh, um, you know that's that's what happens there. And uh, this was never about scamming anything. It was a personal problem between the two of them, and I I thought this was just about solved, and then this Facebook thing happened, and this is what I was afraid of was going to occur eventually because someone keeps tweeting, you know. At Brandon Gerson this, at Brandon Gerson that. Well, it just takes someone to search Brandon Gerson on Twitter, see this. They obviously didn't do it today because all those messages have been gone. But maybe they did it a few days ago, saw it, and then we're waiting for the next radio to come up here and uh, and, and call under a funny voice and, and bring this up. And I bet if I called that phone number back, it would be some kind of throwaway phone number. Uh, I, I, it, it could very well be a third party that has nothing to do with Bob. So just, just repeat, I'm not saying this is Bob calling in. Uh, but the problem, the reason we're still addressing this is if we don't address this and tell the whole story, then it does look like I'm covering up for Brandon because he's my friend and that I'm willing to call out every, fo- every fraud in poker except if it's Brandon. So, so, th- so th- that's why the story has to come This isn't even out. a poker fraud. I mean, yeah. it's, but okay, so where do we stand now? I sent you the money, but he won't well, verify I, I, that Facebook has been deleted. Is that where we stand? Yeah, yeah and, that's, and that's where it still stands. I've got to know, either from the person who uh, – you know who saw this in the first place, or or if he could friend friend me for you know a temporary time and I could look. Uh, just I've got to know that the Facebook for the last month and a half of public status messages. I'm not talking about his private messages to people. Uh, the public status messages on Facebook don't contain the trash talk because that was the whole terms of like ending this. It was just it's kind of to make everyone happy so Brandon doesn't have to sit there thinking that anyone who's their mutual friend is going to read this, this, these lies about him. And uh, or, or mischaracterizations of his, uh, and that uh, Bob will get the money that's owed to him. So everybody wins. Everybody wins, and it's over, and you walk away. And and it always perplexes me when people don't want to walk away in a situation where everybody can win by walking away. And that's why, like, with, with the situation that some of you are referring, to, you know, that I had dealt with with a, a crazy guy from from the forum who I banned uh, a few years ago that's been just nuts and been harassing me. Like, I've offered this guy things that would be mutually beneficial for both of us to just walk away and be done with it. And he doesn't want to do it because that person actually enjoys doing what he's doing. And I, I, for, I hope that this is not the case with Bob. I hope he really does want to just receive his money and walk away. And if, yeah, if, if, you, if it can be seen that the stuff's off Facebook, then I will send the money. I'm holding the money. I'm not playing games. He was accusing me of, of trying to play games with them or, or try, pl- trying to uh, – uh, screw with him or trick him. And I said, I wouldn't do that. I said, why would I risk my reputation? I've had, I've been in poker for about 15 years. I've never once stiffed everyone, anyone, or said I'm going to pay someone and then not pay them or, or, or play games how? Trick people. I don't know what, I think he thought that I was trying to get him to remove things and then was and never going to send the money. They're not going to send the money or something like that. So, uh-huh. so I said, look, there's no way I would ever do this. If I tell you I'm sending, I'm holding money for you that I will send you uh, upon certain conditions, uh, then do it, and I'll send it to you. Like it's that simple. Like I, there's no, I'm not, I'm really holding the money, and when this is done, I'll send it. Like I, I don't know what to say here. I, there's no, what I'm going to do this for 155 dollars. I'm going to stiff you and, and trick you like this, and then you can show everybody that I tricked you, and no one will trust me again. I wouldn't do that. So when I've I say played, I'll, I've played open face Chinese poker with uh, David Plastic, I've lost a couple hundred to him. Sent it to him playing right now with Victor Ramden, which I've been playing for months. He sent me money. Just finished a game playing with Lawn Cigar. I've settled with everyone. I've been paid by everyone. I, 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 I'm not a scammer. I, I mean, you know, and just 
the idea that this is $168, I'm just still sitting here shaking my head. I mean, it's, it's, I, I, <laughs> I mean, it's just, like I said, you know what? He wasn't like Steve or somebody, you know what? I considered him a friend. Like it kind of pisses me off. Yeah, you know? it sucks. I mean, like, I know. He, was, he was like a friend of me. I did. Someone would have said, you know, Bob, I'd say, yeah, he's a friend of mine. Like I've hung out with him a lot. Like it wasn't like just somebody random that, you know, I, I've hung out with him n- like a number of times and many in Atlantic City, in fucking Connecticut. I mean, just he was my friend. And I don't I just don't get it. Like and I, I tried like the whole reasoning, dude, I'm not broke. I can meet you if you need the money. I'm like, I wasn't, you know, and like I said, what really pissed me off is like I was going to give the money to Jeannie. And, you know, have dinner with her. And then something awful happened, and I had to cancel dinner, and I told him that. And he was like, oh, well. Like, you know, and then after that, it was like, well, I hope he rots in hell. Like, he just got so ugly. Well, like, yeah, who says that? It, it is very frustrating when, when you've done nice things for people, you know, for someone, when you've you've been friendly with I someone. I keep saying and- it, but it's like fucking it's the same thing four years ago, whatever it was, at Raw Wolf, where, like, I literally – just was kind and went to a grocery store with my girlfriend at the time, like at two in the morning for him. And then the story is that bread was moldy, cheese was rotten. Like, and I, I, I mean, it's, it's similar to that. Like, I know I just, it, it sucks. I know I once had a situation, and I don't remember who it is anymore. But there was a guy. I don't think he posts anymore on these sites. He definitely doesn't post on Poker Fraud Alert. But there was a guy who was kind of like neutral toward me on on. Uh, I think it was on Never Went Poker. Someone who was not someone who like attacked me, but not like someone who was friendly towards me either. It's kind of a neutral. Uh, he PM'd me one day and said that uh, – I forgot who it was. Some some well-known online pro was doing these clinics for people, but they had to be recommended by a known player. And he asked, can I send a message to that guy who's doing the clinic that I know him and that you know he'd be a good person to do for the clinic? And the truth is I didn't really know this guy very well. It was just a, a longtime poster on the forum that I neither liked nor disliked. But I was nice, and I said, yes, I'll do it. I'll send a message to, to this guy so you can get in his clinic and, you know, whatever. Like, I, I did it to be nice. And then, you know, I never bragged about it or told anyone about it. I, I just – no one knew I did this except for me and this guy. And then uh, one day when I was uh, being bashed by one of the trolls on, on Everyone Poker, this guy, like, jumped on the bandwagon and was bashing me. No reason. He just – he was just jumping in with the, with the, uh, the troll bandwagon. And I was so pissed about this. I thought, you know, here I did something nice for him that I gained nothing from, someone who was not even really my friend. Like, does he not think this when there's people trolling me that, that he shouldn't just jump in? It wasn't like in a, in a fun or playful way. It was like just a – like he threw in like a, a three-liner post thing, some nasty things. You know, like, that's, that's crappy. Yeah. You know, this is a thing. I, I don't need to borrow money from anyone. I mean you could verify you've known me now. Uh, you know, for for it's going to be a decade pretty soon. I've never asked you for a dollar. I've never asked you to borrow money. I've never asked you. I, I never have. I mean, am I right? Yeah. I don't, I, I've never asked you for. That's true. Penny. I have friends you've helped out. You know, specifically one ex friend. I mean, I know you, you you help out other people. I've never asked you for anything. Every time we've had a meal, we've you know once in a while we treat each other, but nothing. You know, and and not that I need anything from anyone, but of course, you know, my reputation just like yours is, is very important. I'm just going to tell you a really interesting story. Um, there's, and, and forgive me, I know he listens to the show, but I don't think he would be insulted by me re- relaying this. There's a user on this site, and I, I don't, I mean, I, I'm very, I'm, I'm real life friends with him. He's actually one of my best friends now. I've known him for a number of years. 
I don't know. His name is something with Greek in it. I don't think there's two users on the site that have. Yeah, the, yeah that's. Greek I think it's the the Greek twenty three. Okay. Anyhow, I've been very good friends with him now for I don't know five years. The first time I ever met him, he uh, he lives in in on the East Coast, and I went with Steve the Bodyguard among others. This is a true fucking story, honest to God. I went I went to Atlantic City for a week. And uh, he lives a couple states south of it, uh, I don't know, maybe like a four-hour drive. And we had planned it so we could meet up. And I'd never met him before. He just knew me from podcasts. He knew me from the website. And, of course, since then, we've become much closer friends. And uh, he came up there and spent a weekend and met Steve and some of my other friends. The first night that we met, we got really, really drunk, uh, the Greek, myself, and Steve. And we were gambling. And, you know, he, he – is a big gambler. He's young. You know, I think he's in his mid twenties, but he has a great job and he could afford, you know, to throw around a couple thousand dollars. And, uh, we were drinking scotch and we got hammered. And I, at whatever point I was like betting like three or $4,000 a hand, I was playing Baccarat with him. And uh, I was up probably at one point, like 15, $20,000, you know, I was up a, a decent amount of money and, you know, as happens, we just kept playing and I kept drinking and, uh, you know, I don't I don't drink much these days at all. But long story short, I ended up going broke, and uh, I couldn't get to a bank. I think I even went to the ATM, and you know, I can only get a thousand or fifteen hundred. And then I had to find a Bank of America, but this was like at two, three in the morning. The guy ends up giving me, like, I think it was basically all the money he had on him. Uh, it was like thirty five hundred or four thousand dollars, something like that. I don't remember, but it was it was a, a, a large amount. You know, considering he had never met me before, and, and anyhow, just gives it to me. He's like, you know what, when you go back to, because uh, he was leaving the next morning, he's like, when you go back to Vegas, just write me a check. Okay, I'm like, seriously, you, you comfortable with this? And, you know, of course, we've been drinking, like I said. Anyhow, gives me every penny he has on him, because he was going the next day. Uh, and I ended up either losing it or losing part of it. I don't, I don't remember how it ended, but I know I, I owed him the money. Came back to Vegas, and within like two or three days, you know, went to the post office, because uh, I wanted to get, uh, what do you call it, the... Uh, what are the you know the confirmation you know the the sign the, you know, receipt, the receipt uh yeah whatever right. I just wanted to do that since you know I wanted to make sure checks don't get lost so I had to go to the post office did all that sent him even a picture from the post office he's like oh it's an anyhow dude gave me that kind of money just based on my credibility in radio wrote him a check and we've been you know friends ever since we bet games together you know we talk like he's my friend he's not just you know somebody from the forum but anyhow gave me that kind of money just based on the fact that you know thought my reputation was good so you know it's shit like that why i have to sit here and address 168 dollars because i don't want anyone to think that i'm shady or that i'm not honorable because although i don't need money I, i'm not in any situation where i need to borrow from people it's still important you know i, I you know walk around the city a lot and at times there are a lot of people that know who i am that i don't know who they are and you know just like you it's important i don't i don't want so anyhow this got insanely out of hand and when when this idiot is writing these tweets it's not like he's indicating that, you know, Brandon owes me $168 and he won't pay. He's making it seem like, as you thought, this is like thousands of dollars or tens of thousands of dollars. And he's just running. He's a scammer. He's broke. You know, he's, he's you know, a scam artist. Stay away from him. Don't do business with him. And it's just, I mean, it's just insane. Like, all he ever needed to do was not be a dick. I didn't even care about the fantasy land. You know, and just said, hey, you know what? I need the money. Like, can you come meet me now? I don't want to wait until I see you in a week. You know, and, I, and again, from my standpoint, maybe that was wrong. But, I mean, it's just the way I do things, the way my friends do things. If you have someone 
thirty dollars, fifty dollars, a hundred dollars, hundred fifty dollars, and you you see them regularly, like you're never going to be in a rush to like you know go. I mean, especially when someone lives far from you, it just didn't make any sense, you know. And and, and you know what? Like I said, I'm sitting here and I'm being honest. Yeah, like I lost one hundred sixty eight dollars. And again, I guess I could have argued the point with him further about you know the fantasy land because that's real fucking shitty. But it doesn't matter. You know, like I said, that would have been like another ten, fifteen dollars. But you know, so I'm not sitting here saying I don't own. But you know what? I made a choice. Like I'll, I'll even go as far and tell you a little bit behind the scenes. My friend Jeannie, who you know was kind of thrown in the middle of this, she's like Brandon. Like I know, like it's not your fault. This is insane. You know what? I know it's a principle. I know you're not broke. Let me just pay him. It's like I'll just pay him. Be done with this because kind of Jeannie got thrown in the middle of this. And I'm like, no, you're not going to pay him. Like if you do, then it's not. It, it, you're just giving him money. You know, she offered just to pay it. This was like two months ago. So, you know, and I told her, no, you don't pay it. Like, it's not, I don't want you to. And I would have said the same thing to you. And then finally, like, you know, you just convinced me. And, and just after sitting here and having all this start again, you know what? To have him out of my life for good and just be done with it for a hundred whatever dollars it is, it's just, it's fucking well, and, and because I, I thought, okay, it's one thing if somebody just decides that they're going to extort money out of you that you don't really owe them because to make them go away. That, that I would never pay a dime. But uh, but if it's really money that you owe the person, that's part of a whole complicated uh, dispute at the moment. If, if paying that now, even if you've, they've done shitty things to you and you're mad at them, uh, if that'll end the whole thing and make them go away, uh, you're not paying like extortion money. You're just paying money you owe them, and then you know. Right, but at what point is there some price to pay that someone's been so disrespected that the ethics have been violated so much that you can just say fuck off? Then no, I no, I don't. I don't blame you for for stalling him and, and on purpose, like being a dick back. If, like if he's going to treat me this way, then I'm going to be. Uh, I'm going to make things difficult on him. Uh, with, you know, it, it's one thing to permanently confiscate the money and say I'm fining you. It's another thing to uh, you know. Just be a dick and slow pay him because he's being so inappropriate with the way he's acting about, it, especially with such a small amount of money. If it was, you know, if you're if you're slow paying thirty thousand dollars, that's that's a different story. But such a small amount, uh, when someone's such a dick about it, if you if you slow pay him in response to being such a dick about it, then uh, that's that's not a, that's not bad. And so, uh, but at, of course, at some point, it's not worth continuing and just to end the whole thing, just pay up. And I thought you know it'd probably be best if. I handle this in the middle, so there's less emotion, you know, with dealing with him, where he doesn't have to deal directly with Brandon, and uh, just you know, he removes the stuff. I sent him the money, which I got from Brandon, which he knew. He knew it wasn't coming from me. He knew it was Brandon sent me the money, and I'm holding it, and uh, and it'd be done. So, hopefully, this will end soon. Hopefully, this will be that'll be it. And uh, yeah, I think we've we've talked yeah. for almost an hour about this, so I think it's good. Well, yeah, I'm gonna leave it up to you, Todd. You know, you volunteered, so you can deal with it. Talk to me off air about. When it's if he's going to agree to the small conditions of basically just not involving social media and be done with it. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what we're hoping for. Is it just it's just done? And uh, you know, believe me, I didn't. I, I have enough BS going on. I didn't want to get involved, but it, you know, it was uh, it was it was thrust upon me here, not by Brandon. It was thrust upon me by by Bob, and I was like, well, now now. I, I kind of felt bad watching this happen. Like I was, I was it's out of it. For, I was out of it for a few weeks, and I think he wasn't talking about it for a few weeks. But like, like when it started up again, that's when I I suggested to Brandon. I said, let's just. Uh, I think it's just time to end this and be done. And let me, I'll, I'll volunteer to message him and and make an offer to end this. He and, was he was fighting with you about the Fantasyland thing. Like you were, you even remember you offered to pay the difference because he's like no that's not accepted. we're arguing over five seven dollars yeah well so yeah i hope it's i hope it can end soon and it's just 
See, okay, now do you want to take this call? It's in that same stupid phone number. You want to sure, take the call? Sure, go ahead. I don't All care. Right. Uh, everything I said is a okay. Truth. Mr. Funny Voice, hello. The nature of your call. This is a communication from a debt collector attempting to collect a debt. Any information obtained will be used for that purpose. Right. This call is recorded and maybe my. All right, so I think this is. Uh, yeah. I think this. So maybe it's not him. It's probably not him because it's, it's, I know just from my friendship with him, he goes to bed really early. It's not whatever. Yeah, okay. so I, I thought it was a good chance this is a troll doing it. Like, okay, or it could be someone he knows that he mentioned it to. But whatever. Yeah, that, that's that's what kind of it. It kind of just didn't seem like to me that that's. I thought it was possible he was frustrated about the Facebook thing he did it, but I, I thought also there's a high chance this is a troll. So that's the same phone number that called me before. So obviously it's. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well. So at least at least it wasn't him, probably. But but still, the reason this person knows is because he was making it public. So that that's this is what happens when you try to make you know you try to drag this into the public eye, and and then someone sees and then brings it up on this show, and then now we've got to explain it. That's the that's why this whole thing got done tonight, is because you made it public, and now finally it it uh, it got brought into this radio show. So okay. Uh, let's see. Here's the other uh, topics. I don't know how much longer you want to stay on, but uh, and by the way, so what, what, what is the deal with radio these days? What, what okay, day so here's here's snow? the deal. Uh, it's normally it's going to be Thursday uh, at 7:30 p.m. Pacific. The last two weeks it's been Friday. Last week was because I, I just I I wanted to give my mouth an additional day to heal, uh, and also the Dodgers were playing that night. And this week it was because. Benjamin's mom got the flu, and, right. and she, she still has she still has it actually. But it, it's it's more mild tonight to where she was good enough to be able to watch Benjamin. And yeah, you know, with with uh, Benjamin, yeah, I can't just leave him out there while I'm uh, doing this show for hours. Someone I thought he's to... playing online poker now. Folded <laughs> in the seven deuce and. Bad I mean, what does he say? That's bad hand. Yeah, he, he did say it's, uh, six and two. You should throw that away. Yeah, so. <laughs> He said that, and what do you think of that Manley being fired or quitting? And no, oh, I was going I was going to talk about that. So let's let's make that the next topic. So he says he wasn't fired. Well, he, yeah, he they was. Said, he yeah, was. No, he, he says he they wasn't. They say that neither one. I'm sorry. He says he didn't quit, but then the management says he wasn't fired. Yeah, so no, he was clearly fired. Basically, they they this is one of those things where they were letting him go in a friendly manner where it doesn't look like they're firing and where it kind of looks like both sides agreed yeah, to go saving like a saving gray, saving face. Kind yes. of thing. Where both sides agree that they're going to say that they agreed together that they like, he know he knows he's going to be fired. He talks to them. They're like, look, we're going to need to let you go, but uh, it, we'll, we'll put it better to the public. We'll say that uh, we just both decided to go our separate ways. So it doesn't look like we're firing you and that'll give you uh not only be less embarrassing for you, but it'll give you better footing for a future job prospects. So uh, here's here's the thing. I've watched a lot of the Dodgers, for especially for the last few years, uh, and obviously there's been disappointment every year in the postseason for the last three years. In 13, they lost to the Cardinals in the NLCS, and Mattingly made some uh, pretty bad mistakes. In 14, they lost in the NLDS, the first round to the Cardinals again and made stupid mistakes. And and last year, I and sorry, this year, uh, it wasn't so much Mattingly making major managerial mistakes. It, it was just uh, they lost 
the fifth game because the players blew it. They just couldn't hit. They, in scoring position, they blew it like 11 straight times when the Dodgers had run into scoring position, and uh, they came back to bite them. They lost the game by one run. And, and they also had four innings left to catch up when they're down 3-2 to two and couldn't get a run across. So it was definitely poor hitting that doomed the Dodgers against the Mets. Uh, it was also because the Mets had this mysterious force known as Daniel Murphy, who just hits a home run every, sing, every single game after only being a mediocre home run hitter the whole year. So that that was kind of odd, and it turned out not to just be the Dodgers' problem. It turned out it's just uh, it's just Murphy is just off the hook right now, so that was a big advantage in a otherwise low-scoring series. Uh, but I saw Mattingly make a lot of mistakes during the regular season and previous year's postseasons. He just isn't a good strategic manager. And I, I knew that his firing was going to be coming even if all of the Dodgers' problems were not his fault. But it's not like this is a great manager who was dealing with a flawed team and just bears the brunt of the firing. The Dodgers lost for two reasons. Uh, one reason was it was a flawed team, and the second reason was because uh, he's just not uh, that great of a manager. He makes strategical mistakes, and uh, even though they were not a major part of the losses here, uh, they they were in 2014, they were in 2013, and they were a lot during the regular season. The Dodgers were fortunate that they were able to kind of slip in to the NL West title pretty easily because the Giants shit the bed at the end, and the Giants honestly weren't that great. And, and, the, uh, and the Mets even slumped a bit at the end, so the Dodgers even got ahead of them to get the home field advantage, which ended up not helping them. So... This is what I want to see. The Dodgers had some gaping holes in 2015, and I, I think the front office, which has been – a lot of people have been lauding the front office of the Dodgers, the new front office that started in 2015, Andrew Friedman and uh, Farhad Zaidi, and uh, these guys were known as the money ball guys. Analytical. The, the analytical guys. And the problem is I, I feel that these guys – don't understand yet that they are building a big market team. They're, they're taking small market strategy and bringing it to big market teams, and it's not working. And, and, and I, if you look at it, every move they made for 2015 was either like a wash where it, it, uh, it didn't really help, didn't hurt, or was a fail. They, there's nothing they did in 2015 that, that uh, improved the team. Okay, the one thing I do want to say real fast, and I guess you know, Madeline even said this in his postseason, uh, you know, recap thing about the post. Uh, everyone that knows baseball acknowledging that the postseason is a crapshoot, and to some degree, I do agree. I mean, it any, is, yes. any team that can make the postseason, you know, a one seed or a six seed, you know, meaning a you know a wild card team versus a division winner, in any given seven games or five games, six games, anyone can win. I mean, it, it's, it's, I guess what I'm saying, it's a lot different than like for say like an NBA playoff team yeah. where I brought that you know, up last one week. Versus, okay. Well, one versus eight or two versus seven. It's very rare. You're going to see those, you know, kind of upsets. One thing about baseball that's always bothered me, even when I was young, I don't understand how the, you could play 162 games. And I've, I've always thought the first round should not be a best of five. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think it's too small a sample size. It is. Play 162 games, okay? Well, that's, that's why, why can't I, you make it a best out of seven? And the, the that, other thing I don't 
I'm sorry? Yeah, that's why I also don't want as many teams making the playoff. I hate this thing with, with 10 teams making the playoffs because it, it gives too much of an opportunity, like last year's Giants, a team that wasn't that great, wins 87 games, to win the World Series when they don't really oh, deserve Bob it. Bob Lurie is calling me. Hold on one second. <laughs> Tell, we can put him on radio if he really wants to. Uh... Okay, so uh, I guess Brand is talking to him off air. Oh, uh... uh, you know what it is? Somebody's spoofing me. So it ha- it's are you there? Yeah, it's definitely somebody that he knows, a friend of his, because they obviously have his phone number because it just showed up. So Bob they called. They called. They, they called with his number. Yep. With with that same crap. Yep. So it's it's definitely either him or somebody that he knows. You know what? Just for the archives. I'm texting you this screenshot. Oh, actually, you know what? I you know what? I I want to correct something I said that was wrong. What? Um, the phone number I just got that, that that weird thing they called that wasn't necessarily the same thing that uh, they called me earlier. Uh, because it, the, the number I got calling me now was actually Bob's number. It wasn't. Yep. It was, so yeah. So it, it, yeah, um, the number you said. Yep. The, yeah, it's spoofed. Yeah. So so, but but the, the number I got with a, with that funny voice, it was a similar number, but it wasn't the same number. The funny voice number was. Uh, so it probably is someone who who just uh, knows his number and your number and is, is playing games here. Then well, it has to be someone that knows him to have his phone number. That's what I'm saying. Yep. Unless unless they got it some other way by looking it up. That's okay, I just sent too. you a text just so you don't think. Yeah. No, Anyhow, uh, enough of that. So I, I never understood that, and I also don't agree with the wild card being a one game playoff. Yeah, I don't either. I, that should be two or three. I mean, on any given day in any sport, anybody can win. But how can you play? Night and day, 162 games, and have it come down to just one game like that. I think it's the most absurd. It is the, the whole thing. format's crappy, and I, 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 I've still been a big. I'm still a proponent of, and I know they'll never change this because they they like the excitement that the wild cards and the additional teams qualifying uh, brings to the end of the season. But uh, I, I, I thought it was much more fair when much fewer teams made the playoffs where you really have to be a good regular season team to make the playoffs. And the reason I think you need that is because it is a crapshoot and so many teams can win in the playoffs just by getting temporarily hot. And I just don't think it's fair that a great regular season team loses a, a short playoff series, even seven games, uh, yeah. just because the, the the much worse team is temporarily hot. I, don't, I think to, to be in the playoffs and have the chance to win the World Series, you have to have a very good season in the regular season, and if you're letting 10 teams in, there will be some teams that don't deserve to be there. And that's what bothered me about the Giants winning last year, not that just because I hate the Giants because I'm a Dodgers fan. Right. I, I thought 87 games. Well, then you become the NBA where a team 7, 10 games under 500 is a 7th or 8th seed. Yeah, but at least in the NBA, they, they usually lose. Here here you yeah. can have it where, like, the Giants last year, they get hot at the right time, and, uh, and they, they can actually win. The Giants last year had three losing months and were the World Series champion. Including September, they had a terrible September last year too, and they still won the World Series. Well, you know, it's also. I mean, it, I mean that happens in every sport. I mean, think of the last two times specifically, the Giants over the last uh, six years. Was it seven years now? Seven or no? Yeah, seven, six years now have won the Super Bowl both times. They had a mediocre season, you know, mediocre to decent. Both times, the beginning, the middle, middle of the year, they sucked, and then they just got hot at the right time. You know, yeah. talking about the New York Giants and, yes. and you know the NFL, but in baseball, it's I mean, you know, football is a lot different. I mean, I don't know, like, say you have a matchup. I don't know. We'll go back. 
to like uh, I don't know what was like the last what was the last blowout in a Super Bowl like just an awful game. What's the last like really uh, bad Super Bowl remember. you can think of? But anyway, okay, an example is like this: say a team like uh, the New England Patriots right now played the Detroit Lions in the Super Bowl. Okay, just as they are right now, would you would you say probably eight and a half to nine times out of ten, New England's going to win? Yeah. Okay, right. That's my. But in baseball, in one game, you know, or if you just have an ace that can shut everybody out, it's just it's just too small of a yeah, sample. Yeah, it's, it's way too small of a sample. So, and the other thing that really shocked me is I was watching the game earlier today, and, and, and you know, just browsing these amazing pitchers. And I don't know if it's just bad luck, if it or if it's just really you know, just choking. When I I heard at the end of the game that David Price now for his major league career, and I guess I think he was only with. Was he, he was with Tampa, Detroit, and then now Toronto. I, I, I guess he pitched Detroit was Detroit in the postseason last year. I can't remember if they were. Yeah. But, okay. But anyhow, he was like zero and seven. He's never won a postseason game ever. And this guy's like a Cy Young winner. He's he's. I wouldn't even say he's arguably one of the top five pitchers in baseball. I mean, you'd give him that, right? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, he, yeah, he, the top five? yeah. Some of it gets to be a self-fulfilling prophecy where you you have a few bad games for whatever reason in the postseason, maybe from nerves, maybe you just don't pitch well that day, and then you start to hear from everybody. And Clayton right. Kershaw goes through this that uh, that you suck in the postseason, and then you uh, it gets in your head and you don't pitch well, and and this can this can kill you. So I think that's probably happening to Price is he's hearing so much that he sucks in the postseason that then he sucks in the postseason. So he definitely has a problem to have been losing this many times in, in the postseason, and it, it's going to become a problem. At least Kershaw, you know, he, he had a uh, not such a good first game. At least his, his uh, second game where he won. He, that was he three well. days rest, too, wasn't yeah, it? Was a three-day game's rest. So, that, so, yeah. that, so uh, the Dodgers lost this, this time for two reasons. One is they didn't have uh, the game three they just gave away because their pitching was terrible. So beyond Kershaw and Greinke, everybody you know, was useless and, and in the starters. And, and second, mainly – because they couldn't hit. The only person who really hit in the whole series was uh, Justin Turner. Yeah. And, so, I, you know, I hate saying this term, but, you know, and also in a way it's just bad luck. If you take away that Murphy guy, that I'd ne- I'm not going to lie to you, you know, I do follow sports pretty well. I'd never heard of him. Never heard of him before any of this began. What was it seven home runs you hit in yeah, a row? Yeah. And, and, and not Jesus only that, but uh, the Dodgers, they came down to game five and lost by one run and blew 11 straight chances with runners in scoring position. So just, just two of those 11 – they get hits, they win the game four to three. So it, it could have been completely different. Then the Mets would have, you, there would have been no more talk about uh, Daniel Murphy because you know it would have ended there. The Dodgers would have played the Cubs if the Cubs if the Cubs were as crappy as as uh, they yeah, were. Yeah, that surprised me too. If someone would have told me the Mets were going to sweep them, yeah, I didn't expect uh, I, that either. I never saw that coming. Yeah, especially they look so good against St. Louis. So I got to be honest. I, I, you know, I'm a I'm a Florida guy. Obviously, my Marlins of literally sucked since the inception of their franchise uh, both times. I, I think they're probably the only professional team in any sport, I guess with at least a minimum of one playoff appearance or two, that every time they've made the playoffs, they've won yeah. the world championship. <laughs> so they made the playoffs twice. Both times they, they've you know won the world series. Um, before we had baseball, I was, I was a senior in high school. So I was like, or maybe a junior. I think I was, I was 16 or 17. We had no baseball. So I was actually a Dodgers fan before because that's what my family my dad was and i just kind of followed it from him but this year more than any year i am not even i mean i'll watch it i guess if it's on but the royals and the mets does nothing for me yeah this isn't going to be a big it's uh... not really what the i mean i guess it could be worse like the you know maybe the royals and 
don't know, pick another like small market team. At least you got the the New York, you know, media and you know the, the viewership in New York. Well, yeah, but, it could have been it could have been Pittsburgh and and, uh, and the Royals. That would yeah, be worse. But I gotta imagine the ratings are probably going to be down this year. Yeah, they probably no will. Even close to the you know West Coast, so none of California is going to care for the most part. I mean, you're just going to have one major media market, but. Uh, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not even looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm not you? either. I'm not either. And uh, yeah. the. And I'm rooting for the Royals. I'm going to go on the record. <laughs> on the uh, you know for the Dodgers, uh, I I as I said I think that the all the moves they made, nothing really worked out and uh, and they did some other things that took a step back. The running game took a step back. Your Marlins there getting D Gordon who ended up being the batting champion. That was a that was yeah. a backfire. They, they they you know Howie Kendrick did okay, but but uh, uh, they boy could they have used D Gordon to to push that last run across in Game Five. You see now the Marlins are going to be talking to Mattingly about uh, their open managerial yeah, that's, job. Yeah, so you may have to watch Mattingly Jesus yourself. But Christ. but you know like D Gordon, they they got rid of him. I understood why they did it, but everything. But the problem is when they did that, they didn't think, okay, what are we going to do about our running game now? So they removed D Gordon. All of a sudden, the team can't run. They were the worst running team in the majors, the Dodgers, and they, it was a killer. They they not only lacked basic speed, but they also weren't even being aggressive on the base paths. Well, and, what these inside sources said, and I'm sure you've read it, was that they thought that Mattingly, although he was a player's coach and could relate to them because he was a former player, didn't have that killer instinct. Um, he did. They they said, you know, these are unnamed sources that ownership was annoyed. <laughs> this is a direct quote: that players were riding around after practice and before on those little golf cart, like those little pimped out golf carts. I don't know if you saw that or not. That they don't like that, and also like the fact that when they lost games, people they were laughing, and you know they seemed like in decent spirits even after you know regular like a regular season loss. And he didn't just have that, you know. He, he, he didn't. It's true. He didn't seem like it affected him that much when the Dodgers were losing. He didn't. He didn't get mad enough. And in fact, it seemed like players weren't uh, scared of him getting mad. There was that that blowout with him and Andre Ethier in Game Five of the. NLDS where he I don't even know if he was really trying to calm down Ethier like he said but Ethier uh, failed the runners in scoring position and uh, and then somehow it degenerated into an argument where where Ethier yelled at him at one point shut up and manage so that's just showing no respect for the manager and Ethier shouldn't have done that but what I'm saying here is that uh, I do think that the players didn't have the proper respect and even fear of the manager like they should have. Uh, there, there was a lot of things we saw on TV yeah. that happened with, with uh, players. And if K- Clayton Kershaw yelled at him sometimes, at least you say, well, Kershaw can kind of see himself as the king of the team because of who he is. But, but Ethier, I mean, he's not. <laughs> so uh, these things shouldn't be happening. But, but the bigger problem than that, I mean, the Dodgers, it was a tough group of ple- people to manage. So I don't give him so much of a hard time for that. It was a tough group of guys to manage. They had too many outfielders to manage like, playing time for everybody, too. Yeah, it, yeah, it was that, but it was also just a lot of egos. There was a lot of uh, tough personalities to manage on that team. But what? But it, just the in-game strategy wasn't good. There were a lot of mistakes, and he just didn't have the, the fire inside of him to inspire this team. So that's why I, I, th- I think the firing of him is good. Uh, but but the problem is I I'm not convinced that the front office, who a lot of people are impressed with, but I'm not. Everything they tried to do was a fail. So, he had, did he have one year left on his contract? Yes. So what I mean they're never going to probably announce is Manley claims again that he didn't quit. The, the clubhouse, you know, the president says he wasn't fired. Do they just pay that other yeah, year? Yeah, they're going to eat pro- it. Yeah. 
Okay. And so, so yeah, the front office, they, they, they haven't done anything that has worked out. And they've also – the weird thing is they spend money in odd places where they don't really need to. Like they got this uh, – um, this player they traded to the Braves, Hector Oliveira, and they ate a lot of his. Hey, Todd, I'll be. I'm sorry, I'll be right back. I need okay. to get some water. Just keep talking. Like, 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 like this is like a 30 or 31 year old Cuban guy whose skills are even in question. It's not like a, a can't miss player, and they gave him this big contract for multi years, and ended up trading him to the Braves and eating a lot of the money. Like they they do this weird thing with committing money to players that are questionable. And yet they are not making the big moves to get good, reliable players that you know are probably going to have a big year that are going to cost a lot of money. Like that, that's what a big market team should be doing. And they should also be trading away their kind of medium value prospects, not the top top prospects they have. Like don't trade away Julio Urias, but trade away the medium value prospects for these players. And and that's what they should be doing here. They shouldn't be they're, – they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. They're trying to hold on to any decent prospect while at the same time uh, trying to win the championship. But you can't do that. You've got They've got to be willing to part with some prospects. If they have so much money, prospects aren't as important. Prospects are only important to small market teams that need good players that play for very little. So you, you don't ditch the players who might – reach greatness one day you, uh, but you the medium level prospects you've got to take a chance and, and trade them away for for players that you really think are going to help you and i haven't been seeing a lot of that i've been seeing too many reclamation projects too many players they're getting that uh, have injury problems or that you know said to have a lot of potential but have a lot of injury problems people like brett anderson and and uh, and, and this mccarthy who was injured the whole year like you they've got Carl to get Crawford. reliable people what Carl crawford well, that was the previous regime. I mean, there was a lot of mistakes. Josh Beckett. Yeah. Well, so the previous regime, they, they were totally clueless. But uh, the funny thing is there was success that th- this team had this year was really with players from the previous regime. Now, the previous regime made a lot of mistakes and wasted a lot of stupid money. And uh, you know, they, they were clueless. But they actually stumbled into some, some smart things. And, in fact, uh, one of the really effective players in the playoffs and also during the year, Justin Turner, they had him for like two million bucks for the last two years. So that's that was a spectacular deal. That was the best thing the last management did. But uh, this new management, they haven't done a single thing yet that has worked. And that's that's concerning. They're trying to clear money off the books, I think. I saw something today where their payroll, like all those guaranteed contracts, they're going to have so much more. I mean, they already have unlimited money. But over the next three years, they're just going to keep losing like – 30 million, 50 million yes, from all they these are. guys. There's contracts. a lot of dead money. It's unfair to say it's a 300 million dollar team because a lot of this was dead money of of useless players that they got rid of. And and uh and so I see that and I understand that it's not fair to say it's a 300 million dollar team because that's not 300 million dollars worth of players that are playing on the Dodgers currently. But but still uh the bottom line is what they did uh, I where they did spend money, it was in what I felt was wasteful places that weren't likely to return that much and and where they didn't spend money uh, they should have. They just seem they seem too reluctant to give away mid-level prospects uh, or, or sign big free agents that that will really put the team over the top. And that's why the team was left with so many holes. That's why the team was left with bullpen holes. That's why the team was left with like why was a why was a rookie this Baez? Why was he put out there uh, in this critical spot in, in game one? He shouldn't have been. 
Uh, and the, the problem was they didn't have that many choices. It was still a mistake on Mattingly's part, but they, they didn't have that many great choices to go to in the bullpen. And and the starters, they had no one to go to except for Kershaw and Granke. They, they shouldn't be in this position. And you can't say it's just bad luck from injuries because they they picked up two injury-prone players uh, to yeah, add to the, the rotation. One one big thing for them in the playoffs is I was posting this in chat earlier. Between, like, Greinke and Kershaw, they can never seem to get, like, three straight starts where they both give up, like, two earned runs or less. One of them always, like, gives up something. And then you're on to the third and fourth starters who are total shitbags. Yeah. You know? Well, but you can't expect Kershaw and Greinke, especially on short rest, to, to always just kill it there. And it's the playoffs. like you. It, but the other teams are doing it. Like, the Mets just Yes, but you can't expect it. You can hope it. You can't expect it. I know if, if – yeah, if, if they – if Kershaw and Greinke threw amazing games, then, uh, yeah, the Dodgers would have won the playoffs. They came close anyway to winning the uh, the, the first round. But uh, they, they didn't do terribly. Uh, Greinke had two, like, okay games, and, and Kershaw had one – Mediocre game, one good game. Neither were none of them, they were never dominant in any of, the, any of those starts, but right. none of them were terrible. Uh, the only terrible start was the the Brett Anderson start, and then Alex Wood right after him yeah. in the same game. What you but, guys were talking about earlier. I think this is why you see these pitchers like Price and some other guys. You see these like bad records is because they're always going up against great pitchers too. So if you just not even run bad. You could pitch well and lose three starts in a row because the other, you know, you go up against someone like a Degrom or a Harvey or something like that. If they give up one run and you give up two, you're going to get a loss. Yeah, you know? the, the Dodgers tossed away Game Five. They should have won that series. They should have won the series because they had so many chances to score. Degrom wasn't pitching well, and uh, and they they just weren't getting it done. They just were shitting the bed every time. And then they, of course, they made that stupid mistake with letting uh, Murphy run to third. But look. I, some of the Dodgers' loss there can also be blamed upon the the fluke uh, effectiveness of, of Daniel Murphy, which which no one could have predicted. And the, you know, it's it's hard when you have a player who's hitting a home run every single game when there's not many runs being scored overall to to, to win the series. It's just hard to do that when you you have a guy every single time hitting a home run. It's just running hot over a small sample. It's like the end of a poker tournament. You yeah. Know? Win a few, win a few coin flips, and you, you're going to win the tournament. Uh, by the way, this is China Maniac. For those of you that don't know, I didn't. Inter- I forgot to introduce him. I just, I just added him. So hey, what's uh, up? What's up, Brandon? Well, Brandon's uh, the... he had to put us on hold. So, okay. So, uh, so do you think? Do you think the Dodgers is going to be able to re-sign Granky, or do you think he's going to go for like well, where okay, he so, can get the biggest contract? I, I think that. Uh, so this is another dumb mistake the last regime made. They gave him a big contract, a big seven-year contract, and they. They screwed themselves either way. If Granky pitched poorly for the first years of the contract, then they will have given a giant contract to a guy who, who sucks. If he pitches great like he did, then he can opt out and get more money. So either way, they, they screwed themselves. So th- this was a, a mistake of Ned Coletti, and, uh, and it's too bad as it ruined what was otherwise a great signing for the team. And now they're in a bad position because Granky is 32 years old. He's about to be 32. And he's going to want a lot of years. He's not going to say, oh, I'll take uh, three years. He's going to want something like six years, seven years. And right. he's not going to last that long because he, he's got some recurring elbow problems. Uh, of course, any pitcher who's over 35 is going to start to go downhill, except for some knuckleballers. But everybody else starts to go downhill quickly. And, uh, you know, you give him a ton of money, he'll be good for the first few years. And then the last years are going to be a waste. Now, maybe the Dodgers are willing to do it. Uh, it's too bad because it would be so much nicer if they could just have him for four more years and then at that point reevaluate because at that point he'd be 36 and you could say, okay, well, or, okay, now now we'll give him a much smaller contract because he's, he's getting old. But 
now they're going to be stuck if they want to keep him. And I think they will because if they don't keep him, who do they have? Kershaw and nobody else, and right. no one's going to stand for that. So I think I think he's going to demand six or seven years for a lot of money. I, you know, I think the Dodgers will give it to him. I, I wouldn't be surprised he goes you know seven years, two hundred yeah. million, and that's yeah, because so, somebody's going to offer him like five yes. and one fifty. Five yes. and one fifty, no problem. Yeah, and that's, and that's then, well, then he's going to tell them, "Give me six or seven. Yeah. So uh, one one gr- good thing I'll say for Granky is he never gets rattled. You, he never gets bombed. He he will right. he, he'll have some mediocre start. He'll never get bombed because he doesn't he doesn't ever let himself get rattled. No matter how bad the start is, or, you know how bad the first inning is, how uh, uh, whether errors behind him screwed him and let runs score, he he just shakes it off and, and pitches well after that. It's amazing. I've never seen someone. Yeah. This is like the guy with like no tilt problem at all. Yeah, he never let. He doesn't let a lot of guys on base either. So yeah. that's good. And he just never tilts. He never he never lets it get to him. He can just right. tune out whatever's happened, which is a, a a very good skill. And then and then uh, you know there's some other good uh, other good things about him. He he can hit pretty well for a pitcher. He can he's an excellent fielder. So there's a lot of very good things about him. But he's 32. Will be thirty-two and a half by the time next season starts, and his elbow. Who's, who's this? This is Granky. His elbow is, is, you know, has recurring problems that this year didn't really get him, but he missed part of spring training because his elbow was hurting. So, yes. you know, do you want to give a guy seven years whose elbow problems is thirty-two? Is he going to resign with? Uh, well, we're just Dodgers, talking about that. Yeah, we just talked about. That. I think he will. Yeah, I think he will because they're just going to. They're just going to give gonna, him gonna, the long. He's going to make them make him the highest paid pitcher of all time. Yeah, he's That's gonna, what he's going to do. They're, they're going to give him some big contract and just. Realize that probably at the end of it, they're just going to have to eat money. But, but there's one good thing they, that the Dodgers do have going for them. If they don't sign him, they have money. And Cueto's a free agent, and Price is a free agent, and Zimmerman's a free agent. So I wouldn't even be surprised if they signed two of those well, That's guys. what they need to do. That's what they need to do. That, that's what a big market team should be doing, not, not, not going with all these reclamation projects where they hope it might work out. Like, you don't do that. You, if you're a big market team, you don't do that. That's, that's what my problem is. So the, this ownership has to stop with these reclamation projects and, and stop with these pitchers. Like, well, they could be good if he just doesn't get hurt this year. Like, stop with those type of players. Get, you have all the money. Go for the big players who, uh, you know, who are going to cost a lot, but, but there's a good chance will be very effective. That's what they need to do. And, and they, what, they're not that's doing what the Red Sox are going to do this year. They're going to hop back in, I think. Because, I mean, they signed like four, like, crap pitchers. Oh, shit. All... China, what's up, buddy? What's going on? <laughs> Brandon just realized China. that was Jason. <laughs> no, what's going on? Why, were you guys talking to him earlier? No, no. We, we need to talk to him. He's not paying anything. Wasn't this the month that he was? Uh, yeah, but he's, yeah, he stopped paying why, in like, September, actually. So he and, and the uh, the place he was working is closed at the moment. So, right. yeah. Yeah, I, do, I knew this was going to happen. Like, you know, come the end of the season at these seasonal places, because I worked at one of these places actually like a long, long time ago. And, you know, after that, you, you if you don't pick up another job, you just collect unemployment and you don't you're not going to you're not going to make the same amount of money. I just hope he starts. Hopefully he doesn't see this as a an him and the girl break up. Yeah, or I, him and the girl break I, up. Yeah, there's a lot of ways we can never see another penny out of him. But uh, we'll have to keep no, the, th- keep the I, heat on. I think he's – I don't think that's why. I think he really like – I don't think it was the girl. I just think – I think he really felt guilty and he wanted to pay. He felt yeah, I, I don't, I don't pay. agree. I, th- I think he just wants to keep the – the. He wants to keep everything he reestablished. He felt like he reestablished his life in, in the way that he's happy with at the moment and he doesn't want to see it disrupted. And, and Because he only started with this as soon as he got contacted. And, and, and kind of like uh, semi I, when I say threatened he wasn't threatened with violence or anything illegal he was threatened with like that the new people in his life will be let in on what he had done to us so that was when he's like, okay I'll get start paying you guys now like so so that doesn't I think look he's gonna I think he'll start back up I, I hope so I hope in the spring 
not unless unless he unless he has like a job and he comes clean about whatever. But he did say this was the time of year that it was going to get slow or whatever. Yeah, he did. He so. did warn about that. He started a bit early with the slowness with with the payment. So uh, let's talk about. Uh, I'm getting text trolled, not right at this moment, but uh, what does that mean? I, okay, so I'll tell you what text trolled means. There's, I, it's weird with this radio show. There are certain very regular listeners who don't miss an episode. In fact, they make sure to listen live. So if no matter what day I'm on, they make sure to make it and listen live. And, and yet they they dislike me or hate me. Like but, that one guy on the East Coast. Yes, yeah, yes, yes, yes. There's a like like him. Like, like there's certain people they just they hear every single episode in its entirety. What about the guy in Vegas that the tipping? Oh yeah, yeah. He's he's in the, well. He yeah. He, he's a little bit of a different story, but <laughs> there, there are a number of them that that listen every single episode and they they want to like not miss a beat here, but at the same time don't like me and. Then troll me in various ways. Now, fortunately, like that Howard Stern show. Yeah, it is. I mentioned that before. So now, the the fortunately Wait a most second. of these. What do they do? They use your text line. Well, so that's what I was gonna say. Fortunately, there? most of them at least keep it to talking directly with me. They don't troll me on Twitter or on the forum or in blogs. I mean, there's one person who who likes to make this public, but at least the the rest of them at least uh, keep it talking with me directly. Which at least you can say that they're not trying to get attention from other people or trying to embarrass me publicly, but but they write just some the nastiest things in text to me, and I don't even understand what, why they're doing it. Are they trying to get me angry? Are they trying to just get me to mention them on the radio? Are they trying to? Sometimes they they mess they message me when I'm not on, like when I've been off for a few days. They'll message me. I don't even understand it. But uh, there's this one guy. I don't know who it is, but uh, he he uses phony text numbers you know he gets these apps with free text free texting and uh you know it's not associated with any person and there's no way really to track it down and this guy texts me the most insulting and degrading things during uh during the show or sometimes not during the show and uh when i respond by saying who are you and you know why are you trying to hide then they uh, they make excuses. Hey, look, I'm just engaging in free speech. I'm just uh, I'm just doing this because I want to state an opinion. I go, okay, well, why don't you stand behind your opinion? I say who I am. I you know who I am. You know where to find me. You know what I look like. Uh, I I stand behind my words. Why can't you stand behind yours? And I get excuses like you're crazy. Uh, you're going to track me down and harass me. I can't take that chance. Uh, you've done that before to people. I said, no, I haven't. You, I haven't tracked down and harassed people who have just criticized me. You know, if people have done things to uh, to try to harm me in real life or, or tried to harm you know, other people that I care about, then, then I'll uh, – um, if they won't stop, I'll have to do something about it and have. But but not people who just criticize me. I'm not going to, uh, to do this. And uh, – What's also funny is they say, "Oh, I'm just I'm just stating a difference of opinion, or I'm criticizing things you're saying, or I don't like your views." And I go, "That's not what you're doing," because I I get several texts from them that are just downright insulting. They're not ones that are disagreeing with a point I brought up. They're just like insulting me. So uh, there's this one guy who's really been uh, going crazy with this. And uh, what's funny is this is someone who hides behind a fake text number and won't say who he is. And this is what he wrote to me at the beginning of the show today. 
you won't read my factual text. You're spineless. You're basically an overgrown child. <laughs> and I, I'm spineless. I'm not the one hiding here. And then he gave me a name uh, that he claims is his, which I'm sure is probably fake. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't, you know, anyone can just make up a name. You can say, oh, hey, I'm John Smith. That doesn't mean you're John Smith. Unless I, you know, see some evidence you're John Smith, that doesn't give anything to me. Uh, but th- the bottom line is here, I'm not understanding this. I'm not understanding what the point of this is here. Uh, I-, I mentioned this a little bit earlier in the show, and he wrote here back, I don't hate you, I just think you're a parasite on society and a childlike character on most, most life subjects. Uh, he also wrote to me the other day, uh, he claimed to be a business owner and, and said that, uh, let me see what he says here. He said, he texted me this out of the blue. I own a business, and if you ever came to my business, and you would you would not be welcome. You are far more trouble than you're worth. You're a vile parasite on society. So I said back, if you own a business that gives crap service, I agree you wouldn't want a customer like me. Like, you know, I, I don't just go screw with businesses or try to get things free out of them. That, that's a parasite on society. If, if a business mistreats me or tries to cheat me or doesn't come through with what they promise, yeah, I'm, I'm going to call them out. And yeah, I'm going to be a pain in the ass. But that's a, I don't just do this for fun or to get over on businesses or to you know, squeeze thing, free things out of people. I, uh, I only go after the ones that, that do something wrong, that, that have screwed me in some way or have mistreated me in some way. And those are the ones I call out so or, 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 or raise an issue with. So I think he claims he's a bit. I doubt this guy's a business owner. I'm, I'm sure this is someone – I don't know where I get these listeners that, that are want to listen to this show for hours and hours. That's the amazing thing is like I'd understand if it's like a 45-minute show and they just listen because they hate me and they want to hear things that I say that, uh, that they think are ridiculous. But how can you – if you don't like me, how can you sit here and listen for six hours? How? Do you think you know who it is? No, I think it's probably someone I don't know. I think I, this is, I, I really believe I, I don't know for sure. I believe it's probably someone I don't know. So I you think I, it's just a listener. Yes, it's just texting. Yes, I think I pick up these like trolls that I I piss off in some way, and then for whatever reason, they, they still want to invest like the six hours a week to listen to me, which is the strangest thing. That's what this is just such a large amount of time that I. That's where I don't get it. This it's is because the credit card bonus whoring. He didn't mention that. Now you're giving him new new material. He's oh. he's mentioned a lot of things. He you know he mentioned the the quote businesses, but then you know he can't name any business that I've screwed in any way. Like I yeah I've called out businesses that have done things that I, I feel are wrong, but I don't. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, there, there's always. Uh, so when he sends a text to you when you're not on radio, you get it and you can respond and stuff. Oh yeah, I've told people they can seven seven five three seven two eight three five five. People can text me anytime at that number. I've said that. And in fact, I said that to him. I said, look, if you if you wanted to send me dumb shit all the time like this, I I suppose since I give the number out, you know, go ahead, knock yourself out. Uh, I'm, I'm probably going to stop responding to him. But uh, um, you know, when I do give out the number to the audience and they want to send dumb shit to me, I guess as long as it's not. Uh, you know, threatening or anything like that. I guess uh, if they just want to be assholes to me, they they have a right to do it. But I, I just wonder why. Like, like why would someone invest all these hours to listen and and dislike me so much and dislike what I have to say so much? I know I I wouldn't listen for six hours to someone I disliked. I, I wouldn't. I I they they would. In fact, it would annoy me after a short amount of time that I, I wouldn't want to sit there and listen, listen, and, and like some of these messages I get, they have such such like anger in them. That 
like it really looks like they're trying to insult me and really get me mad. It's not just like I disagree with you on this. I get, I get respectful texts from people saying, you know what you said, I don't agree with this, or you're wrong with this, let me tell you why, and they'll tell me why. And, like they do it in a respectful manner, and I don't get mad at them, and we, you know, we'll go back and forth sometimes, but never with insults or anything. But they're never like – those people don't do it insulting me. They don't do it like you're a vile human being. They don't write things like that. They Sounds write, like the, uh, the the most popular sports talk uh, radio and bo- radio show in Boston. They just got trolled so hard and so many texts like that that they just shut the text line. <laughs> yeah. See, I won't do that. I'll, I, eventually, I'm going get, to like, get tired of, of people like this and just ignore them. And and I probably should just do that. But uh, you know, I, it's the end of the show. I, I I just I thought that I would mention this. And and yes, if you're Texting me anonymously with really nasty insults. Yes, it's cowardly. Stand behind who you are. You know who I am. I, you know what I look like. You know the details about me. Post details about yourself. Post who you are. Post your name. It's like that a man in the morning show. They don't tolerate that nonsense, do they? <laughs> they don't. Yeah, they, they, I should just voice track the show. That's what I should do. I should uh, pretend I'm in the studio when I'm really not. Then people won't be able to get a hold of me. But, uh, you know, this – if – if you really want to stand behind your words there, then then say who you are. Join the forum. Join the forum. Don't do it under an anonymous name. Say, I'm this person. This is my name. This is what I have to say about you. This is why I think this. But the, these are just trolls. These are people who uh, they wouldn't want to say the same thing if I knew exactly who they were. And not because they're afraid of me, uh, just because they want to do this without uh, having to attach it to their name. Or maybe there's things that they're not proud of that they've been doing that we would find out if they posted their name. And that's, that's often what it could be, too, where they, you know, they insult you about something, and it turns out that really applies to them. That's really like a self-hating thing. I, it's just, I don't, I don't get, why does anyone listen for six hours to me every week if, if they dislike me that much? It's so weird. I, I, I much more understand this. See, then we have Brandon who's retweeting old JSIP texts right now as we're doing this. This, this is from uh, the 203. Why does I keep doing that? <laughs> I don't know. You're saying that's not intentional? No, I'm not. It's not. Do you have his contact information, Brandon? And like, if you didn't he text you or something? Yeah, or? I, I mean, I don't know if it's still valid. I haven't heard from him in probably like a month and a half. But I had I had a working number. This is from uh, this is from the 203 area code. I got this a few minutes ago. You kike bastard! I hate your fucking show, but I can't stop listening. <laughs> I, that's, that's, that one's probably not serious. That's probably just well, that was me. <laughs> that's, well, that really was me. That, that's in uh, Connecticut. Yeah, that's my Connecticut number. Your Connecticut number, okay. Uh, and uh, someone asking me how long are you on tonight? Uh, the answer is we don't know. But uh, anyway, I, I don't want to give too much time to this. I just think, yeah, you know, if, if you want to criticize me, do it. Just say who you are. I'm, I'm not going to harass you. I promise you. Unless you do something to me that uh, yeah, that's harmful, uh, just stand behind who you are and, and stand behind your opinion. Otherwise, you're just being a coward. And if you disagree with me, that's fine. But then just do it in a respectful manner. Don't, uh, don't like, attack me. What, like, why? I don't understand it. I, I, like, how am I even a parasite in society? Like, here I'm actually running this, this site and this show. At a loss? At a loss. And, and I'm doing this, and I don't have to. I wouldn't have to be running at a loss. I, I have many opportunities to not run the site at a loss. But I, I run it at a loss to, to keep the integrity of the site. And, and I, I don't see how people – and I haven't uh, cheated or scammed anyone. Like I, I try I, – in not fact, like, I try – Not like me. 
Yeah, <laughs> and I try to inject myself into situations like like yours there, where, where uh, you know to try to solve things for people that don't even involve me, just to try to to help them, even even ones that aren't my friends. Like I'll just I'll see a situation going on and I'll volunteer. Uh, you know, if I can make this better, if I could be in the middle and, and solve this, or if I can shed some light on the situation, like lock poker. Even I never even had anything to do with them, and I I was in the forefront of that. And it's because uh, I, I'm trying to do things that are helpful here to the poker community. And I I think in all these years, if I haven't been involved in a single scandal, which I haven't in uh, in 15 years, I, I think that should show I'm not a vile I'm parasite. I'm just getting this in right now on the wire. MWH. Uh, 72 is saying that he lost his home because of you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think he got I think he got lucky. I I think that it didn't hit Puerto Vallarta as hard as it looked like it would that hurricane. Did it already did it already hit shore or whatever? Uh it's it's kind of looking like it uh from what I was seeing and I was looking at the radar and it looks like it's not directly hitting Puerto Vallarta. And this this hurricane even though it's it was the biggest one ever seen before, which seems right. like a huge deal. Uh the thing is that once it gets on land, once it gets over the mountains there, which happens pretty quickly, it's going to die out really fast. So it's – I don't think it's going to be as devastating as some other hurricanes which weren't even as big uh, as – Do you want to go on record with this after Katrina? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give it – I mean, once every 10 years I can mess this yeah, up. So. Give your prediction. You know what's so sad is I, I was almost right about Katrina. I, if it wasn't for the levees breaking, oh, I, I, I would have been proven right. I, w- I would have been proven right if it wasn't for the levees breaking. Who, who had that as their signature for like five years? I think, I, like I, I think it was like I no limit. Yeah, I, I don't know. I saw a picture the other day. There's like a Six Flags and like another amusement park that are just abandoned down there now. And there's like alligators roaming around like the, the like abandoned amusement park. It's Where like New, crazy in New Orleans or Louisiana? Yeah, like down in Louisiana from uh, Katrina. You know, I actually uh, this year in in the <coughs> winter I went to. Do disaster tourism. I went to where the Ninth Ward, Lower Ninth Ward, where Katrina hit the hardest with the levees breaking. And uh, unfortunately for my disaster tourism, it wasn't as devastating looking as I thought it would because it was 10 years later. So uh, it wasn't as bad anymore. Like the whole area was recovered other than there were empty lots there that you could see and also some portions of homes that they... Are people still living on those FEMA trailers down there? No, no. See, the whole thing, it, it doesn't look like a hurricane hit it anymore other than like empty lots. It wasn't that dramatic anymore. Now, what was pretty I bet, dramatic I was, bet, I, I bet you if Brian Williams was, went down there with you, he'd have a different story. Yeah, to tell. Yeah. Well, he'd say he was in one of those abandoned lots and uh, got out at the last second. But it, like when I went to Detroit in 2014, I did disaster tourism there where I went around the neighborhoods that were pretty much abandoned. And that was very interesting. And that was, uh, that one was not disappointing. That one, I got to see a lot of, uh, like I read somewhere where like I don't know if it if it's still true, it was maybe a year ago where in metropolitan Detroit, like eighty percent of all traffic lights didn't even work. I didn't notice that, but I noticed a lot of abandoned homes, tons of abandoned homes. There's like like full standing homes that they somehow have like holes in them or in bad condition, but they're just like like many of them in a row, just nobody's there. Like, like they're in bankruptcy. Like how is the city ever in bankruptcy? <laughs> well, yeah, and, and just I, I found it amazing how in the United States you can in a city that there's just large areas of just homes that are just completely abandoned with no one there. They're just completely abandoned and just like uh, empty, and neighborhoods that are almost completely empty. Neighborhoods where 18 out of 20 homes don't have anyone in them. It's it's really weird and and are in terrible condition and. Uh, huge plants, which is even more interesting, like 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 the the old Packard plant and other ones, where 
gigantic industrial buildings, which are also abandoned, an abandoned train station, uh, abandoned theaters. And I went to all these places, and uh, I went during the day, and I, I read about it beforehand. We even had Benjamin with us, and I'm like, <laughs> I, I was a little concerned that maybe this isn't safe, but I read a lot on the Internet of people saying it is safe as long as you do it during the day. And it appeared safe when we did it, and there was no problem. And then like uh, two weeks after we were there, I think it was in front of the Packard plant, uh, there was a murder of a tourist. So it's <laughs> not funny. But actually, the tourist did something I wouldn't have done. Where he did something that I did do. I got out in front of the Packard plant and was taking pictures. But where I would have done something different is like someone ran up to him and uh, like pointed a gun and said, "Give me your camera." And instead of just giving the camera up, the guy tried to fight him and got shot and was killed. Like if someone runs up to me and points a gun at me and says, "Give me your camera," I'm giving my camera. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to fight there. So that uh, that murder didn't quite have to happen. But still, like, I I had read later that that was actually the worst of all the areas I went to. And I probably should have stayed away from it. But fortunately, I didn't have any uh, incidents there. I, I, I don't think, you know, other than like a straight gunfire thing, having Benjamin with me, no one would have done anything to him because there, there kind of is like a little bit of honor among thieves where they don't like knowingly hurt kids. So... Like that, that wasn't really the danger. The danger is more of like a mugging type thing. Uh, So, but, but I figured during the day it would be fine. And it, it, it was for me and I was very happy. I got to see it. And it's an interesting thing to see in Detroit. And if you, it it did look pretty safe to do aside from maybe that Packard plant area where the, the murder occurred. So uh, the population there I'm reading right now, it's down like 60% since 1950. Yeah. It's, it's, there's a lot of, a lot of problems there. It's 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 if you see it like we decided to do this when we were just on the freeway coming from the airport. We were driving. How much the... would they have to pay you a year to fix Detroit? <laughs> like you've always wanted to be a poker manager. Imagine if you're the manager of Detroit. Well, I mean, I would. I I guess what I would... they have to pay you. I don't you have know. To live I, in Detroit I... in like a house. Well, if I had to live in one of those houses, that'd be a different story. If I if I could just live where I wanted to in the area and then attempt to fix it, I would. I, that wouldn't be a terrible job. Oh, it can't be. You have to live among the people. Yeah, that but I don't know about that one. <laughs> you get to play Bovada online with no deposit fees, okay? And then during that night, and then during the day, 3060, they give you a bankroll. And then during the day, you have to fix the city. What, what, how much would they have to pay you? I don't know. I don't th- I don't think I could uh, – I'd have the energy to play on Bovada after that. I think Like a quarter a- million a year, would you take it? Uh no, not if I had to live in that area. Like, it, it's, well, you can't manage the city and live in the pristine. Of course, you can. You can go over there during no. the day and then leave at night. That's the, I, the night part is what worries me. Like, I wouldn't want to be over there at night. Wait, but you're gonna fly back to to Beverly Hills every night? No, you you live in the nicer area of, of there's suburbs of Detroit. We we have a number of listeners. Well, where's from Detroit. the mayor's house? Doesn't the mayor of Detroit have to live in Detroit? But there's there's still better areas. I'm talking. I I, I purposely went to the areas that had the most devastation and and the most abandoned houses and ban- ban- I, I purposely seek that stuff out. Okay. How much would they have to pay you to live in that area, in a house, you get to play Bovada at night, and the nation of Islam guards you? <laughs> would they want to guard you? Could you actually fix a city? Do you have any training in that? Or no. just you get the computers working? No, I, 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 I'd probably have a hard time with that one. Okay. I don't think I'd be successful. Now, I remember a long time ago, this is kind of near you, 
Wasn't Orange County in dire straits financially? Well, yeah, they yeah, well, they were. There's a lot of – and I never liked Orange County, by the way. I just want to say that. Sorry to any Orange County listeners, but I, I've always disliked Orange County. But uh, a lot of cities mismanage their funds and get into financial trouble even if all the businesses and the, and the residents there are otherwise doing well. There's two completely different things. Now, Detroit has it going in both ways. The, uh, the people living there – are in big trouble, as is the city itself. The whole place is a disaster, uh, Detroit. That, that's kind of like Ohio right now. If you hit, like, a lottery ticket for 600 bucks or something, you get an IOU. They can't even pay you. Yeah, yeah that's that's true. <laughs> is that true? It, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they've, they've got a big mess there, too. Uh, well, why don't they just shut down Detroit, then? Well, you can't just shut down a whole city. It's a problem, though. Like, there's a... There's it's getting to be so far gone with so many problems, like it feels like overwhelming. Like, how do you fix all this? And that's uh, uh, that's what they're struggling with. There, build like a wall, like <laughs> Berlin, okay, or China. And then you put the worst criminals, all the people in that uh, Guantanamo, the the shoe bomber guy. Remember him, Richard? Yeah, Richard, Richard Reed. Richard Reed, the shoe bomber guy. The the nine, all the nine eleven. You put them all there. It's like oh, like a Sylvester Stallone, Kurt Russell, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie in the eighties. Let them all fend for themselves. You drop food from a helicopter, okay, rations, and you just—I mean, could you build? How long do you think it would even take to build a wall around Detroit? <laughs> well, the funny thing you say this is they kind of are fending for themselves. The police don't even like to go over there. Like they, they don't really, even get yeah, right. They don't. I, I, I've read that they don't go. That's the problem. It's it's a really weird situation that you don't imagine in in America. The funny thing was when I was. Uh, the reason I was there is I was on my Seven Stars annual trip to uh, to that area, and I, I chose Windsor, Canada, which is right across from Detroit, except it's in Ontario, Canada. So when I crossed – so I flew to Detroit. We crossed over the border. They, they asked you at the border, why are you coming to Canada? I told them, honestly, I'm staying in Windsor. Well, then the next day, we went from Windsor back into Detroit to do the disaster tourism, and I did not want to admit to the U.S. immigration guy that we're coming in – to basically drive around devastated neighborhoods, I, I thought that uh, well, they would probably look at you with, you know, some negativity. I mean, they yeah, probably, like the, like they can make life not, very difficult for you at these border crossings if you yeah, if they don't like that's you. So. Joe Seabock, remember, he couldn't go to Canada because he got arrested for smoking a joint. <laughs> Did that? I, I know it. I know it happened to Terrence Chan, where they held him up for like eight hours over like because he had cash with him. In, uh, if you had to live for a year, in either the worst, worst part of Detroit or the nicest area of Syria, what would you pick? <laughs> I, I think I'd still pick Detroit. At least I'm still nope. in the U.S. But look, the... the what was I say here? So, so when I was going through the border patrol uh, coming to the U.S. from Canada, even though I'm a U.S. citizen, I, I BS'd them and said I was going somewhere that I really wasn't and was prepared with this story because I didn't want to admit what I was really doing. And and the guy they'd bought. They'd frown it. upon that. They'd look at you. That, that's what I was saying. Like I didn't know if the border patrol would care, but I, but I didn't. I didn't want them to like get angry about that and then purposely make like difficult on me and and then call me in and make me sit there for hours while they're interrogating me. Like I, so I'm like I gotta just say something that sounds harmless and and I did and they let me through and it really was harmless. I wasn't there to harm anything. I if just, you had to live one way or the other, someone put a gun to your head and said you had to live in a cave for a year <laughs> in Kabul. Jeez. Or a slum in Brazil, what would you pick? I take the slum in Brazil for in a second. <laughs> in a second, <laughs> yeah, no question on that one. 
These are these are good questions though. So thank you. So anyway, uh, I, I don't know how we, Brazil too. I don't know how I, we got I, to. I don't know if we got it. You know, by speaking of Brazil. Can you he, believe people in this day and age still live in caves? That always yep. trips me out when you hear, like, they're living in the caves right off, like, in the India-fucking-Pakistan border. That's crazy shit. Like, hey, living in caves still. Well, there's people that live under the Vegas Strip, so it's not yeah. like that, uh, by the way, too far-fetched. Speaking of Brazil, did you find in Street Fighter 2 that uh, Blanco was the hardest character to play against? I hated uh-huh. playing against Blanca. Blanca always just destroyed me. Blanca has like so he has like so many different weapons. Blanca, like he he's not like a one note guy. Defense against him, like he just he just kills yeah. you. Like like he can do this electric thing to shock you. He can do this thing where he like spins around and hits you. He he's very good like reaching out and 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 like hitting you with his claws. Like there's so many ways he come at comes at you. And and all the other opponents uh, kind of suck. And you know you know who is like the most disappointing character in Street Fighter Two who was supposed to be good but sucked is uh, M Bison. Right. Like he's supposed to like the boss I was, character. I was more of a Mortal Kombat person than uh, Well, What's so ridiculous in Street Fighter is you go through you know, all these different uh, opponents that the computers operate. I'm not, I'm not talking about where a second player fights you. And uh, you get to the boss character, M. Bison, and you expect him to be really tough. And I beat him like on the second try. Like it, like it was like easy. Like the, right. And the first time I almost beat him. And like Blanca, like it took me forever to beat him. Yeah, Blanca's tough. He's got that kick, too, when he jumps up and kicks He down. can do so many things. Blanca was the, yeah. the most talented of the Street Fighter characters. Like, I, but I was never good at being Blanca. I was only I, – I, Speaking of Brazil, I'm doing some reading, and I'm, I'm, I'm the Olympics, you know, the Summer Olympics are going to be there next year. They're saying – they're, like, actually giving, a, like, an advisory to Americans and people all over that the waters off the coast of Brazil where the games are going to take place, where the swimming and – the the decathlon and all that are not safe for humans to be swimming in it. That people are going to get sick. That the levels of bacteria and sewage are so wow. high, it's not safe. Yeah, a, a lot of uh, a lot of these third world countries do that. Like they just they just don't they care. Shit in the ocean, they they just don't care. They don't yeah they don't treat the sewage. They they they, they live in filth. All these third world countries just don't care about the environment at all. Right. And and they just let everything go to crap and, and things become unsafe. That's why. Some some of the environmentalism that occurs in the U.S. that's being done kind of on a for the, for global benefit, I, I feel is canceled out by so many other countries that just don't give a shit and just will really 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 pollute. Yeah, it was like that. In the, it was like that in the Dominican when I was there this summer. Like the resorts, fine, but if you just drive a mile outside the resorts, there's just pollution everywhere. If someone put a gun to your head, Druff, and said that you had to compete in any game in the Olympics, you had to pick, it could be a team sport, some (laughs) individual sport, and you could not finish dead last out of all the countries, or they would literally pull the trigger and put a bullet inside you, what event would you have to pick? This would be very hard. How could I – I don't know how I could possibly – shooting? I mean, well, you could probably beat somebody from Jamaica or somewhere (laughs) something. Remember Absolutely. how there's always the one country where they're like they finish four minutes later than like the second to last, where they're just so awful. Yeah. Remember that guy that was like the skier? What was what was the name of that skier that was so bad, but he qualified like 18 times in a row for his country? Yeah, it would have to be one of these like niche competitions that uh, some country's going to have some like awful players. He's a, 
Uh, otherwise, well, what, what event do you think you could even compete in? At, at your well, right now I could. I'd have to train to even beat them. But yeah, well, you have a year to train. Yeah, I mean, it would it would have to be something, and I'd still probably not have the greatest chance. But but what but, sport? What, what archery? Event? Yeah, probably archery, something like archery. that. I was thinking, I was thinking yeah, archery. Because like, you you could train in like I could see like that's something you could train at and become good at if you do it enough. See, what well, you, well, China, what do you think? What would your sport be? Archery. Yeah, see, what yeah. the hardest thing is is like the well, actually, age, the age thing I would, would kill go me. Sumo, like wrestling, like super heavyweight. <laughs> do you guys? Oh yeah. Now, Druff, do you think if you train starting tomorrow with the best archery player in the United States, okay, or the best archery coach, you got everything uh, in the world, the best training facilities, just the best equipment, everything? Could you beat a year from now the best Ethiopian archerist? <laughs> I, I don't know. I'd have to know about how good Ethiopia is at archery. Like, but how good can they really be? Well, they, they I don't. They could be trained. They could have guys who are just good at it. I don't know. Do they even but enter? How, Do they even enter? I don't know. Well, I don't know if they qualify, but That's I'm sure they have. Well, you know what? I'm going to look it up right now. The Ethiopian archery. Uh, okay. Yeah, it has to be something like that because anything that's just like on, uh, like from a physical standpoint, like a running type thing, like I, I, I wouldn't have a chance because I'm too old. Oh, actually, I, I got this here. Here's the um, the top seven things you can win a medal at. Number <laughs> number six. Number six seems pretty good. Curling. If you trained for curling, I know someone who liked curling a lot. What's this? Four four man bobsleigh. Yeah, here, here's similar archery. The fifty meter rifle prone. <laughs> like, what do you just sit there with a gun and a scope and you shoot something? I think the Ethiopians, all they do is run. I don't think they've ever qualified for uh, archery. How come they can run so fast and so long? I what is know. it about? I, I think it's probably genetics. Probably they have uh, some advantage genetically. To you know, a lot of it is a lot of a lot of these talents in sports are, are, are genetic. Of uh, you inherit the talent, so. Oh, here the number one easiest four man synchronized horseshoes. <laughs> yeah, I'll answer that one. Horseshoes. If Limit Hold'em and that only specific version of poker ever became an Olympic event, would you attempt to qualify? Yeah, I, I'd, I'd give it a shot. You'd probably bubble. <laughs> I probably would. I'd probably bubble. <laughs> Can you imagine bubbling the Olympic Limit event team? Who do you think would be on it? Like, I, who do you I, think like it'd be like? Okay, you'd be there, Brock Parker, Terrence Chan. No, you can't, you can't uh, Mike forget that. No, David Shue, the number one uh, World <laughs> Series of Poker uh, limit told him winner. And you play it like in a round robin format, like every eight hands you switch, <laughs> and you're going against like Chinese players, and you have what's the guy from Russia? Stickman is. Oh yeah, Stickman. <laughs> Stickman would kill me. <laughs> Playing Stickman for the gold Stickman medal. Stickman would kill me. I, I finished silver to him for sure. Jesus. I can Stickman. That guy like never runs bad. No. Does he still play on stars? Yeah. Anyone know? No. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, he still sits at the highest stakes every day across every website. But I think he's he's more of a he plays a lot of pot limit Omaha now and he's doing the same thing in pot limit Omaha as he was in Limit Hold'em. He's just I think he plays like six max though and he just plays very good game selection. Last I saw, but, is, I saw. But then he never runs bad six. either. Like it's amazing. Like I don't like I was like when I'd play him on stars, it was amazing because like he he I never saw him like getting involved in big hands where where he 
puts a lot of money in and doesn't win. But yet I saw a lot where he'd win where he was way behind and somehow come out uh, come out with a magical card to win. But it, but it didn't happen to him in reverse. He was just uh, he just never ran bad. Yeah, I don't just, know how he does it. He doesn't put himself in a lot of bad spots though either. I know, but he also just doesn't run bad. No, he doesn't run bad either. He's, <laughs> he he's been playing for all these years and never run bad once. He just doesn't know what it feels like. It's like remember that guy? It was like the guy on Merge. Remember him, Druff? Like after Black Friday, guy that like won like. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he was winning like three or four big blinds per hundred and like six max. For like for like a year and a half. Yeah, didn't like, we see him at the World Series eventually? Like he, recently, I think he was. No, that I, that's another guy. That's another guy. Okay. okay. So right. yeah, I'm, I'm, I know we've talked about this now going back. I guess right around the end of the World Series, they're saying now. I'm, I'm looking at all these sites and these political pundits. They're basically saying Trump is looking more and more likely each day to be the GOP candidate. Well, he is. It's. it's I, I mean, I don't it, like well, it, I know, but, he but is. you kept. I know in your head you keep thinking there's going to be something. Someone's going to bump him. Some the momentum's going to change. He's going to say something, but it really looks like it's going to be Trump and uh, Clinton. So yeah. he's going to be heads up versus her for the presidency. That's what it looks like. Up. That's what it looks like. It does like I think his odds right now are like twelve to one. Like he can't. Does he, I mean, does he have any poll, shot to beat her? Every poll I've read. And of course, it's unscientific with a margin of 5% plus or minus. Every single poll I've ever read says he has no shot to beat her. He probably doesn't. I I, I don't think he does either. Now, I just want to say I called this. Remember in the beginning, I said he was going to be here to stay, and you thought it was a fad. And I also said that Clinton was going to be our next president, and you didn't agree. But I think No, look, I didn't say that. I, I said I thought she had the best chance of anybody. No. Uh, you definitely didn't think Trump was going to be in the position he's in now. No, that I did not think. But uh, Clinton, I thought, was going to be the nominee and would probably and would be the mo- most likely to win. So if he gets heads up with her, right? What do you think his odds are going to be? Probably just chop. <laughs> what do you think his odds will be to win, though? Like, I would love to see an upset. I, like, I want him to win. Like, he'd probably. I'm going to guess he'd probably be like plus six hundred, maybe. Right. Do you, I imagine. I'm, I'm just throwing that out there. Imagine the money they're going to make off people betting on him just because people are just going to bet on him. Like, not smart people, not like sharp people, but people are going to see his name there and they're going to bet on him. Let's see if I'm sure there's already a presidential betting odds on some. The last I saw, he was 15 to 1, and that was like two weeks ago. Okay, let's see here. And he's opened it like. like All right, pattypower.com. Uh,. Yeah, that's legit too. Yeah, that's in England, isn't it? Yeah, that's like one of the, I think that's one of the big ones. God, you can actually even bet on the Iowa caucus winner. That's actually kind of nuts. I okay. think I think that might be the one like you can bet on anything. Like you could call them and tell them what you want to bet on and they'll set an odd. They'll set odds on it. All right, right now on pattypower.com. Hillary Clinton is 8 to 11. Meaning you have to bet to be the next president. You have to bet eight dollars <laughs> to win eleven. That show that shows you what a fail okay. the uh, the Republican field is right now. That that they're thinking that Donald Trump is thirteen to two. Okay, basically six and a half. Basically meaning you have to lay a dollar or six and a, six and a half to one. Basically, then followed by Jeb Bush, and Jesus, look at some of these. It's actually funny just the names they put in here just 
just for the hell of it. Condoleezza Rice is 200 to 1 you can put on her. Uh, New Gingrich, 300 to 1. I don't even know some of these names. They're like, throwing, hate... throwing money away for those. Lincoln, Lincoln Shafi. Well, Lincoln Shafi, you know, he just dropped out. He, he's a d- Democratic side, but yeah, he has no chance. Jim he... Webb? He's only 150 to 1. Who's that? He's, he dropped out, too. He was on the uh, Democratic side. Do you, do you think that a lot of people are, like, going to give Trump a push just because they want Clinton to win? So, like, if he gets the push and gets the nominee or whatever, then she's obviously going to win. But if, like, somebody else goes up against her that people might actually vote, like, could vote for in masses, like, she would have a chance to lose. Yes. So, so you think that's, like, Wow, you know what? This is not a bad bet right here on this. On this I'm sorry to interrupt you. On Patty Power. That's all right. The gender winner. Of 2016, male is eight to eleven, meaning you have to bet eight dollars to an eleven back, and female is even money. Huh, that's weird. That's really strange. That's, that's kind of contradicting what, they, what they're showing. Yeah, that's, that's, I'm, I'm looking. You know, right unless uh, unless they think it's going to be revealed that Hillary Clinton actually has a penis. <laughs> <laughs> well, here, or here's yeah. Well, yikes. Democrat four to six, Republican six to five, and then independents fifty to one. That's really interesting. But I think on these, can you even bet big on these things? No, they like, they, it's they only keep like it ten low. bucks or twenty bucks. Or no, this is a little bit more, but but not that much. You're, you're not going to be able to bet a thousand on it or anything. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking. It, it, actually, yeah, Ben Carson is. Catching up to Trump, and in fact, he's he's ahead in some states like Iowa, but he's not gonna he's not gonna get it. No. In fact, he was even involved with uh, a scam, a scam multi level marketing company. Like like an idiot, he was like a spokesman for them without really realizing what he was endorsing, and now it's kind of embarrassing. So like that that type of thing by itself, forgetting all the other pro- problems he has, will come back to bite him. Uh, it's, it's too bad. Hillary, uh, she would be a lot more vulnerable in the general election if the Republicans put up a good candidate. But it looks like it's not going to happen. So, uh, if yeah, if, if Trump goes up against Hillary, he's, he's going to lose. But she going to be the? Would she be the second oldest president ever elected after Reagan? Should be? She'd be sixty nine. Yeah, I think she will be. Imagine her for eight years. She'd be in there until 77. Yikes. Would I don't know. You know what? If it, I mean, if you honestly had a choice of two evils, who are you picking there, Todd, in China? Who would you, who would you guys want? If it had to be one of the two. I, I, I would still take Donald Trump, but not like Really? It. Yeah. I wouldn't over, like it. Over Hillary? Yeah. I, I'd have to go with Hillary. If, yeah. if you had to pick one or the other, I mean, really? Yeah. He can't even manage a casino. <laughs> he can't. Hillary is so shady. I don't. I don't. Uh, not only don't I like her policies, yeah, I think she's just very what? shady. You're kinda, what does she do? She uses different email servers. No, she's been scandals. scandals. No, there's been scandals with her going back twenty over twenty years. Every, everything's a scandal with her. Like it's it's amazing. She just thinks the does, rules don't apply to her. Does Trump have any good plans that you've seen? No, he doesn't. He doesn't things? really state any of that stuff. No, he doesn't talk about plans. All right, I, I haven't followed any of this. I just know. I've just seen some of the clips that are hilarious. It's actually, it's, it's pretty funny. I'm looking at all these different polls, such as like USA Today, CNN, uh, MSNBC, and uh, NBC News. Out of all these polls, and they're just polls comparing both candidates, Trump versus Clinton. There's only one poll 
out of like 25 here that show Trump winning and it's it's Fox News. Every other like unscientific poll has Clinton crushing as high as like 24 percent. Yeah, and now that can change. Uh, but you know, one thing Trump has going for him is that uh, he can change. He's kind of a different candidate than they've ever had before, so it's a little bit hard to predict where he can go. But I still think he gets crushed if it uh, goes up against Clinton. But do you think either of them winning? Well, obviously, if he. What about online poker? Uh, it won't matter. Nothing. Well, nothing's going to matter. Nobody no cares. They don't care enough. No. They don't care enough. Nobody cares. <laughs> That's what, that's what I've been saying that for years. Nobody cares. Like it, we care, but the the general public doesn't care that much. So the president doesn't care much. So p- people are like, oh, Obama's, he's, you know, he's gonna he's gonna legalize. Do you think poker. Obama even knows that there's this little small little sector of people that like want online poker to be legalized? Do you think he even knows about the community and? The fact that people had to move to Mexico or Canada or quit. I think he knows like a very little like general piece about it, and that's it. And uh, and of course, he's the one who appointed Preet Bara, who did the the Black Friday bus. So uh, like now I now he's about to crack DFS down too. Yeah, I, yeah, I talked about that earlier. What are the odds that if somebody went up to Obama and said all these white folk moved to Mexico <laughs> so they could play the Sunday Million? That he would know what they meant. No, he'd never know the Sunday Million. There's no chance. No, no never, chance. No chance. He knows the you Sunday Million. Your, would you bet your life on it? <laughs> no. I would bet. I'd take. I'd say yes, and I would take odds on that. I'd need to get some good odds, but I would take it. <laughs> That's funny. The Sunday. I'd need at least eight to one. Uh, so okay. Uh, here's uh, last week. I talked about car buying because someone had brought it up on the forum and they were buying a used car and I talked about car buying. Well, somebody responded in text and I, I give this guy credit even though he disagreed with me. He disagreed respectfully and he wasn't trolling. Uh, There's a, a guy in the 815 area code uh, who wrote to me the following. He's, I, I was saying that you want to be in control when you're buying a car. You don't want to do it on the dealer's lot. You want to do it over the phone after you, you know, you want to test drive, but then do the negotiating over the phone and call a bunch of different places, basically about the same car and see who can give you the lowest price and that you just, you have to control the process. If if they control you, then you're going to get a crappy deal. So this is what he wrote. You are completely wrong about car buying. When an inexperienced customer is in control, everything takes a lot longer to do, which in turn ruins the customer's experience. Car salesmen make a deal four times a week. The average consumer makes a deal four times a decade, which I... uh, I guess he doesn't mean about cars. I don't see people buying four cars a decade. Uh, when you let the car salesman control the negotiation, you will not only be happier with the process, but you'll be happier with your purchase. It's customers that try to control negotiations that end up hating the vehicle they buy along with the entire experience of buying a vehicle. Having control of the negotiation has zero to do with how good of a price you get. So, of course, the question I asked him was, are you a car salesman? You sound <laughs> And, and so he said, no, but I used to be. And so so I, I was curious about this line of reasoning. It seemed weird. Like, like, how could he say if you're letting the salesman control everything that you're going to have the better experience and the better deal? Now, you may, you may, you may be tricked into thinking you had the better experience. It may be less contentious if you don't know what you're doing. But uh, how, if they're controlling it, will you get the better deal? It made no sense to me. So he said – he went on to tell me – Dealers shop each other also, so you will not be getting the lowest price if you do it over the phone. He's trying to say like that that uh, 
almost like they have an unsigned agreement that they're not going to compete with each other. Uh, all dealers leave at least $500 for the salesman to negotiate when a customer comes in the door. We used to laugh at people who come in with a true car quote. True car is a site which can tell you the, the prices people have paid for the car you want uh, in, on average and the lowest prices have been paid, etc. Uh, to get the lowest price, go the last day of the month and walk away at least once. Call back about an hour or two later and they'll give you their bottom dollar. Now that last part, I, I, I agree. The last part, if you go into a dealership at the end of the month when they're trying to make their sales quotas for the month and, and let them you know, make their offers to you, act like you don't really give a shit either way, and say, nah, I, I, you know, I don't really like the price. I don't need this car that badly. Goodbye and leave. And then call back two hours later and go, all right, you know, if, if I still don't like the price you offered, but uh, I, I want to give it one more chance. Can you offer me anything better? Yes, th- that's, pro- that's, that's a good strategy to get a good deal. But there's one problem with this that I find, and I told him this back in text. It's, it's a big waste of time because you're, you're going down to the dealership you're spending all the time you know, having them jerk you off with all these different offers you know you're not going to take. Then you've got to walk out. Then you've got to call them back. And it may still be a dealership that doesn't want to negotiate much. I found in my dealing with car, with car dealerships that some of them are much more flexible than others for the same make and model. And that you, know, you, you don't – I don't want to go to six different places and go through this process just to finally stumble upon the one that works when I can just call up directly and level with them and say, look, I, I know exactly the car I want. I've already test driven it. I know exactly what I want. Um, I, I, I want the lowest price on this. So what's the lowest price you can give me? And I'm going to compare that with everybody else I call. And I'm going to call every dealer in a 100-mile radius. And, and whoever has the lowest, I'm going to go with. Well, then they know they can't bullshit you. Like, I don't understand how you can get much of a better model than that. Now, they won't all give you a great deal. I've had some that just uh, give, give me a crappy price anyway when I call up with that. But I... When I've done that, every time it's been successful, and I didn't have to set foot into a dealership other than like one time to test drive, just to make sure I like that car and, and you know the options I want, whatever. Uh, but but beyond that, I I just called around and, and picked the best one, and that that's what I'm not understanding why he thinks that uh, letting the salesman control it is best. And I'll tell you something else I experienced in that dealing with salesmen was always a fail. It was it was only when I dealt with a sales manager. Did I get anything done? And that's because the salesmen make a commission on the profit that the dealership's making on the car, whereas the sales manager is getting credit for making a sale, period, not necessarily on how much profit they're making from it. So the salesman wants to just move cars, period. The sales manager wants to move cars, period. The salesman only wants to really deal with you if he's going to get a nice commission. Jeff, you have to realize most of the common folk that are listening aren't shopping around for no S-Series Mercedes like you are. No, but there's there's still a, a wide price variance in uh, even for like the Hondas. Well, look, a super bargain car. Obviously, there's there's uh, there's less of a wiggle room because the car itself isn't that expensive. But but you buy a twenty two thousand dollar car, you're still you're still going to have a, uh, a, a some pretty good variance there in in a good deal versus a bad deal, and uh, and and you. You have to press for the. I, I think it, it's a lot easier nowadays with all the information you're armed with on the internet. Uh, and just the ability to just call around and uh, and just level with them that you're looking for the best price, period. And I think that when you're okay. not on their lot, so you're not, yeah. Let me ask you this. So a schmuck walks into the Mercedes <laughs> dealership and buys the same car that you have, maybe puts up a little negotiating, but doesn't really know how to do it. How much do you think you saved 
from that schmuck. Well, it depends on what what level Mercedes you're buying. The but same if, one that you have. Well, I, I have a BMW actually, not a Mercedes, but. Uh, um, oh no! But yeah, how can, much do you think you save on your right. BMW purchase compared to the it's average smart, Joe that just goes smart, in there, right. and takes their price? Oh, I pro- probably like uh, like seven thousand dollars. Wow! Yeah, I I saved a lot. Like I I'm now, telling you, you, you didn't get all cheap with the fancy stuff. Like you have electric windows. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is, is the identical car because each option has an invoice price. So yeah. so I'm talking so I know exactly like what the invoice price and when the, the MSRP is that people would normally be paying without negotiating that off that price. So I'm not talking about like stripping down the car as low as possible and what someone with an average car. I'm saying with the exact same vehicle I have, if it was a different person buying it, what they would have paid versus me. I mean, you can you can save now. You're not going to save seven thousand dollars on a car that's twenty five thousand. There's no you know, there's no chance. Right. But but I'm saying that you, I I know both times I got an excellent deal. Uh, the last two I did, and, and even the ones before that where I didn't do quite as well, I I, I did what? Well. But I, I since in the last two times I've gotten to, one had more access to information and two learned better how what many, to do. How many hours of bargaining would you say you went through before the purchase was finalized and you had them agree to the ten thousand for the bonus warning? Everything was said and done. Oh, not how even that hours? much. Like not even that much. Like like like. I don't know how many, but not even that much because, like, I, I called around. It, it's not that much time to call a place, ask for the sales manager, drop the little speech about it, what you're doing, and, and you know, when they give you an offer, say, oh, is that the best or is that the absolute best? Remember, if I call someone else and it's better, I'm, you know, I, I, I can't go to you. Then I'm going to go to whoever gives me the best offer. So, honestly, just give me the very best one. Otherwise, someone's going to beat you. Then they tell me what their best. Okay, thank you. Goodbye. And then uh, – you know, I call around other places, and, and eventually I get it. I get an idea also of if I've already yeah. hit the best point anyway, and I'm unlikely to do better. Now, you, is this is this is the nice car that I was in, and during the World Series, yes. the trip to the, the. Remember, you lost a car at the Rio. We couldn't find it. Yeah, you had to take a taxi. Yeah, that was good. For a while, you just didn't want me in your eighty thousand dollar car, but you claim you lost it. Okay. But you you lost it at the Rio too, or was that? Yeah, the one yeah, I left it. I, no, I, I actually. We, we yeah. had an hour. We had like an hour for dinner or whatever it was. We spent the first thirty minutes looking for his car. No, but I, I helped you. I got to the Bellagio, and we had to chow down like a five hundred dollar meal in about four minutes. True, true. No, but listen, listen. This helped both of us because we both came back like a few minutes late from the dinner break, and we both right. ran super well and became number yeah, one and two in chips. Did now yeah. I know you had awful luck on the second day, but uh, still. Awful. Well, you know what? Not all of us can have ace jack against ace king and pocket kings and flop two jacks to stay alive like that. Yeah, they get, yeah, they got luck got me back. Ace but, jack versus ace king and kings. Yes, yes, but luck got me back though when the when the queen hit yes. the river and the ace king and king queen thing. That was a uh, that was brutal. But uh, but I even said when I was fair about it. That, you know, when that queen hit the river with forty left and I get knocked out instead of having a good chip stack with forty left. Uh, I, I said right away, well, you know, I deserve this after the two bad beats I put down this had to happen eventually. I said that like they were, I, I, w- I wasn't even like acting pissed off. I just, uh, I just stood up and said, well, that's, that's the way it is. Actually, I didn't stand up. Yeah. because it wasn't, I wasn't quite busted. I was like super crippled, but I, like they even reported it on, uh, on the world series, WSOP.com that, uh, I took the beat like a professional and said that I, uh, after the bad beats I put on earlier. Oh, savory. No, they were very nice. They said I took it like a professional, and that I said that uh, um, with the good luck I had earlier in the day, that a bad beat is eventual. Is the way they wrote it. So they uh, they, they wrote, but that was true. I was like, I, I wasn't like 
at all acting pissed or frustrated. I, of course, inside I was really frustrated, but of course. but I also knew. I also knew that I didn't. Well, this was what the fifty fifty. Yeah, it was the fifty fifty DraftKings <laughs> event that won't be the DraftKings event anymore. Oh, not even legal. That's amazing. Yeah, it won't. It won't be the DraftKings event for sure. That's cute. But it, I, I think that event's going to be gone anyway. It's kind of a fail. Listen, I gotta be honest, kids. I I'm loving this. I'm very hungry now. It's one twenty in the morning. Right. Are we doing this for longer? Should I go maybe get like a little snack and come back? Are you guys um, gonna talk? Yeah, it's it's Friday night. From I know mean, trying to maniac. It's four twenty in the morning, but uh, yeah, I, uh, I can still go here. It's uh, yeah, I'll stay home for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you guys right. talk. I'll let's right let's take a look at our ratings here. Let's yeah, take a look I think that. I know why that um. Why that guy says that it's better to leave it, I mean, in the salesman's hands. It's because he's a salesman, and I think he's probably had frustrated, he's probably had customers that have had frustrating experiences that have come in there and tried to strong arm them, and then he has to strong arm them back. So, just in his own mind, he's saying, Yeah, let the salesman control it. Because yeah. he's just being results oriented about how bad. It, it can get when you go at it with a customer. Yeah, you know? he, he, you're probably right. He's probably also had people that were so obsessed with getting the best price that they took like a car they didn't really want, but they knew they were getting the best deal, and then they were kind of frustrated afterwards that they got a car they didn't really want. But that, but that's never me though. Like I like I know exactly what I want. I, I I even go test drive it first, and then I start calling around, and and so I know exactly the car I want, and and I, I can't ever see how if I let them direct the process how I could get a better deal. And I and I saw I like I I could tell I got. So so much of a better deal on my last two purchases than, than everybody else would have, and and what uh, and what the figures were, they, it was just so much lower than anybody else uh, that I, I knew that it was that, that I had done a very good job both times, and, uh, and and then I helped other people who were buying for them. Like I even have called for people pretending to be them in negotiating it, or, or called it, and then when once the deal was made, I said, well, actually, you know. Uh, such and such person is actually going to purchase it. Like, a, you know, I, I hand it off to the person who's actually going to buy it. Like, I've done this for a few people who are close friends or family members, and I've done very well. So I, I know I've, I've gotten very good results, and I'm not lying to myself thinking I got a good deal when I didn't. And a lot of people walk out of these dealerships believing that they got a good deal. Uh, no one's going to walk out feeling like, oh, I got totally ripped off, but okay, I'm, pro- I'm, I'm still buying it anyway. Like, very few people are going to think that. Everyone believes that uh, they made – a smart purchase and that they negotiated well. So, all right, I got a question for you. Let's say here I'm looking at like a 2016 Honda Accord. It says here 22 from 22,000. Like if that car was 22,000, you, you how much do you think you could get them down on a car like well, that? Well, see that, that, that that's that's so hard to answer because I you know it depends on a lot of things and uh, uh it, it also you know, you have to know what the dealer holdback is. That is what, you know, beyond the, first you have to know the invoice price versus the MSRP price. Then you work from the invoice price. Then you have to look what the holdback is. And the holdback is what the dealership makes on the back end once the sale's already made. It's almost like a bonus because uh, the invoice is what the dealer technically pays for the car. So if you get it at invoice price, for example, that doesn't mean the dealer makes zero. It means that they make zero plus the bonus they get at the end, which can be substantial for selling the car. So... So that's the uh, – th- there's the v- different variables, and that's where you can find information out on this. Uh, I don't know if TrueCar gives you the holdbacks, uh, but uh, uh, I know that uh, th- there's some sites you can subscribe to, like I think Consumer Reports. They'll give you the holdback information, and then you, you can work from there. And some of it you've got to feel out by calling around a lot of dealers and see, you know, will they go below invoice price? How much below? Like you, you – right. like, like, uh, 
BMW dealers, they really don't like to go below invoice. They feel like a psychological uh, uh, disadvantage with going uh, below invoice. Uh, but but other dealers, if you pay invoice, other types of cars, if you pay invoice, you're not getting that great of a deal, even though it seems like it. So, have you run into any guys on the phone that have just been total assholes? Yes, what you call them. Yes, the salesman. This is before I wised up a bit. You don't talk to salesman. You talk to the sales manager. I've I've I had two terrible experiences. One of them was uh, I called up a dealership that I had dealt with before successfully and stupidly felt that, uh, okay, well, I dealt with a salesman last time, uh, so I'll deal with the salesman this time, and uh, it should be just as well. Well, the salesman I, I had dealt with before wasn't in the office, and so the salesman who I spoke to did something he wasn't allowed to do, and that was, he said, you know, I, I can just handle it. It's no problem. You don't have to wait for him to come back. Well, it turns out that was like an internal rule they're not supposed to do. But that part wasn't my problem. But this guy here was acting really weird and evasive with me on the phone. And it was because he wasn't supposed to be doing this and was trying to get this by his boss. So I kept saying I wanted to order a car to my specifications, which is what I like doing, uh, where you say you want this and this and this and this way. You only get the options you want and nothing you don't want. You have to wait for it to be built and shipped from Germany, but you know I, I prefer doing that, and it doesn't cost you anymore. So, so I kept telling him I want to order this, and he seemed very unhappy about this, which I didn't understand. Uh, but he then, wanted you to, to just buy one right off the lot. Yeah, he wanted right? to buy one the lot, and then and then when I was asking him of uh, you know the, the best price they can give me on an order, he was quoting me these like insanely high prices. I'm like, this is your best deal. Yep, that's my best deal. And and what was also weird is that uh, he was saying that any of the options I have to pay MSRP. That I that uh, the only negotiating he does is on the base price. The options I have to pay MSRP. There's no negotiating on those, which I knew was completely false. He was telling me that it was almost like he was trying to drive me away, and I, I couldn't understand it. And like uh, I said, this is so weird. Like last time you guys were the best ones I dealt with. How is this so different? And, and he's giving me all this bullshit. And he just he kept ignoring me about the order. He's like, yeah, but let me tell you about this one on the lot here. It's pretty close to what you want here, and we can give you a really good deal on that one. I'm like, why are they pushing so hard? to get me to take these these cars off the lot. And it wasn't even like a specific car. He like he wanted me to take one of several off the lot, but but and he was almost ignoring my requests for the building it. And I couldn't figure out. I'm like, do they just have too many that they have to get rid of off the lot? I couldn't figure out what this was about. They didn't treat me like this the first time. So uh, I gave up on them. I started uh, calling around to other places. And then I, then I had a a revelation. I said, you know what? I'm going to call back – this is a while later, but I had already purchased a car from a different, a different dealership. And I said, I'm going to call back here, and uh, I'm going to ask for the sales manager. And this is probably about uh, a week later after I'd already bought from a different dealership. And I called up the sales manager, and I said uh, – you know, he looked me up. He saw the successful transaction from the previous time, and – I said, well, what happened here? So he, I told him the story I just told you, and he said, that's really strange because, first of all, our dealers are never supposed to – if you've had a successful trans, uh, transaction with a previous salesman here, that's always supposed to be your salesman. They're never supposed to take that from one another. That's, that's a hard and fast rule we have here, so that's already really strange. We figured out that what this guy was doing was that he couldn't put through an order for me because that has to go through the sales manager who would then see that he stole the sale. So the only way he can sneak sneak this by is by having, uh, you know, me buy something off the lot without anyone really realizing it. 
like the sales manager had to approve an order, and that's why that's why he was so resisting the order thing. And then when I was pushing for the order, he gave me a ridiculously high price to just drive me away and get rid of me, so so right. no one would find out. So this guy got in a ton of trouble. Like like the the manager wanted like every little detail to to take action here. Like I could tell it wasn't just jerking me off. He was like asking for every little detail. I could tell he was going to like really raise an issue here, maybe even fire the guy. And then, right. uh, um, I mean, I didn't care what he was going to do, but I in fact like. I just wanted to know what the hell happened. And then I said, well, look, you know, I already bought the car from somewhere else, but uh, the next time I buy a car, I, I want, uh, you know, can you give me some kind of allowance because of this whole fail here? And the fact that I was just jerked around by someone trying to break the rules. And he said, yeah, you know, we will next time. So sure enough, when, I, when a family member needed to buy a car and uh, uh, I, I called them up and got an excellent deal on their behalf because of the fail that occurred the previous time. And that, that was a, but I, I thought that was interesting that it was actually I kind of caught someone who was breaking the rules and trying to steal a sale and then chased me away on purpose because they didn't want their boss to find out. Right. So I was a, that was an interesting one. So yeah. And I've, I've ran into other ones. I won't bother to go into further, but just other ones where salesmen have been very non-responsive and rude to get rid of me when they realize that they're going to make very little commission on my sale. They don't want to waste the time on me. It's not worth it to them for the commission they're making. So oh, we have, we have the, uh, this eight one five guy who, who uh, I guess he he's yeah he's up pretty late and he's listening to this segment so uh, go ahead you're on the air hey what's going on Todd so you're the one who was texting was, with me right I was was it you're the one who was texting with me the one who was once a car car salesman yes okay yes. so so let me explain something real quick um, so the whole letting the salesman lead you through the process wasn't basically let them negotiate for you. It was basically when you go in to buy a car, it's a certain set of, um, uh, they call it the road to the sale. Okay. So basically it starts off as, okay, a customer walks in, you greet the customer, yada, yada, yada. Then you take a test drive, you know, you get into negotiation and, you know, so there's certain steps to the process and, you know, you gotta, you gotta remember salesmen do this, you know, sometimes three, four, five, six times a day. So with a customer doing this basically 30 times in a lifetime compared to a salesman doing it, you know, five, six times a day, you know, the salesman's going to know the most efficient way to go through the entire car buying process. But isn't the salesman so, going to know the most efficient way to rip off somebody? Too? That's what I was going to say. I wouldn't need to know the. I, well, I mean, if I were if I were a salesman, I would actually be trying to get the thing efficient, but also get the the customer to pay the highest price so I get the most commission. That's, well, that's what I would be doing. I mean, that's that's obvious, but that that doesn't mean that you know that's going to be the case. If a customer is going to you know fight you on a negotiation, I mean, there's always a good price to be had. So it doesn't matter who's leading the process. There's always a good price to be had. It's just a matter of, you know, if a customer comes in and says, no, I I don't want to test drive yet. I want to discuss price now. And then they say, okay, well, we want to pay cash for the car. And then all of a sudden they want to finance and that changes. So that could change, you know, certain, um, you know, there's like for Mazda, for example, I think there's um, a $1,250 rebate on like a, a Mazda six, but if you don't finance using Mazda standard finance, you don't qualify for that rebate. So that could literally like set the process back about 45 minutes. If you say, Oh, I'm going to pay cash 
or I'm going to finance, and then all of a sudden you're going to pay cash. Well, and I actually went so, through that too. I actually, I, I actually got one of those incentives for financing. And what I did is I, I financed for the very minimum I could to get this, uh, this, this manufacturer's rebate. And uh, so I, I don't mean fighting the dealer on that type of stuff. I mean fighting the salesman on that type of stuff. I uh, like, like whatever the the best process is to qualify for these manufacturers rebate. And of course the, the salesman doesn't care about you qualifying for manufacturers rebate. It doesn't hurt him any because that's, that comes from the manufacturer side. Yeah, exactly. Well, it, it depends. I mean, sometimes certain rebates actually would uh, count towards the salesman's growth. Um, they got dealer cash, which actually, if uh, there's a thousand dollar dealer cash, then that actually counts towards the gross of the car. And most salesmen will make, you know, 15 to 20% gross on a car um, with a minimum of, say, you know, 150 bucks or something like that. So another thing um, with managers, like I've never met a manager that gets paid on getting a car out. All the managers I've ever met and dealt with have all gotten paid on total gross for the month. Trader Ruski? So that's not to say – Let's continue, Brandon. Brandon, don't interrupt him. Let's, let's go on. Who is? I don't even know who this, this is. is. This is the guy who was uh, once a car salesman who's, who's giving his take on this. Oh, okay. This is this is level account. Oh, your level account. Okay. I don't know if you remember me. I remember, from, yeah, from I remember you. We're, we're, yeah, I remember you. I, I, thought, <laughs> I thought you were gone. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I'm still here. I just don't participate in the forum. So, <laughs> but anyway, so, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, most managers they're going to get paid on gross. And it seems like the pattern that I've seen for people getting the best deals, because obviously, you know, most salesmen don't have the authority to, um, you know, make a deal themselves. Um, Certain dealerships will give the salesman the authority to make certain deals, but most of the time you're going to have to go through a manager eventually to approve a deal. Um, So the, the best way that I've seen is customers who have come in, they negotiate the deal they get their bottom dollar where, okay, I want to be at say 13,000. And we say, well, sorry, the best we can do is 13,5 and that's that. And they let you leave. Then calling back sometime later on that day or even the next day, there's a relatively decent chance that not necessarily meet your number, but they'll give you a better price. See that part I agreed with. Yeah. That that part I agreed with. That part when you texted me, I said yeah, that that's and when you mentioned coming at the end of the month and 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 then do that as well. And I I actually and that know, too because um, this goes back to um, money after invoice. Uh, BMW um, and actually that's who I used to work for is BMW. Um, they've got a lot of times where if a dealership sells ten three series in a month, they'll give them an extra thousand dollars a car. Um, if they sell an additional fifteen on top of that ten they could qualify for an additional 1500 a car. So I've seen people at times get a, a BMW for three, four, 5,000 under invoice on the last day of the month. Now, but that, so, those are, st- wouldn't it still be more efficient to just call around and get the lowest price? Wouldn't it be quicker? That, that's what I was well, asking. That, that's fine. Well, here, here's the thing. When you, when you call in, you're not getting nine times out of 10, you're not getting salesmen anymore. You're getting the BDC. And that's the business development center. That's going to be basically technically internet sales, but what they are is they're a call center and their job is not to sell you a car, but get you an appointment to come inside. Now there are, I guess there is occasions where you can get through to a manager, 
but in my experience, I, so maybe it's where you are. Really I've never had. I've never had that salesman, let alone a manager. I've never had that before. I've I've had no problem reaching salesmen. What I've had is, a, and this is over not just BMWs, but a number of different makes of cars. I've had it where the salesmen are very difficult with uh, with wanting to give me with wanting to deal with me. Uh, sometimes some won't even negotiate with me over the phone. They say you've got to come down here. They'd make up phony rules that they can't quote over the phone, yep. which is false. Uh, no, that's absolutely true because they they actually are trained to. They're not allowed to give prices over the well, phone. But then I talk to normally the manager the and they tell me that's that not are true. Allowed to give prices. Sorry. I, I, um, I, normally, the only people who are allowed to give prices is the BDC because they have a set percentage that they give off on you know certain three series, five series, or whatever. Um, and then managers obviously can do whatever the hell they want. Well, so if you happen to get through to a manager, I mean, you're gold. But. Well, okay, but I've talked to I've talked to uh, manager before after that after being shot down. And I complained, hey, they, you know, they, they almost lost my business because they, w- they refused to talk to me. And I told them I'm absolutely not coming down, and, and they, uh, it's a waste of my time. And, and I've been told by the manager, unless he's just jerking me off, and there's more than one manager, no, that's not true. Uh, they shouldn't have said that to you. They, they, they can always talk to you over the phone if they want, and that's, that's not a rule here. So I, that's, that's what I've been told. But I've, I've rarely had a cooperative that's probably, uh, co- that's probably a mixture of two things, you know, the, mainly – it's probably a mixture of two things. It's probably um, they're probably jerking you off half the time, and then half the time maybe that is the truth. I mean, I I don't know. Like I can't speak. I mean, I'm out in Chicago, so you know I can't speak for the West Coast and different dealerships in different states because I just don't I don't know anything about them. I don't know if they do things differently. You know, I'm just speaking from what what happens in Illinois. Um, so um, what the hell was I going to say? And by the way, you were right about the the end of the month thing. I did have it once myself. I, I forgot to mention this in the past, but I did stumble upon this once accidentally, where where they mentioned to me that the only reason that they were giving me the deal that they were was because it was the end of the month and it went on the uh, that month's uh, sales, and that uh, and that was what pushed it over for them. And I wasn't sure if they were BSing me or what, but but now that you're saying this, uh, it, it you know, it made, I, I kind of believed it, but. Uh, um, and it didn't matter because they'd already said yes. They just kind of mentioned offhandedly, oh, you know, we did this yeah. at the end of the month, which I, I had suspected maybe there was some incentive for selling a certain number of vehicles in a month, and I happened to yep. be towards the end. But uh, so Well, BMW is a little bit unique in the fact that, um, you know, you can actually – well, I mean, most dealerships can punch cars, which basically means that they're telling um, – the company that like say BMW, they're telling BMW corporate, Hey, this car is sold. Um, and then, so once they punch a car to try and hit their, you know, monthly bonus, that car has to be sold or put into a service loaner as a service loaner by the end of the month, uh, the following month. Otherwise they could lose that money that they got for punching the car in the first place. Um, so that could be another situation where, if a dealer has, you know, an exorbitant amount of punched cars, they could basically be giving them away for fifteen hundred to two grand under, you know, invoice or actually minus invoice plus holdback, which generally is only, you know, five hundred to eight hundred bucks on BMWs. But um, yeah, I mean, there's there's numerous ways to get a vehicle that, you know. Yeah, I, I see. For I was, a really good price, you just have to go by the guidelines. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, I was just uh, the suggestions I was making about the phone. A lot of that was 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 time reasoning because you're. I, I can't say 
go visit uh, 20 dealerships in, in a 100-mile radius, you're going to be driving around forever. Uh, it's, it's, uh, that's not oh, practical. Sure. So, and actually, over the past, I'd say, two years, they've really, like, changed things as far as pricing over the phone because um, – but the thing is, is dealers shop each other. So, um, for instance, I worked at Patrick BMW in Schaumburg, and they had um, – I, I worked in their BDC before I started uh, as a salesman. And we could take off like 5% off of a three series and 4% off a five series. And all those numbers were based off of what we had shopped other dealers um, prices. Now the markup on BMWs is like 7%. So if you get a price online in the Chicago area, then unless it's 7% or more, which nine times out of 10, it isn't if it's a new model, then you're not getting even close to invoice. So that's why I was trying to say that, you know, not necessarily, you know, you might not necessarily be getting the best price over the phone because, I mean, you got to remember these guys have it down to a science. I mean, they're, they're. Yeah, but they're, they're more know. used to dealing with the, with the average person who just walks in and, and then tries to think they're negotiating back and forth. The person who comes armed with all the info and calls over the phone and doesn't want to come down, I'm sure it happens. I'm not the only guy who does this, but, but there's, uh, they've got to be in the minority, and, and I think that those people uh, just do better, much like I, I talk about the casinos and how you, uh, how you can work the bonus programs to your advantage, but the, yeah. you know, people who do that are in the minority compared to the, the average gambler who comes through. And, and, uh, well, three years ago... Three years ago, um, we passed the um, 50 percentile for, um, you know, people coming in from the Internet and people coming in from just walk-ins. So three years ago, it passed that threshold that more people came through the Internet than came through. Um, now, when you, you say know, the Internet, what do you, mean, what do you mean by the Internet? Um, basically, if you go to admins, you go to uh, cars.com, you know, true car any of them places, uh, car gurus, and look for a vehicle and then inquire about a vehicle. So you either call the dealership, say you found a vehicle online, or you email the dealership or go through one of those websites, and then the, that website contacts the dealership for you. Yeah, see, I always um, thought that type of thing was a fail. I never even tried that. I always thought that was yeah, not going to result in anything very good. Here's a, here's a big tip. Don't ever – give out personal information on cars.com or any of them places because you'll have 30 dealers calling you three times a day. (laughs) (laughs) We would, we would call people every day for the first seven days, uh, twice a day, the first day, and then once a day, the next six days. And then, um, uh, we wouldn't be the only dealership. There's about eight or nine BMW dealerships in the Chicago, like in that immediate area. And if you put in a true car lead, you would literally like get called by all them dealerships pretty much the same amount every day, you know, and so, so, so why <laughs> so do you, many people get pissed off? So, so, so you said in the text that you don't uh, do this anymore. Why did you quit? Uh, I, there's a number of things, but uh, mainly because I just didn't, I was just kind of tired of it. Yeah, I, I can see how that gets can grate on you after a while doing day after day. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, the thing is, is like the whole persona of salesmen has, you know, there's there's a reputation that <laughs> that they're never going to get rid of. I mean, 
car dealerships have a reputation for ripping people off and that'll never change even though bmw has made huge huge strides to change that they've even like over the past six months to a year um been taking uh little tips from apple and basically trying to create a retail zone um you know like apple with they have bmw geniuses now and like (laughs) I, I, I hope they don't it's, take it's the Apple fun. model. I, I don't. I don't like the Apple model, and I have an Apple. I've had iPhones for for years now, but uh, and I, the next phone I'll get it. I'll be an iPhone too. But the one thing I don't like about having an iPhone is having to deal with Apple. I hate dealing with them. They're super rigid. They're 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 super controlled by corporate. It's Apple to me. Kind of it. It kind of feels like Steve Jobs is still alive and controlling them from the grave. It's it's like <laughs> they still have his personality even though he's dead. And and uh, yeah. so uh, and uh, something I have noticed and I think will be kind of sad for the car buying consumer is that it seems like the fixed price model is, is going to be coming fairly soon to where the negotiating thing will be over with and you're just going to go there. Oh, yeah. that, that's going to be the price and that's it. I have a question. Absolutely. Huh? How yeah. much can a good BMW salesperson make a year? Um, <clears throat> like on a scale of one to ten, like ten being the best in the country. Let's say like one being not being the very best, but like one of the best. One of the best. Yeah, let's say you're like easily, or, easily over two hundred thousand a year. Huh. If you're if you're top, um, I'd say top two percent in the country. Is is over two hundred grand a year? What about like top thirty percent? Uh, probably like I'd say ninety to one hundred and twenty, roughly. Yeah, not bad. Somewhere in that area. If you're if you're a terrible salesman and just started at BMW, you should. I mean, if if you can't make you know forty grand a year, you're there's something wrong with you. So. Like even the worst of the worst is probably going to make forty grand, but I'd say the majority of salesmen uh, are making between fifty and ninety. So I've seen some of the salesmen there that are kind of just clueless, but just kind of make money anyway because people are just come in wanting the car and they're going to get it whether they the make money or not. in spite of themselves. Yeah, yeah. So that's exactly what there's I've a, seen. There's a lot of those out there. Okay. Uh, one big thing, though, um, your best negotiating tool is going to be you sitting across from a salesman. Like in order to get the best price, you're never going to get the absolute lowest possible price over the phone unless your salesman or sales manager is a complete moron. They always leave at least three to $500 left to negotiate because you know, 99 out of a hundred people when they negotiate on the phone, they're going to fight for a price, fight for a price, and then they'll come in and ask for free floor mats, and that's like 150 bucks. So they always try to leave at least 300 bucks available for the salesman to say, okay, well, I could throw this in for you. But now, what, what if you get the call, though, of someone who just says what I say and just, look, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. If you don't give me the best price, then you're just not going to hear from me again. So, so what do you do then if, if you know that if you give a price that's a little too high – uh, then uh, then you're not going to hear from that person back. What I would do is I'd give probably $500 under what the best shop was. So um, say, for instance, the best shop was, you know, 6% off on a three series. So, you know, because we know every time, like, they know who buys or who's selling cars for how much. Like, there's 
There's my, Patrick BMW. They had somebody shopping on a weekly basis. But do so they know the very bottom every line Friday price? Or every question. Monday, they'd go out and they'd go to these dealerships, or they'd call these dealerships and get their best price. Well, but they but so they don't they know. Do they, do, so they know the very best bottom line price on each car that's being bought. See, I don't know. Like that's uh, like I I just would think that you you lay that there and there's you're kind of leaving them where they they're in a position where they're afraid to give you a price that that's too high because they know that you're not, you're just not going to come back. They're not going to have a chance. They're not going to have a shot at you again. You're just going to be gone. Well, what I, when I, when I would ever get a customer who asked that, believe it or not, a lot more people ask that than you think. Whenever I would get somebody that asked that, I would say, well, do you have any quotes from other dealerships? They'd say, no. Then I'd say, well, I'll tell you what, call up your other dealerships, get them to email you a quote and I'll beat it by 500 bucks. So that's basically that's how I would handle the situation. So, <clears throat> okay. Well, uh, all right. Thanks for your insight on this. I thought we, it was well, interesting. Hold on, call I got a question. Oh, Mark has hold on. China Manny's got a question. What happens if you can beat? What if they get like the lowest quote and you say you can beat it by five hundred, but then it leaves you no profit? We'll take a loss. Just we take losses it? all the time to get customers, and and especially if you're you're a customer who lives in the immediate vicinity, we know we're going to get you for service. Um, we we take loss. I mean, that's just uh, any sales manager would happily take a loss on a customer who lives ten minutes away, because they know that chances are they're going to be there for the maintenance, and they're going to make that money off of maintenance or off of accessories or. You know, eventually they're going to make that money back. It's funny the, most the one, of the time. The one closest to me wouldn't do it. I, I I even used that argument with them. They wouldn't. They wouldn't go. They I had to actually, I went with. Yeah, some, I mean, uh, sometimes the thing is, is if you get a really huge dealership, that's a huge volume dealership. You're always going to get a great price. And if you go to a very small town dealership, you can normally get a great price too. Um, the big one because they sell more cars, so they have more money coming back from BMW, and the small one because they sell barely any cars and they want to get your business as bad as possible. Whereas a middle of the road dealership that sells, you know, 150 cars a month, it seems like they don't really care as much uh, to get your business because they they're content with selling, you know, their relative reasonable amount of cars, so they're not desperate for vehicles, and then. You know, they're not a huge dealership, so they don't have all that money coming back from BMW, you know, at the end of the month for selling a certain amount of vehicles. So it seems like the the middle-sized dealerships are the worst to go to. Couldn't somebody bypass the BMW maintenance and go to, like, a mechanic that specializes in No, you wouldn't do that because you get, like, four years of free maintenance. It's free maintenance, so. (laughs) Yeah, that would be a waste of money. So I don't understand. Like, why would you want to give free maintenance? Because they're reimbursed by, uh, by corporate. Okay. Yeah, it's BMW, BMW corporate. Um, well, let's put it this way: every ten thousand miles, you got to pay three hundred bucks, and then every thirty thousand miles, it's seven hundred bucks. So it's expensive to maintain a BMW. Um, you know, you're paying three hundred bucks. It's not just an oil change, but basically, in a nutshell, you're getting an oil change for three hundred bucks. So, um, you know, you can go to another mechanic, but you, you know, if you have a BMW, the last thing you want to, you know, cheap out on is uh, maintenance. Yeah, and the first four years were fifty thousand miles, and they give you the, you know, it's free for the customer at least. So, what they do yeah, all the oil changes. I mean, it's too. always good leasing yeah. BMWs too, because leasing a BMW is, you know, and you could always get in a new car, and you never have to worry about fixing the damn thing, and you know. <laughs> 
Yeah, I know so. some people. Some people like leasing. I've just never been a leasing fan. I just uh, and I, like it doesn't bother well, me I if mean, my if car you gets keep your car. Yeah, it doesn't bother me if, if my you're... car gets older as long. Uh, like I, I don't want to buy a used car that's already older. But once I've enjoyed it for several years as being new, I'm not in a panic. Oh my god, it's five six years old. Like I, like I, I've been I've been getting one about like one every nine years. That's what I've been doing. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Leasing wouldn't be for you. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and it's not it's not that. Like I wouldn't enjoy a new car after five or six years. I just I don't feel like I have to get one. I, there's there's some people who have always been obsessed with getting new things. I mean, look at me. I have uh, I I still have this computer from uh, 2009 that I was running on uh, the the radio until it couldn't run anymore. So uh, I, I I'm not always obsessed with like running out and getting the replacing what I have to get the new thing immediately. Uh, but when I do get something, I, I do like it to be new and enjoy that for a while. And that's just my preference yeah anyway so yeah thanks for the call in here you got any more questions here uh china maniac uh nope that's that's right. it for me all right very good so i i hope this wasn't too boring for people who don't care about car buying but it's the end of the towards the end of the show so i don't care so th- thanks for your call though <laughs> no problem all right bye, bye. so that's level account i thought i thought he was one of the people who kind of just like vanished like i i had he used to post in the forum and you know he called in the show sometimes and like i i just kind of thought he was one of the guys who's just gone so it's actually i was actually happy to hear he's still here and I, I guess some people kind of get just chased away from the forum because of like all the drama that goes on there i i don't blame people for being intimidated by the forum but i always say if you want to participate in the forum and not deal with all the trolling and stuff you can always go in the areas that are not called flying stupidity like all the rest of the forums which are not as active on there but you can uh, I, I don't allow any of the trolling over there and if there is i, I just delete it so all right, uh, let's uh, let's let's get here. That's uh, someone says in in chat. I can't believe Druff has a BMW and doesn't have any customer service horror stories. <laughs> they, they actually try pretty hard at a lot of these dealerships not to let that happen because it can affect their car allocation. Uh, but that's a BMW, not all the other ones. But uh, um, there have been some times I've been frustrated and had some issues, but. I haven't brought them out here. Uh, anyway, uh, let's let's see the next topic. I think we're near the end. Uh, the blackjack card counting. I'll talk about that a bit here. Uh, someone wanted to have some tips on doing that. Now, before I begin, if you're starting to count cards in blackjack in 2015 or 2016, the bad news is you are probably about uh, 20 years too late. Uh, when I say too late, in the 90s, in the mid-90s, you were still able to make good money just counting cards in blackjack. It, it was something you could actually make a living doing. I, I know people personally who did do that in the mid-90s. I felt frustrated that I didn't do that in the mid-90s because I was old enough. And I could have, but I didn't. So, uh, starting from the 2000s and especially uh, more recently... Uh, there's a lot less opportunity because the casinos have gotten a lot better at catching you. And what they do when they catch you, it goes anywhere from stopping you in some way, like you know, not shuffling the deck, is not going as far in the deck before they shuffle, or or telling you you can't uh, you can't play blackjack anymore there. You can play any other game, all the way to kicking you out of the casino and telling you you'll be arrested if you come back and banning you from all other ones they own. It could be anywhere from uh, in that range if they catch you. So 
The truth is you get caught a lot these days if you're a card counter, and you have to be prepared for that. Now, it's not going to be like in the movies where they're going to bring you in a back room and smash your fingers with a hammer, okay? Uh, for the most part, you're not going to run into any kind of super stressful situations or dangerous situations like that. Uh, the bad side is they will be catching you, and they, you will be banned from blackjack games and from some casinos. So you've got to be careful where you do it that you don't really care all that much about being banned. So if it's a casino that's in a town that you don't visit very often or a casino that you really don't have an interest in going to other than just to count cards, then, yeah, go ahead. And if they ban you, big deal. But if you will be upset if you can't come back to this place, then don't count cards there. And that's why I don't play blackjack in Caesars properties and I don't play blackjack in MGM properties because I I don't want to lose the opportunity to – enter their properties. I, I don't want to be banned from either of those, especially Caesars for the World Series. Uh, but either of them, I don't want to lose their big portfolio of properties as ones I can enter, and uh, it's not worth it to me. So you have to keep that in mind before you do it. Another thing to keep in mind with blackjack card counting is it's not like you see in the movies and on TV where it's like you're a guaranteed winner and you're going to just sit down and just own the casino and just walk away with piles of money. Uh, you're going to have a small edge, which over time, if you do it right, you'll make money. But it has a lot of variance, and you will go through losing streaks. You may start out on big losing streaks and lose a ton of money and say, what the hell, I thought this was supposed to be a winning strategy. This is not something that will be just easy money that falls into your pocket. That uh, uh, So if you're expecting that, don't do that either. Also, here's a good piece of good news. It's not as hard as you think. It's something you can learn relatively easily, and it's something that's pretty easy to get good at right off the bat. It's not like poker where you've got to play a ton of hands to develop the experience to be a good player. Uh, It's also, unlike poker, you don't need natural talent at the game. It's just something you have to learn. It's just, uh, it's, it's very, learning how to, card count in blackjack it's just something that's methodical it's something that uh it's just learning the procedure to it it's about self-control it's not about strategy or or making the right decision that uh requires like reasoning things out it's about just knowing what to do at the right time which is a lot easier that's the good news the uh so so that's that's some introduction here and, and also, if you have a tilt problem or a bad short-term memory problem, you're not going to be able to do this. You, e- either way, you're going to end up being a losing player. There's a lot of supposedly card, a lot of supposed card counters in blackjack that are actually negative expectation players because they either have a tilt problem or they don't do it right or they kind of just wing it or they forget the count. Uh, I, I've known a lot of people in poker who claimed that they were good blackjack card counters, and I sat with them and I couldn't believe what I saw. And uh, and then if I ever mentioned, I usually didn't. I usually just let them be idiotic if they want to. It's their money. But if I ever mentioned that I noticed something that was that seemed not to be right, I'd get excuses like, "Oh, I'm just I'm just doing cover. I'm just uh, playing badly intentionally so I don't get barred like you do." But that's not true. That's not what they're doing. They're just. Uh, and if you do that, then you're going to kill your edge and you're going to be playing a negative game anyway. So uh, here's the basics of card counting. I'm not going to give you a whole lesson on this. I'm going to teach, tell you where you can find the lessons and then you can go practice yourself. 
Uh, first of all, you have to learn basic strategy. Basic strategy, or it's just the, it's what most blackjack players learn, just how to play, what what the right moves are to make. You know, what do you, if you have a fourteen and the dealer's showing a four, what do you do? And the the correct answer is you stand. So you've got to know all these things. You've got to memorize it. There's charts. If you Google online uh, blackjack basic strategy, you can look at one of these charts and, and you can learn it pretty fast. So you've got to learn that. You've got to learn it perfectly. If you can't do that, then just give up right there. You'll never be a winning blackjack player. So learn basic strategy. Number two, uh, the basics of card counting is not about knowing every card that comes out of the deck. It's, it's not like Rain Man. It's, it's just about, uh, and there's different systems, but the most common system, a high-low system, is just comparing the number of high cards that come out, that is uh, the tens and aces, versus the low cards, two, three, four, five, six. And then you ignore the seven, eight, nine. So every time a two, three, four, five, six comes out, you add one in your head. Every time a ten or an ace comes out, you subtract one. So... And when I say comes out, I mean when you see the card. Either you're receiving or the dealer's receiving or other players receiving it. When you see the card, you do that. Either plus one, minus one, or zero. You've got to keep that count in your head. You've got to keep it accurate. If the number is high, like let's say the, the count is eight at the moment, well, that, that's good for you. If the count is negative, like if it's minus ten, that's bad for you. And when I say bad for you, good for you, it means that your odds of winning the next hand dealt is significantly better if the count is high than if it's low. So what you want is a whole lot of big cards left in the deck. What you don't want is a whole lot of small cards left in the deck. Now, of course, how many decks there are left to deal you is a big deal. So if you're playing a six-deck game, it's a lot bigger of a deal if the count is eight when there's one deck left to deal than if the count is eight when there's five decks left to deal. So the way you get what's called the true count is you take the count at the moment. So let's say you're up to plus eight right now, and then you divide it by the number of decks left, which you just estimate. So if, the, if you think there's four decks left out of the six, and it's eight, you divide eight, you know, eight divided by four equals two, and that's the true count. And, that's, and then the way you mainly use the count is multiplying what your base bet is. So when the count is high, you, you start, like starting from the, count, the true count being one or more, you, you start multiplying your bet more and more as much as to like five or six times what your base bet is. And the reason you do that is you're betting more when your chance to win the next hand is, is, uh, is more, meaning uh, above even. So that's, that's the whole concept behind it. And you need to, So what you need to do is to, to learn this, first you learn basic strategy, then Google uh, card counting strategy. And there's plenty of articles online that explain how to do this that I'm not going to get into the whole thing here. But you can read them online. They're very straightforward. They're not very hard to learn. And then what you need to do, then you need to get the list of strategy modifications based on the count. There aren't that many that are important, but uh, there's some that are very important. Like, a, like let's say you have a 16 against a 10. That's, that's a bad situation no matter what. That's the worst situation you can be in, the 16 against a 10. So you're probably going to lose that. But do you hit or do you stand? Well, believe it or not, it's almost even either way if you don't know the count. It's, it's almost even either way, which is better, hit or stand, 16 versus a 10. So if there's ever a time, if you're not a counter, to go with your gut, it's there. Because it's, it's almost even either way. Uh, and you're probably screwed either way, but uh, it's almost even which way you want to choose. But, but if, uh, if the count is positive there, then you stand. If the count's negative, then you hit. 
And so that's where the account can help you with strategy adjustments. So you've got to know those. There's 18 strategy adjustments you really need to know about that are you can, again, see on these. Uh, uh, if you Google what's called the illustrious 18, then you can see that. So these are things you can Google and read about. After you've read about it, then it's time to practice. The way you practice is there's one of a few ways you can do it. You can download just a free piece of blackjack software, which just runs blackjack hands for you. And, uh, and you can set how far it deals in. And, you, know, you set the deck to how far you want it to deal. And then you just, you just practice. And I would advise practicing it by having it deal you really, really fast. When I say you, I mean like dealing uh, like where everything moves pretty fast to where you're forced to count everything quickly. Because once you do that, once you play in a real casino, it'll seem so slow and so easy that you'll be able to do it much better. Because the casino has a lot of distractions you won't have at home. You won't have uh, the distraction of, uh, of of the noise, of the cocktail waitresses, the dealer, the pit boss. There's a lot of things that it, it, uh, it, when you're playing for real money in the casino that will distract you that will not at home. So you've got to run it much faster at home on the practice uh, games. So once you're at the, at the casino, it seems easy and it seems slow. Uh, but make sure to set it to what the rules you'd, you know, you, you all should be playing with at, in the casinos. Rules, I mean, like a dealer stands on soft 17 versus hit soft 17. Can you, re- can you double after split? And you, you, you need to also learn that there's certain games you have to avoid. You can never play six to five blackjack where they pay you six to five on a blackjack. Never play Never play that ever. Uh, the, try to get games where they're standing on soft 17 instead of hitting. That's to the player's advantage. Uh, try to find is, games. Is where there they, anywhere where they can take your chips, like Indian casinos or anything like that? Indian like casinos where... can get away with anything technically because they're considered sovereign and you can't really do much to them. If you if you try to sue them, you have to use their own court system, which is a fail. But they usually won't. The bottom line is, if you get caught card counting, they let you cash out and then they then they kick you. Right. So so that that's not much of a concern uh, because it's not actually cheating. Cheat now. If you're cheating and you're caught actually cheating, which is not card counting, let's say you're using a device like a mirror to see what the dealer's cards are. Uh, not only will they confiscate your chips, but they'll arrest you. But with card counting, they're not going to arrest you, and and they're not going to take away your chips. Uh, so you need to. Uh, so, so you need to learn all the strategy. You need to get a, a, a good simulator, which you can run either on your phone or I would suggest on your computer. The phone isn't quite the same, but uh, uh, and then run a lot of it. I would suggest doing this for about a month before you actually go to a casino to try because you want to get really comfortable with it and you want to make sure you really know what you're doing. Uh, if, if you just want to learn the very basics of it, it might improve your game a little bit, but it's not going to do very much for you and you definitely shouldn't try to... You definitely shouldn't sit down after just quickly reading about card counting thinking you understand it because you're still going to be a negative expectation player and, in fact, you'll introduce more variance because you're going to be betting bigger when you see the count is high. And so it's important to know with... Blackjack card counting, because you're going to start at a base bet and then multiply it, there can be very high variance. Because if, if the count gets up high really fast and sits there the whole time, the, the whole shoe when they're dealing to you, you're going to be betting big bet after big bet after big bet, and you can either really kick ass or, or really get clobbered, depending on the way it goes. Where is your edge in card counting? Where, where is your real main edge? There's two main edges you get card counting that you don't as a non-card counter. The two big edges are, number one, blackjack. Blackjack pays you three to two, meaning you get $3 for every $2 you bet. And if you know 
when blackjacks are more likely, which is when the count is high, because that means there's more aces than tens left than there are twos through sixes, so there's a disproportionate number of aces and tens left, uh, that means that you're going to get blackjack a lot more often. So what you do is you bet big. So isn't that nice? Let's say you bet $300, you get delta blackjack, and now you get 450 That's a nice hit. Whereas if your normal bet was 50 yeah, that's that's a really big hit to get 450 in one hand. So if you're betting bigger when blackjacks are much more likely, that's one of the reasons you do it. That's that's why you're raising your bets is because of the blackjack. Now, does the dealer get blackjack? Yes, the dealer get blackjack on average as much as you do. You're not ha- you don't have any edge over the dealer in how many blackjacks you get. But when the dealer gets blackjack on you, they only win even money. When you get the dealer blackjack on the dealer, you get one and a half times. So let's say you and the dealer kept trading blackjacks. You get one, they get one, you get one, they get one. Well, you'd win a lot of money that way because you get paid one and a half times, and the next time they only get one time. So between those two hands, you're up half a bet. And if you bet big, that's half a big bet. So that's, that's where the edge is. The secondary edge is that the reason the dealer usually has an advantage in blackjack is because they go second. So if you both bust, the dealer wins because you bust first. So... When, you're, when the count is high, your edge is that, in addition to the blackjack thing, is that it's easier to predict what is going to happen based upon the dealer's up card because there's a lot more big cards left. So if there's a whole lot of tens left in the deck disproportionately and the dealer's showing a five, when you make a decision to stand because the dealer's showing a five, your decision is a lot more correct because there's a lot more tens left that are going to come out and actually bust the dealer. Where if there's a lot of small cards left, there's a lot of ways that either can come back and and draw to 17 or more and beat you. So by you standing, you have to act first. So a lot of times you're going to stand with a hand that's that's less than 17. Now this becomes better for you to do because there's a lot higher chance the dealer is going to bust with a lot of big cards left. So uh, that's where it becomes a lot more predictable what the dealer is going to be, what they're going to do, what where the other cards are going to bring them versus when there's a lot of small cards left. So those are the two basic advantages you have when the count is high, meaning there's a lot of big cards left. And that's why you're betting a lot higher when the count's high and a lot lower when the count's low. Unfortunately, when you're playing blackjack, uh, using this pattern of betting is pretty transparent. If they're watching, they're going to figure it out. If they watch that when the small cards come out, that uh, you're betting bigger, and when the big cards come out, you're lowering your bet again. It doesn't take a genius to see what you're doing, and that's why you will get barred. What if you just try to cover that up? What if you uh, modify this a bit? Well, then you're going to be ruining your edge. So that doesn't help you either. Now, there's various ways that some people use around this. Uh, blackjack teams where, where uh, someone is betting and signaling what the count is for someone when it gets high. A, a new player shows up who pretends to be independent of the first player and just bets big right away because he knows the count's actually high. Uh, casinos are trying to track down on that too and have somewhat been successful at it. But if you're by yourself, uh, there really isn't all that much you can do. You can, there's alternate systems you can use, but these are tougher. You can read about them. I'm not going to give you the uh, details on those. Jstat, who I know listens to all these broadcasts, I know he's uh, big into the card counting thing and uh, has has done a lot of that over the years. And uh, uh, But... You have to be prepared for the variance. You have to be prepared to always remember the count. You can't ever let it slip. Uh, and 
if you do let it slip, then you're going to have to either estimate it or just go back to betting the minimum and just uh, let it finish out and reset the, you know, until they reshuffle or make an excuse to go to the bathroom, whatever. You cannot tilt. It's very frustrating. Oh. Yeah. Yes, hello? Yeah. Oh, okay. You can't tilt. If you're tilting playing blackjack, you're you're going to run into trouble. It, it's very frustrating. Let's say the count gets really high and you bet a bunch of big bets in a row and you lose seven in a row and then they reshuffle. It is so painful after you lose those seven big bets in a row to go back to your base bet. So if you if you your base bet is $50 a hand and you've been betting 350 350 350 seven times in a row and lose all seven, do you really feel like bet, betting 50 the next the, you know after they reshuffle? Uh, knowing how far in the hole you've gotten, no, you're 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 going to hate doing that, but you have to. If you deviate from that, you're going to screw up everything. Then you're no longer playing a positive game. So, uh, if you can't control things like that, if you're just going to bet big when you're losing, no matter what the count is, you you, you have to uh, you have to just forget it. That don't do it. You've got to have self control. That's one of the biggest facets of uh, of card counting. By the way, we just lost China Maniac apparently. So, uh, do we have anybody left? I think we lost Brandon, too. Brandon, you here? Did we really lose every... Do I have nobody left? No, I think we have Brandon still. Where's he gone? No, he's gone. Hmm. I guess it's just me. Well, thank you. Thank you guys for being part of the show. (laughs) You guys can tell me when you're leaving. I got messages from China that he was leaving, but Brandon kind of just vanished. I know it's been a long show here, though. I'll forgive them. Uh, let's see what else I got here. I haven't taken a look at the chat in a while. Oh, good. Jay Stat approves. It's a good counting wrap-up. So that's that's the basics of it. You have to Google. You have to read. You have to practice. You're, ne- you're not going to be able to read about this and become a winning card counter in 30 minutes. It's not going to happen. If that's what you want, don't bother with it. On the other hand, it's not going to take years of practice to become good. It's it's. Uh, I, I did my first card counting session after reading about it, which took uh, not very long, you know, two hours or something. And then uh, maybe even less. And, and then playing on a simulator for about a month. And when I say a month, I you know, I turned on for a little time every day. Got used to it and then, and then tried playing in Vegas. And by the time I tried playing in Vegas, I knew what I was doing, and I did well in that particular session. A little interesting side note. <laughs> I don't know if I've told this story before, but uh, it's a little entertaining story from uh, my first blackjack card counting session. Uh, I, I was playing not very high limits, and keep in mind, I hadn't even played poker yet at this point. This was in the year 2000. Hadn't played poker before. Was going to very soon, but I hadn't yet. And I wasn't used to gambling very much money. So this seemed like big money to me to gamble. I was spreading from $10 to $60 per hand. Base, $10 is my base bet, $60 is the max bet. And uh, I was playing the Imperial Palace mainly in uh, Vegas, which had a good game at the time. And I won almost $1,500. And I ran pretty well, obviously. 
And I was all thrilled about that. That was by far the most I'd ever won gambling at that point. As I said, I just wasn't a big gambler. I was just like, when I did gamble in the past, I gambled pretty small. So I, I never had won or lost $1,000 up till then. So I was very excited about winning almost 1500 So on the drive home, I, I was with my then-girlfriend, and uh, we would end up breaking up about six months after this, and you'll probably understand why after this discussion. We were driving home, and I said to her, wow, I didn't know that this was going to work out for me, but uh, wow, that was so cool. Like, it actually worked. It went the work the way it was supposed to. It, uh, you know, when I bet big, I kept getting blackjacks. Like, it's exactly the way I was hoping. I'm, I'm so happy because it would have been so disappointing to try this and lose a lot of money. So I'm so happy I'm going home $1,500 richer. And she just sta- sat there stone-faced and looked kind of pissed. And I'm thinking, what the hell did I do wrong? So finally, I asked her, I said, you know, I... Why does it seem like since I started talking about this, you're so upset? And and we had been together for about a year by this point. And we lived together, in fact. And she said, oh, it's just, it just figures. I said, what do you mean it just figures? She said, oh, it's just, you know, the rich get richer. That's just how it works. I know I'm never going to have money like that. I, I know I'm, I'm just going to be working. I'm just going to be working my 50K a year job and... It'll be struggling all the time, and you're, you're going to be the one getting all the luck. I just know how that is. I'm like, what the hell? Now, keep in mind, she wasn't complaining that I wasn't, like, generous enough with her. And I had taken her on, you know, nice trips and paid for them. And uh, um, and this is, I wasn't making that much money at the time. I wasn't, it's not like I was, I had to, I, I wasn't rich then. She, I don't know why she was even saying that. I, I had saved some money up because I was a cheap Jew. And, you know, from working a number of years, I, I saved my money well. But I wasn't making a lot every year. And I wasn't playing poker yet. So uh, I had a lot more money saved than she did. But she didn't have many expenses. She didn't have any kids. She lived in a, you know, she was sharing an apartment with me. I was paying a lot of the expenses there. Even before she, we were together, she lived in this cheap-ass place. And uh, she was just resentful that I had saved more money than she did and that I was the one that won the 1500 and she didn't. And she didn't want to play. She didn't. She wasn't really a gambler and she wasn't uh, looking to risk the money. She was just resentful that something good happened for me and not for her, which was really, really selfish. I couldn't believe that she wasn't just happy for me. And again, the complaint wasn't that I wasn't spending enough on her or anything. It was, that wasn't that she just... She, I said, she would have rather the casino beat me? She says, no, but uh, I just, I'm just so sick of certain people always having the good fortune. And I was like, wow, why am I with this girl? I don't know. I, I should have dumped her right then. It, it was actually five months later when we broke up. It, it actually, she broke up with me. She actually broke up with me, but I, like, I was not like the slightest bit bothered by it. She broke up with me actually after another Vegas trip later that year. I, I went to Vegas by myself. Uh, I met up with some friends there in December of that year. And I came back home. And uh, she was sleeping. And then she went to work that day. And then when I, I called her from work at her work on that Monday, she told me that she wants to break up. And and we had already been you know going downhill by that point. So... Not only was I did I not try to fight that or talk her out of it, but like I actually said, yeah, that's probably a good idea. Like I like I was instantly going along with it because I, I wasn't happy either. Like I was thinking, why didn't I say that before? <laughs> so I, I kind of felt like freed from the whole thing. 
even though I could have freed myself at any time. So that was the end of that relationship. And that's not, none of you know who this girl is. It's no one who's ever been associated with poker, who's never posted on any of these forums. None of you know her, I guarantee. And she's not on my Facebook either. <laughs> so I guarantee none of you have any idea who she is. So that was my first experience card counting. But I, I was mad at myself for not playing during the heyday of card counting. Not even the heyday. I mean, that was before my time. But I, I turned 21 in 1993, and you know, I could have started then. By the way, I see that uh, C-Money, he said that he will donate to the free roll if Toronto wins minus one and a half. And uh, they didn't do that. So I guess we won't be getting the $100 from C-Money. But he said he's uh, he'll be very happy if we have a long show because he's going to be on a 13-hour flight. So I guess I guess C-Money, he's flying to Tokyo, and he he wants to listen to this show in the air. That's kind of cool. I mean, I, I don't know. If, is that going to work? Are you going to get good enough bandwidth up there to listen to this show in the air? I, I hope so, but I don't know if it'll work. But maybe, maybe he is uh, going to just download the show, in which case I better finish this pretty soon. He says, my flight leaves at 7.30. Is that 7.30? Is that 7.30? Is that 7.30 Pacific time? I, I, I don't know. I don't know where he is right now. Now he better get into the archive so he can download it first. I, I don't think he's going to have the bandwidth to listen streaming okay I think we're back something weird happened to the sound I, I have no idea what that was but uh, the microphone was not taking anything from me so I, I don't know when you guys last heard me hopefully it wasn't too long ago but uh, I, I see we're back and yeah I, I was reading the chat room and someone said RIP show sound question mark and I'm like oh crap so then I look and I noticed that my sound is not coming through. Like the radio was recording, but my sound wasn't coming through. So I guess I'll have to check that it, uh, I may have to do what I hate doing and edit the show to cut that dead air out. I'll have to see if there's any dead air. If there is, I'll cut it out. So let's see if there's anything else to discuss here. Yeah, I guess I've done everything. Long show, and uh, it's now into Saturday, well into Saturday. I don't know how I sit here and, t- and talk for all these hours. I mean, I talk for like almost seven hours here. It's pretty insane if you think about it. Like, in the time that I've been talking on here, you could have watched like, three or, or more full-length movies, which is crazy. Like, they, they could have, all, like, a whole movie with a, a whole plot, the beginning, the middle, the end. Like, you can watch, like, three of them and still have time. I, I, I like, afterwards, I, I think about this and I go, how did I fill seven hours? Like, what did I talk about? Like, I know I have a list of things to talk about, but how could I have taken seven hours talking about this stuff? But somehow, somehow I do it. 
Somehow it just happens. I can't explain it. Like uh, people ask how long is the show, and I say, oh, it's been six hours, five hours, seven hours, and they, they think I'm crazy. And, and then I sometimes think that people are crazy for listening to this for all those hours. But, yeah, if you enjoy it or even if you, you don't enjoy it and just, like, being a masochist, you can do that. It's fine. My nightmare for this show would be just if nobody listens. Well, there would be a simple solution to that. I just wouldn't do it anymore. But uh, that... That's the thing that would bother me the most. Not not the critical comments or the trolling or any of that. Like what bothered me the most, not bothered, it hasn't happened, but what would bother me the most is if just people lost interest and didn't listen. And there is some turnover with listeners. Well, what's interesting is I've noticed that it seems like for the listeners we lose, we seem to pick up new listeners at about the same rate. It's a, it ha- The show hasn't really grown, but it isn't losing. It, it's stagnating. That we, we gain new listeners, but then lose about the same amount. So I, I guess that's fine, because you're, gonna, you're always going to have people that are losing interest over time. So the fact that we're getting new people is good, because if you don't get new people, it's going to dwindle down to very few, and then it's going to be too small of an audience. And uh, you know, I, I like that certain people listen all the time and are very dedicated. Uh, but you know, if it was just 40 people or something, I, I wouldn't put all this effort into it. It's just it's just too much effort for a small number of people to listen. But the the numbers we have now, like I, I feel like I'm really broadcasting. I feel like I'm really reaching a mass number of people. I'm not reaching a hundred thousand or a million people, but you know, getting a thousand people, which is about what we're getting every week in all forms of listening, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less. That's that's good enough to where I'm reaching a lot. And that's why there's like a constant there's constant uh, reaching of new people that that people message me that I've never heard from before in all these years. People message, hey, I've been listening a long time, or hey, I found it three months ago, or whatever. And I meet new people at the World Series every year who've listened to the show. And the reason that's happening is because there's a thousand people listening, so... That's a lot of people, especially when we have kind of a niche topic here in poker and uh, some gambling stuff outside of poker. But uh, you know, this isn't like a general interest show. Like if I do this show just about politics, you, you have a very large group of people who want to hear about politics. And while we talk about politics sometimes on here, this is not a political show. But if I did a political show, then I, I, I could see getting a thousand listeners very easily. As long as I got the word out. But it's something like this. To get a thousand listeners. I, I think is pretty good. Especially since it's not on. Any kind of mainstream station. It's just on. My own site. And. Yeah it'd be great if I made a lot of money from this. It'd be great if I made any money from this. But. Whatever. Uh, I've decided if. And I decided this a long time ago. If I enjoy doing it. And I enjoy interacting with the audience and like the fact that people like the show and listen regularly and that there's a following for it. I, I don't need to make money. It's like money's not about everything. You know, you can't you can't have money dictate everything you do. And I think sometimes that's where mistakes come in where people just get obsessed with monetizing everything when they don't have to. If you have to monetize everything to 
pay the bills, then I understand. But if you, if you don't have to, you don't have to. Like, let me tell you something that bothered me that was over monetized. And that was that, uh, I don't remember the name of it anymore. It was the Bet Race Fold. Some documentary that those guys behind the micros did, but it wasn't the micros. I forgot what it was. Uh, maybe the chat room can help me out. But they, they did like some kind of crowdfunding for the whole thing, even though they sold it for profit. So it wasn't just like crowdfund this and then we'll release it for free. It was like crowdfund this and then we're going to sell it too. And these were like big time winning poker players who did this thing. So it wasn't even like broke people that needed a, a start. And I thought that was pretty crappy because if you've done really well in poker and you want to make a documentary about poker, then just do it and then just let people watch it. Don't And if you, fine, if you want to sell it, sell it, but don't collect money to fund developing it and then sell it too when you were rich in the first place before the whole thing started. I, I think that just kind of cheapens the whole thing. So, like, you don't see me running a GoFundMe for the Poker Fraud Alert server bills. Or, or trying to get myself paid to do the radio show. Like, I just, I don't see a need to do that. I just, I'm just happy with people liking the show. And listening to the show. That's, that's what I'm happy with. And it's not bullshit here. Because if, if it was, I would try to monetize this. And you guys see I don't. So that's my attitude about it. And, you know, if, if my mouth doesn't completely heal, it's probably because I've talked for seven hours straight. And I don't think I have that much more to say. For your business, okay is never okay. I agree. For my business, okay is never okay. That's why I don't sell anything. That's why I can't fail. Why, if I set the bar that I expect to lose money, then when I lose money, I'm not disappointed. <laughs> I love how these commercials just force themselves onto my show. There we go. That's what I was looking for. Whoa, this has been a long one. And uh, next week. If nothing happens to prevent it, it'll be the final show of October on Thursday, October 29th, I guess five and a half days from now. And Thursday's our regular day, 7.30 p.m. We'll see if we can catch Brandon again. I want to thank him for coming on. I want to thank China Maniac for joining us for a good part of the show. Kind of like old school here with these two guys on with me. And uh, thank you to all the people who called in. Delaware and uh, Level Account. And uh, people who texted me. People who texted me without trolling. And just those who listened. Those who donated to the free roll, I'm not going to thank myself for the free roll donation, but I, I did make one this week. And uh, it's weird. I've talked for seven hours and I'm out of things to say with this end song running in the background. So I'll just kind of waste time here for the final minute of the show. Remember, 7.30 p.m. Pacific time. 
We are going back to Pacific Standard Time, not next week, but I think the week after or the week after that. Just watch for it if you're not in an area with Daylight Savings Time, so you can keep track of when the show is. We'll still be at 7.30, though. And that's it. Hopefully we will have a more regular schedule as the end of the year approaches. If not, I'll try to get on whenever we can. Follow twitter.com slash pokerfraudalert for information or twitter.com slash toddwitellis, which is my personal Twitter. Good night. Shalom. Shalom.